is Lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. It's catching fire, and this film is lit. Hello, and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's part two of the 2021 summer series. We're in the middle of our reading and watching of The Hunger Games. And today we're talking about Catching Fire. If you want a little bit of background on Catching Fire, you can check out our prequel episodes, which are super great, and you should definitely listen to them. Not that nobody does. We get <laughs> we get good listenership on the on the on the prequel episodes, but I truly think that, you know, I understand that there's episode podcasts that I listen to that I don't list that have like prequel episodes, mm-hmm. similar things that I very often don't listen to. I would highly recommend our prequel episodes. We do a lot of work and research, and I think they're really fun. Plus, the listener feedback we get, I think, spurs some yeah. really interesting conversations. I'm usually very proud of the prequel episodes mm-hmm. in a way that I'm not of the main episodes. Well, it's just different. It's different. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I mean, do do a lot of research, and I, I do a lot more research and a lot more writing yeah. for the prequels. Yeah. For, for the prequel episodes, we do learning things segments where we break down specific uh, sort of topics. A lot of times it's tropes on the most recent prequel episode we talk about the chosen one trope uh, and how it does or doesn't apply to the hunger Games series and it's a little bit more of a sort of yeah thought out deep dive sort of discussion that i think are really interesting if you do like the main episodes go check those out plus uh we we read feedback from fans that we get on social media speaking of which you can follow us on facebook twitter instagram good read all those places for many number of reasons there's all kinds of fun posts you know stuff from different uh we'll post pictures from the movies of of like cool things we find all that sort of stuff but also we get your feedback and then we talk about it on the prequel episodes and finally before we get started we wanted to remind you that you can support us at patreon.com slash this film is lit uh we have several different levels there a two dollar or five dollar and a fifteen dollar level the five dollar level is where you get the bonus content where we talk about all kinds of different movies tv shows all kinds of different stuff uh most recently we reviewed and discussed parasite for like an hour which was really fun uh and then moving forward we're going to keep doing other cool interesting things and it's stuff that you know would never show up on the main show because it's stuff not based on books or whatever yeah usually usually sometimes it is like we just talked about shadow and bone the first season of that on netflix but it's not our typical movie adaptation of Mm -hmm. a book so go check out patreon.com slash this film is lit katie it's a summer series episode and that means we have so many notes Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you and i are going to talk for so long (laughs) about catching fire if you're listening to this episode you've already seen the runtime I feel pretty confident it's close to three and a half hours, if not more. <laughs> uh, well, we have a full 13 pages of notes. We're technically onto a 14th page, but it's just one line. Right. And I think that's actually a new record for it, us. I believe it is. 
there some of the Harry Potter episodes may have pushed that. But last, the first Hunger Games episode was the first episode since I think maybe Lord of the Rings had I did it as well. I can't recall the Harry Potter episodes. There was a few of them, and I think maybe Lord of the Rings episode or two that my editing software will not export the thing in one full chunk. I have to do it in two parts and then stitch it together in different software in order to get the full runtime of the episode together. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're long, uh, they're deep dives, but I hope we hope that's what you're here for. Uh, we think we have some interesting stuff to discuss when it comes to catching fire. If you haven't read or watched, we're going to give you a little bit of a catch up right now in our first segment. Let me sum up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Order in Pan Am rests upon a knife's edge. Katniss Everdeen, the girl on fire, is adjusting to life in Victor's village after she and her friend Peter Malark were both crowned victors of the 74th Hunger Games by defying the capital and threatening to kill themselves. This simple act of defiance has sparked uprising across Pan Am as rebel groups begin rising against the fascist capital. Katniss also continues to deal with complicated feelings about her longtime friend Gale and the fallout of her fake relationship with Peta. On their victory tour, Katniss and Peta see the unrest in person and in an attempt to save their lives and the lives of their loved ones, they try to quiet the unrest, but to no avail. In a surprising twist, the 75th Hunger Games draws contestants from the victors of previous games, meaning Katniss will have to compete and likely die, which President Snow hopes will snuff out the revolution. Katniss and Peter re-enter the arena, make unexpected allies with some of the former victors, and ultimately Katniss destroys the arena before being rescued by leaders of the revolution, Haymitch and Plutarch Heavensby. Side note, I don't know how much they're actually leaders of the revolution. They're who rescue her, and they're among yeah. the, like, the upper, orchestrators yeah. of... For, but I, I don't recall, and I know there are more people in the third one, just for people who know this series better than I do, there are more, like, higher-ups involved in the, in the revolution. I just... Yeah, we Anyways. haven't started Mockingjay yet. We haven't started yet. Mockingjay yet, and I only read it once 10 years ago when it came out. So, uh, Plutarch Heavensby, who is the duplicitous double agent head game maker. Katniss must now come to terms with the fact that the revolution has arrived and she is its figurehead, whether she likes it or not. All right. Hopefully that caught some people up if you hadn't seen or read Catching Fire. Or if it's just been a while. Or if it's been a while. You know, you read it and watched it a while ago. And it seems to be a little refresher. So there you go. It's now time for our big first segment where we find out and discuss what was better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. All right. So my first note is a big one. We talked about this in our episode on the hunger games mm-hmm. in the movie i still just really really miss katniss's inner monologue yeah in, in all cases mm-hmm. uh, but there is specifically a line at the beginning this was one of the first major notes that i made while i was reading the book where she says to herself if it were up to me i would try to forget the hunger games entirely mm-hmm. and then moving forward through the book and then seeing what happened and how everything played out. The irony of that is just too good. Yeah. If snow had just left Katniss alone. Yeah. Things probably would have gone back to quote unquote normal. Eventually. Eventually. Like eventually things probably would have leveled. Yeah. That was all she wanted was for things to go back to normal. Absolutely. But no, he had to flex on her. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's absolutely the case that it and and the movie I think does eventually kind of make a good point of that. There are some moments where we see the machinations with between President Snow and Plutarch, and now we know ultimately that Plutarch is <laughs> is working against yeah. the interest of the Capitol and against the president. But they do have discussions about. Um, how to address this situation and you can't help but think man if you had just if you done had nothing, just done nothing it would have been fine for yeah. you like it would have been bad but it would have been fine for you like things would have worked out probably but no and i think that does um sort of reiterate the point that uh the people holding that power are are do so by um that the people holding po the kind of power that president snow has cannot help but uh, uh insert themselves and and take and they're because they're narcissists because mm -hmm. they're uh they're driven by ego driven by ego and driven by this insane um sort of desire to control everything uh they ha he has to be control her he has yeah. to, to yeah, he, he has can't to. let this go unanswered and because of that it is his own downfall kind you know ultimately yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. So we see the lake in the opening of the movie. Katniss is, it opens the opening shot. We see her, she's sitting out staring at this lake. And in the book, we find out that this lake is a very special secluded place quite far away from like the fences of District 12, mm -hmm. where her father used to take her uh, to swim when she was a child. And we get some sort of uh, flashback stories about how she used to go there and she liked like laying in the water and blocking out all the sound. Um, and she doesn't really want to share it with anyone. So it's a bit, ultimately she does try to like share it quote unquote with Gail when yeah. she, uh, at a point later in the story, but in this opening shot, Gail is just there. Like he just shows up. And I, I kind of liked the moment in the book where we get this backstory about her and her dad. And again, we don't get any, yeah, of we don't get any this. of the backstory in the movie. And it also sets up that she knows how to swim. Yeah. Which is important later. Yeah, and we don't see her swim at all in mm -hmm. this segment or, or or even it doesn't even allude that she might have because you you'd think it would be very easy to see her looking out at the lake cut to a flashback of her as a child swimming like with her dad or something yeah. and then cut right back. Um, it's a little thing. I just liked, the again, some of the more backstory stuff that we get in the book. Uh, overall, I think the movie does a pretty good job establishing Katniss's character. I don't think she needs a ton more backstory from what we get necessarily, but I did like that scene uh, in the book. Uh, also, so we jump right into the movie and she's walking into Victor's village and as she's walking in, uh, Buttercup the cat, who we talked about briefly in the first episode, who's just mentioned like in the very first chapter or whatever, it's, mm -hmm. it's Prim's cat, I think. And uh, Buttercup hisses at her in the movie as she walks in and there's it's like in stark contrast to what actually happens in the book where in the book they're like friends now. Yeah, or they've, friendly. They've like reached an understanding. Yes, they're friendly. And part of that is the fact that both she and Buttercup actually prefer their old house. Yeah, like their old hovel. Yeah. that they lived in. And I don't think we even see the old house at all. In we the movie. don't. And I did like that in the in the in the book. She goes there, and that's where Buttercup tends to hang out, and she feeds her and stuff. So mm -hmm. yeah, they've kind of they've kind of found a new understanding. And I just thought it was interesting that the movie would include Buttercup at all yeah but then make it but make it wrong make it the opposite of, <laughs> of like what has happened in the book i thought that was i thought that was interesting kind of dumb but uh we're introduced to some of the peacekeepers in district 12 including specifically one and this is a whole subplot that's cut out that we'll talk a little bit more about more later which is the avox subplot and specifically uh in reference to darius who's one of the peacekeepers in district 12 
And we get a little bit of this in the sense that when Thread comes in in the movie, we get a little bit of this in the sense where when Thread comes in and, and overhauls the district, it's implied that this is a stark contrast from the yeah. previous Peacekeepers mm-hmm. situation. But it's a little bit more explicit and laid out in the book in a way that I thought was interesting in that she actually has somewhat of a friendly relationship with this Darius peacekeeper guy. Yeah. Who's not yeah. quite. Yeah. Well, and then uh, like Darius, especially because we see them like talk together at the hob yeah. in the book. Um, it really bothers me that it's the hob and not the hub. Anyways, <laughs> I, that's a little thing, I think but it, it's supposed to sound like folksy. I, I agree. It's just for some reason, I always want to read it as the hub because it's like the hub where they go to yeah. trade, but it's the hot. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Maybe Anyways, it's sorry. an accent thing. It could be. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. Uh, but the, the implicate, not the implication. It's very clear mm-hmm. in the book. It's not implied. Uh, but what, what happens in the book is that the peacekeepers in district 12 are not really peacekeepers. Not not like they are in the other districts. Yeah. Um, they're more like part of the community kind of. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're still like a little separate, but uh they're yeah, they're more like part of the community. Um and I was wondering as I was reading this book how the movie was gonna handle that because yeah. they don't address it in the first movie at all. No. The peacekeepers just seem like normal peacekeepers. Kind of nameless, faceless, yeah. yeah. Like store uh stormtrooper yeah. type guys. Um, and there, and we talked about it in the first episode. It, it's Katniss uh, observes that it's their their the relationship between the people in twelve and the peacekeepers is very different than it is in other districts. In yes. some districts, like eleven, where people are like whipped in the square and stuff, she's like, "That's not a thing that happens in twelve, and or hasn't yeah. happened in you know years or whatever." Yeah. And uh, yeah, we talked about and and another interesting dynamic of that that we talked about in the first episode is that because 11 is a, a primarily black district or mm-hmm. at least not, maybe not primarily, but a largely black district, whereas uh, district 12 appears to be a largely white populated district and there being an interplay of racism mixed in with the, the sort of classism that's already inherent in the, in the district system. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but it, so it turned out that the movie handles that by also just, kind of just not showing just it. Just not showing it. We don't get Darius. We don't yeah. get any of the relationships that the peacekeepers, like I said, the only allusion to it is that it's implied that the new peacekeepers are much worse yes. than the old ones, but we didn't really see any interactions, any at least not any positive interactions with the old ones to begin with, so it doesn't really do much for us. In Speaking of the Victor's Village that we mentioned earlier, which is this, it's, it's a, if you haven't read the books, because the movie does not make this clear at all, you see the Victor's Village, but in the books it's explained that they built, I don't know how many, like 20 or something or 12 or it's some, some like large n- number, number over of 10 houses, yeah. uh, of these like large mansions all in one location in, in each district that are designed specifically for when somebody wins the Hunger Games, they get to move into this big mansion mm-hmm. and, you know, they get everything taken care of and they're like very wealthy and all that sort of thing. And Katniss remarks when she's going into Victor's Village in the book that, you know, there's like 12, there, there's three of the Victor's Village houses are occupied. It's her her house, Peta's house, and Haymitch. And there's like, you know, a dozen other houses that are just completely empty. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, people she knows are homeless and starving on the streets. And I think, you know, that's a situation that is not remote or <laughs> not remotely applicable to our current oh, yeah. uh, political not, environment not at all. At all. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, the, the, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it, it where it shows the obvious parallel between it. You look at the Capitol and go, look how horrible and fascistic and terrible 
this this system is where that you know everybody's living in poverty and and um obviously they they <laughs> they they cull and sacrifice a bunch of kids every year blah 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 but you can look at that and go yeah and and some of the problems some of the the big problems like the homelessness and stuff are are essentially handled the exact same way that they're handled in our current society which yeah. is just not handled yes and while while having the the while means having, to while having handle. more than the means yes. to handle them they're just yeah not handled yeah uh, as, so they're getting ready to go on the victors tour which is where they uh, they've won the games they're going to go around each district and and you know give, give like a little speech and, and have a dinner and parties. celebrate blah 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 and before they leave there's just a little moment where she's talking to Gail's mom Hazel and I, I this is something we mentioned in the first one that food is a really big focus that doesn't really translate as much in the movie but mm-hmm. because all of the people in district 12 are so food insecure and so hungry all the time that uh, any chance they have to eat food is like this big thing. And, and it's like a big focus of them. And we talked about it in the first one, but Hazel says to her, as she's going out on the tour, enjoy the food. And, and Katniss responds. Absolutely. <laughs> like, despite <laughs> she doesn't want to go on this tour, yeah. she hates everything about it, everything it stands for, everything the capital stands for, what they're making her do. But still there's going to be some dope food. There's going to be so much food and I'm going to eat all of it. <laughs> Which again, I, I like those that kind of little detail in the world—not even the world building, but just realizing sort of the the situation that all mm-hmm. of these people exist in. I mean, I think you're right. I think it is an important part of world building. Yeah, of understanding what life is like in District Twelve. Yeah. Uh, so she's she's out uh, in the movie. She's out across the fence, and I don't remember if she is in the because I think she only goes in, over the fence once in the. I don't recall. Doesn't really matter. She comes home, and there's this moment where the uh, the president's there waiting for her, and yeah. she comes in, and her mom's like, uh, "There's a visitor for you in the in the study or whatever," and she goes in, and she has this big you know conversation with President Snow, and he kind of lays out the ground rules. And in the movie, they have this line about how. Um, let's not lie to each other. And mm-hmm. I think there's a similar line in the book, but one of the things that Katniss, and I don't remember if she says this out loud or if this is an inner monologue line. I think this was an inner monologue I think it line. is. But she says something like, good, I don't do well with ambiguous threats. I like to know the score. And I thought this was a line that to me stuck out going back to, and I we didn't discuss it a ton in the main episode. Another reason you should listen to our prequel episodes <laughs> where we do discuss stuff like that. Or, well, we was in this instance was the place where we discussed something like this. Um, is the uh, portray or the characterization of of Katniss as autistic, mm-hmm. and I thought this line about how she's like you know she doesn't like ambiguity when she's talking to somebody she likes she says what she means she likes when people say what they mean yeah and she doesn't like this ambiguity and trying to like playing these weird word games and like, yeah and you know, like trying to like read between the lines yeah. and figure out what people are actually what their actual saying. motivations are what they're actually saying she just wants it spelled out and and that comes across all the time in the way katniss speaks and how yes. she handles people and i, I again it's a little yes. detail and then too how we can see that she is often like frustrated at not understanding people's motivations yes which is a big part of ultimately sort of her arc over the course of the of the book series of the series and in this book is is being left in the dark not knowing yeah. what other people what their motivations are, what their goals are. And um, sometimes that's because she, because she, she doesn't like pick it up and figure it out. But other times it's because she's intentionally left in in the dark um, to where it's not like a, a, you know, it's not a thing where she's just not like figuring it out. It's more so that just people are intentionally not telling her things. 
Uh, and then the final little detail I had of this of this scene that I wanted to discuss, um, that or not the final one, but one another big detail that I thought I was really hoping the movie was going to do because this is a little detail in the book that's such a great little brilliant like classic cinematic storytelling moment that the movie mm-hmm. just skipped is that when she goes the the president's sitting at this in their study like at a big desk and she walks in and sits he gestures to one of the chairs across from him and she sits down in it and the book points out that as she's sitting there she's sitting in this tall chair and it's too tall for her and her feet don't quite touch the ground so just her toes are kind of dangling touching the ground and it immediately establishes this power dynamic when we've already established a power dynamic with the desk right right yes but then we add that extra layer to it with not having her feet reach the ground and let me just say that as someone whose feet often do not touch the <laughs> ground, because I am fairly short, uh, yeah, that is, that does put you on edge. Yeah, yeah, and I thought it was very <laughs> striking visual imagery, and I was surprised that the movie didn't do it because mm-hmm. it's such a simple little. I thing. I wonder how tall Jennifer Lawrence. That, I guess is. that too is that Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. I don't think is particularly short. Although to be fair, I don't know if Katniss is supposed to be particularly short. Yeah, for a I don't woman, know I think it's just, although she probably would be relatively short because they well, all are yeah. kind of underfed and stuff like that. According to the internet, Jennifer Lawrence is 5'9". So yeah. She's fairly she's tall. Fairly tall. And and so that's I get probably a little bit of it is that she just doesn't pull off yeah. short well. But again, I also don't <laughs> even know how short Katniss is supposed to be. I think it's more just the implication of like this chair and again it's the chair yeah. in her house it's not like he brought the chair or whatever but it's still it, uh, i liked it visually and i was disappointed the movie didn't do it another thing that i liked in this scene that it was it was just something that wasn't going to come across yeah. in the movie no I, matter I, I what because I, I, this also you know this is one of those moments that makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up yeah. and i was like they're not going to be able to do this yeah. in the movie that there's this detail where katniss as she's talking to snow notices that he smells like roses and blood, yes. which is such a creepy little detail. Yes. And there's just no way to do that in no. the movie. We don't have smell of vision. Yeah. Yet. And, and we don't have, <laughs> and we, and as we've mentioned, we don't have a Katniss voiceover, you right. know, like inner monologue running. So there, there's really no way to do it. The movie tries like the movie to allude tries to it later. To allude to it. Later. Well they try they have him hand her a rose. Yes, which in is the rose scene. part. Yeah. And then later on they try to allude to but it. But it doesn't really make sense and I uh we'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. You yeah. and I felt differently about that. I, I well maybe we did. I don't know. I just thought it uh, I'm not sure it made any sense. But uh yeah, I, I also had that same note about the the smells like roses and blood, because it is one of those lines that's just like, oh god, <laughs> it's terrifying. Uh I, another thing that I thought was really interesting, a little and I looked out for this in the movie, and not again, not that they would be able to express Katniss's half of this, but just to see if the president did this, is that he rubs a spot over his left eye, it's mentioned in the book. And uh, Katniss notes that that's a place where she gets like headaches, Mm -hmm. the same place where like she gets headaches. And I thought it was interesting that it's implying this sort of I think what it's going for by by telling us, oh, he you know, he has his headache in the same place that she gets headaches. I think what we're trying we're, we're supposed to get out of that is to see sort of a similarity between them. And I think the specific similarity we're supposed to see is is this similarity in their practicality and the way they deal with problems mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the sense of, like, I, I think Snow is supposed to be a very cold, calculating sort of villain, obviously, yeah. who, you know, who, 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 who is doing what he can to keep power 
in the most sort of rational, cold-hearted way that mm-hmm. he can do so. I think ultimately the story kind of belies that that's not the case, that he's in fact a little more, in fact, more emotionally invested than because his ego and, and, yes. and his desire for, um, you know, uh, his desire for his, his, his own image to, to be not tainted by Katniss and what happened in the games is kind of what, again, what is, is becomes his downfall. And I think ultimately Katniss is more sort of rational and, 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 and reasonable than he is. Um, but I think we're trying, we're supposed to get out of that. This, this, they carry this tension because, uh, the same tension in the same way, because they, their brains work similarly. I feel like they have a similar approach. They're, they're kind problems. of like two sides of the same coin where Katniss's cold, rational motive, like not cold, but like her sort of deep seated, like rational approach to things is in defense of like helpless people. And mm-hmm. like, and, and, and she goes about, you know, like all of her motivations in helping PETA and, and wanting to help PETA are all of her actions are motivated in a very specific practical goal towards saving PETA's right. life. Whereas President Snow's is all the same thing towards maintaining his power and right. hold on. Well, and I Pan think M. we could even stretch that further. You said like two sides of the same coin. And I can see that kind of duality in President Snow's needing to answer what he perceives as defiance and in Katniss's need to um always make sure that she repays her debts yeah yeah I feel like those are two are really similarly like two sides of the same coin I agree I and I think like I said that very distinct line I think is really supposed to drive home that this is yeah is is to make that that similarity between them very clear and mm-hmm. and and drive that home to the to the reader. And I was hoping, and not that it would really matter, because again, we don't we wouldn't be able to get Katniss's sort of internal monologue being yeah. like, "Oh, I also get headaches in the same place." But even just a reference to it for book readers, I thought might have been interesting. But it's also such a small detail that I'm not sure a lot. I, as a kid reading this, I never would have you know sussed that meaning out right. of yeah. out of this so it's not like i would have cared watching this movie when i was you know a teenager or whatever but anyways i i liked it i wished it had been in the book that's fine uh and then katniss also mentions that the only thing she likes about winning the games is that everybody in the district got a bunch of food <laughs> yeah i thought that i wish kind of wish we would have seen a parcel day yeah some in the movie some sort of allusion to the fact that the district after her winning did you know Mm-hmm. get this sort of um, bounty but that it ultimately amounts to nothing that it's because <laughs> it you know it, it helps for a while but it's not but it, it is the only thing she actually likes about winning the games uh so we find out in this conversation with president snow both in the book and in the movie although we see it in the movie happened before this um, we find out in this moment in the book that her and gail kissed and she has this flashback yeah. to this moment well- I I feel like we should be more specific. Gail kisses her. Gail kissed her, yes. Um, and she's discussing in this moment. Uh, she has this flashback, and she 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 thinks about how she doesn't know how she felt about this. She's trying mm-hmm. to figure out how she felt about this. And I, again, because we don't get Katniss's inner monologue, it's not something we can really get in the book unless she or in the movie unless she were to like have that conversation with somebody which isn't which is also against like would go against her character yeah that would be very uncharacteristic it's one of the things that is very tough about portraying Katniss in a movie is that yes so like uh, in order for us to get these character moments that are really interesting 
it, without a without a voiceover, she'd have to talk to somebody. But and she that never goes would. yes, but yeah, she, she wouldn't. Never in a million years would. She wouldn't. So <laughs> then it, it's like you just can't do it. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about that later. It's one of my ultimate criticisms of the of the films. Um, and it is. It, but it is a tough dilemma for the filmmakers yeah. because it's like, how do you do that? And I think the way to do it, and we talked about it last time, is just to do a voice. Like I think, I think the movie probably would just benefit and be a more complete thing if it had some sort of voiceover or something. Mm-hmm. I, we've talked many times in the past on episodes about why movies try to avoid that. It is often seen as sort of hack and meh. But um, I think in some instances it, it can work, and I think in this instance it's like the only thing that can give you a real characterization mm-hmm. of Katniss. Yeah. probably yeah and i mean I, I mentioned her in her monologue earlier i i liked these musings uh one of the other readings of katniss that we talked about in our last prequel episode was the reading of her as ace mm-hmm. um and for people in case you don't ace stands for asexual um yeah yeah and you can do some, your own reading into that if you need to look up and but yeah uh yeah so that's one of the popular readings we discussed it uh, at length and shelby wrote a great comment about it in our last prequel episode um discussing the reading of katniss as a so go check out that prequel yeah. episode if you want to hear us talk more about and it. and i think there was a lot in this book that both like supports and complicates that reading yeah i agree um and like this particular moment with her thinking about this, uh, how about Gail kissing her and not really knowing how she feels about it, um, I think is a great addition, not only to that conversation, but I think it also, at the very least, feels very true just to like being young and not understanding your own feelings. Yeah. You know, like there was this, she has this line about, um, she thinks back to all the time she kissed time she kissed Peta right. in the first Hunger Games, and she's like, well, "I still haven't figured out if any of those counted." Yeah, which is like a thing that I remember thinking to myself as a young person. Yeah, like, did that count? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I could see it even being because, and I don't know if this is what you're referring to, but for like, because you were in theater, I don't know yeah. if that like that's I mean, another yeah, yeah that's, like that's that is and a she's thing. essentially like, doing theater. She's, yeah, like, she's she's on a very large, very dangerous stage. Yeah, um, and yeah, it does get confusing, and it's tough to to figure out like. What was was that one different? That one felt a little <laughs> felt different. a little different, but, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I, it's 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 disappointing. We'll talk about it more later because it comes back over and over again. Being able to hear what you know, mm-hmm. feel, read what she's feeling, and it's just it's tough that the movie can't mm-hmm. can't do that. So speaking of this kiss, uh, in the movie, President Snow has footage of her and Gail kissing. Yes, that he like he has like a little like hologram thing yeah like a star wars hologram yeah, yeah thing. it's like a hologram um then he shows her like oh i i know that you guys kissed here's this footage of you kissing um and i i, I guess it's a concise way to get that across but i, I didn't like it i it felt off to i me. didn't like it either because i not that i thought it was bad i thought it made sense for the movie i just like the way it's done so much better in the book mm-hmm. specifically because of what else occurs in the moment so in the book he leans as he's leaving he leans to her and whispers in her ear that he knows about the kiss that because she yeah. thinks that like he's he's alluding to the idea that he knows that gail's not her cousin and that there's yeah. more going on there and she's like oh my god 
Well, she's like, well, we've been so care- like nothing's happened. And she goes, oh, there was that one time we kissed. And she thinks about it, and we we see her go through it, and she wonders if there were cameras. Mm-hmm. She thinks to herself, like there Maybe there, there could, could be, cameras be cameras everywhere. There's yeah. cameras everywhere in the in the in the games, like in trees. Yeah. You know, there could have been a camera, and so she thinks that. And so I think that's what the movie's doing. And I think it works because again, showing mm-hmm. us that. But in the, you could still do the version in the book, and it's so much better. But they couldn't do the blood part, and the part the thing that about this moment in the book that I love and made my the hairs on the back of my neck stand up is she, she realizes he smells like blood, but she doesn't know why the whole time she's like, what? yeah, like she sees the rose. He has a rose in his lapel and she she's like, okay, so that's the rose, but why does he smell like blood? And as he's leaving, he leans into her ear and whispers, I know about the kiss. And in that moment, not only is that terrifying because she, she knows he's watching him that, you know, she, he always is like surveilling her and that she has no privacy in it and that sort of thing. But on top of that, in that moment, she realizes that the smell of blood was on his breath. Yeah. And that is horrifying and such a great moment in the book. And it was disappointing that the movie couldn't do that. But again, they couldn't. They couldn't. I don't know how they would do that. You know what I mean? Like how they would have the realization of the blood being on his breath, something that we as the audience learn when she learns it, unless we hear her thoughts. (laughs) You know what I mean? A a thing that I liked about the way that it was done in the book and semi-important to note here is that in the book this kiss happened like weeks, weeks ago. ago yeah in the movie it happens the movie, like it right happens before. immediately before yeah. she goes into her house um but the one of the things that i liked in the book was her uncertainty about like well maybe somebody is informing on me yeah like somebody who is part of my community right and who do I trust? Yeah, she doesn't know if it's a camera, if somebody's spying on her. She does, she has no idea. Yeah, yeah. And, and it just adds to the paranoia of of her not knowing what's going on. And it's yeah, it is really interesting. One of the things we talked a little bit about in the first episode was Katniss's um, anger at her mother mm-hmm. and how her mother handled her dad dying. And we even talked about how Katniss. There's a line in the first book about how Katniss says something about like. Her mom clearly fell into depression, and there's a line in the book about how Katniss says, like, oh, some people say it's a sickness or something, mm-hmm. and, and but we don't have time for sickness or something like that. And I thought it was really interesting that in this book, um, Suzanne Collins goes out of her way, I think, to make it clear that she's not, like, belittling or... Yeah. Um, sort of dismissing the struggle of depression. Yeah, and I almost I almost wonder if that was a response to criticism. It does feel a little bit like a response to criticism um, because in there, here's this is what we get, and we don't get this in the movie, and that's why I wanted to mention it here, but there's this little passage in the book where she says, um, uh, since I've been home, I've been trying hard to mend my relationship with my mother, asking her to do things for me instead of brushing aside any offer of help as I did for years out of anger, letting her handle all the money I won, returning her hugs instead of tolerating them. My time in the arena made me realize how I needed to stop punishing her for something she couldn't help, specifically the crushing depression she fell into after my father's death, because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them, like me, for instance, right now. Yeah. And I thought that it, it's such a you no know, like a, an on the nose addressal of yes. of a thing we discussed at length or not at length but you know that we discussed in that last episode and we even talked about like do they have the word depression do they surely they know what depression is and clearly now in this one she uses the word depression yeah. here to describe what her mom yeah. went through and so yeah I I I I appreciated that the book did sort of come back to that mm-hmm. and have Katniss grow on that topic. 
but it also it, it does feel like a an externally like sort of um an external uh, addressing of probably some criticism that she received from the first mm-hmm. book, maybe, or maybe that she just thought about and was like, ah, that didn't come across the way I wanted it to, you know, wanted to make it clear here. So ultimately um, this next thing that I'm going to bring up doesn't really matter because the story just plays out differently. And I'm putting this here because we just don't really spend any time on it in the movie, but I did want to bring it up uh, because Katniss does eventually realize that in these upcoming hunger games, She'll have to be a mentor. Yeah. Um, which in, in the past was something that was only done by Hamish because he, he was, was the, the only, he was the only district 12 victor. Yeah. Um, but she realizes like, Oh shit, I'm going to have to mentor somebody. Yeah. In these upcoming games. And like I said, ultimately it doesn't matter because the story plays out completely differently. But I, I think a version of this book where Katniss doesn't go back to the arena and instead has to mentor two kids that she knows would be really interesting. Yes, I think it would be. It would be super fascinating. Um, I agree. Cause I think her personality dealing with yeah. that would be really interesting. Um, and obviously we don't get that uh, cause spoilers, there are no games in the third, right. <laughs> in the third book. Uh, <laughs> the games are over by the way, in case you weren't aware, uh, we don't get a hunger games part or we don't get the uh, 76 annual hunger games. Um, well, not least in the sense that we, we traditionally get them. We just get a giant war, but yeah, I, I do from my memory, but I, uh, I, I agree. I think that would have been a really interesting yeah, I, direction. Yeah, I think to it would have it. been an interesting direction. And I also think that that would have been an equally, maybe if not more effective way to radicalize Katniss. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah, I do agree that it would, it probably would have made her more, it would have given her a more direct uh, line to wanting to become part of the rebellion. Now she's, mm-hmm. she does pretty, and that's also a thing that the movie doesn't allude to. She, and I don't really have a specific note about it, but she is not like, it's complicated because she, she doesn't, she's thrust into this figurehead of the, the rebellion sort of position un, mm-hmm. unwantingly. It's not something she, you know, was trying to do or wants to be, uh, but that being said, she's not necessarily, and at times throughout the book, she does voice re- sort of revolutionary, yeah, like tendencies, and is is on board with the idea. Like, in fact, at times she's trying to convince Hamish, like mm-hmm. he's talk. She talks to him about like, we, could you know, we, like, could, could we, we do this in, do this in 12? twelve? There are revolutions happening in other places. Could we do this here? And he's like talking her out of it, kind of thing. Um, and we'll get into why later. But like I. But yeah, I do think that 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 angle of her being a mentor would have been a, a really interesting way to take it and and have her sort of go um, become radicalized as mm-hmm. opposed to going back into the arena. I get why she went the angle she did. Yeah, and I think it works really well. I think it's really interesting as well because of some of the the wider like political um, implications that we get with like the old victors going back into the mm-hmm. arena and what that means to the people of Pan Am and specifically the people of the capital. I think that's a really interesting discussion to have. Uh, and I, I like that she does that. So I get why she did it, but yeah, could have been cool. I wanted to talk about the, uh, we, we mentioned him in the first movie or in the first episode that the, the makeup team, like the only person of, of, of Katniss's prep crew that we really get any time with in the movies is Cinna, mm-hmm. which he's the most important one. She's he's like her best friend among anybody from the Capitol. 
and she's you know she likes him a lot he's like a very close confidant um but she has these other people who do like her makeup and hair and stuff flavius uh portia portia is, portia is uh, Peta's designer yeah. Um, it's, it's Flavius and, and um, Octavia, Octavia and something else some, that I can't somebody recall. Somebody's name that starts with a V. V- Vinya or something yeah, like something that. Something like that. And she has this moment, in, and this is something we talked about in the first book, which I thought was really interesting. She has this moment where she realizes uh, when she's talking to them that <laughs> there but for the grace of, of God go I. Uh, and, and, and it's and it's when she realizes how actually like kind they are. Mm-hmm. And it happens numerous times throughout this book. And we don't get any of it in the movie. Really. I think we get one moment of them sad. Yeah. In the movie from my memory, but not in the same way. Uh, but there's this moment where they're prepping her. And I believe this is for the, it's for the, uh, inner, the tour or the, where the, where they come and film them in district 12 initially. Yes. Like to, to kick off the tour. Yeah. And, um, uh, my mother comes in somewhat shyly and says that Cinna has asked her to show the preps how she did my hair the day of the reaping. They respond with enthusiasm and then watch, thoroughly engrossed, as she breaks down the process of the elaborate braided hairdo. In the mirror, I can see their earnest faces following her every move. Their eagerness when it is their turn to try a step. <clears throat> their eagerness when it is their turn to try a step. In fact, all three are so readily respectful and nice to my mother that I feel bad about how I go around feeling so superior to them. Who knows who I would be or what I would talk about if I had been raised in the capital? Maybe my biggest regret would would be having feathered costumes at my birthday party, too. And I think, again, another moment where it's a thing we talked about a lot in the first episode of of the of Suzanne Collins going out of her way to make it clear that it's it's not necessarily that everybody in the capital is just evil yeah. <laughs> or, and that, that is, we're all, um, you know, products of our environment to some extent and that the people in the capital are, are victims in their own way. Um, yeah, well, well, obviously the not the system, being, not yeah. necessarily the individuals. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I thought that I, that little scene I, I really enjoyed and yeah. you know, we don't get it in the book or the movie rather. So one of the other things we find out in the in the book that is not at all mentioned in the movie is that all the victors have to have like a talent. Yeah. They're like required by the capital to like cultivate a talent uh, like after they become victors. And I thought it was really weird and it's one of the I, I say really weird, but it's one of those things where even the capital is like, you know, controlling the hobbies yeah. of the victors even after they win the games, their lives aren't their own, their hobbies or something they have to do for the for the benefit of the capital. I thought it was really interesting. And it's kind of funny to me too because the the talent quote unquote that katniss chooses is fashion design yeah which is actually, well she doesn't choose she a talent doesn't, but but Cinna is Cinna's doing like it here for i'll her. make dresses for yeah. you and you can say that's your talent but then later on we see that she has an obvious interest in like plants and native fauna but i guess maybe her talent needs to be like more frivolous and non-threatening yeah yeah i agree um it is it's <laughs> It's a weird thing. I, I, it's just kind of interesting. And it I, is interesting too because we never really find out like what that's for. Mm-mm. Like, is it just something that they catch up with them every now and then so they can be like, "What have oh, you been what making?" Have you been up to? Yeah, I, that's probably what it is. They just need something to show off when they interview them every year or whatever. Yeah. It's just, I thought it was interesting. So one of the things, and we do the movie does give us a little bit of the not a little bit, quite a fair bit of the representation of. Katniss's PTSD that she's dealing with Mm -hmm. from being in the games. One of the moments in the book that's not in the movie is that when she sees 
prim and one moment early in the book she has like a ptsd flashback and sees rue in prim and and like kind of breaks down a little bit and has to like gather herself um and i I like that moment i I will say that the movie does and i thought this was at least a, a nice nod to it during her speech in district 11 on the victory tour she does mention that she sees Rue in her sister Prim, mm-hmm. which is, I think is a reference to this moment specifically because it's not something from my memory that she says in, in her speech. Yeah. In the book. I don't think so. So I think it's an allusion to this moment. And I do I have a note about what how they represent her PTSD flashback later that I really like uh, in the movie, a thing they do, which is not in the book. So, I, it you know, kind of six of one, half dozen of the other. I just thought it was a nice moment or not nice. I thought it was a, a, a striking moment that helps set up stuff that happens later mm-hmm. in in the series um and and sort of reminding us uh of Katniss's attachment to both uh Rue and Prim and how she is a defender of helpless things or not even not not that they're helpless but yeah you know. so uh there's a scene um a, a little brief moment um when Katniss and Peeta who have been kind of formal and stiff with each other up to this moment. Yes. Um, when they first get on camera and they like fall and kiss in the snow. And I, I just liked that scene better in the book. In the movie, what we get is like she like slips and falls and they like turn it into a thing, which mm-hmm. is fine. Um, but in the book, what we get is Katniss like really giving it her all. Yeah. And like throwing herself at PETA. And I liked the idea that she's really like, okay, I'm going to do this. Well, and we haven't mentioned it because we're going to discuss this in later segments. But during the conversation with President Snow, one of the big the big takeaway was you have to convince me and everybody that you guys are actually in love and that this yeah. wasn't your, your, your whole Barry's thing wasn't an act of rebellion, but wasn't an act. It was in fact an act of, you know, young, dumb, like blind love. And that, so it convinced us you're desperately in love with PETA. And that's why you did this. Not because you, you wanted to stick it to the yeah. Capitol. And that's, so she's going out of her way <laughs> to, 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 to put on this act. Yeah. And then the movie, they turned into an accident that, that becomes that, but yeah. One of the things she's thinking about because she has to put on this act for the Capitol is that she may be forced to have kids. And then we talked about in the first episode that mm-hmm. that's not something she ever wanted to do. Yeah, she didn't want for to For numerous married, reasons. One, she kids. didn't really seem to have any desire to have kids. But on top of that, she, because of the games and because of the Capitol, she has no desire yeah. to birth children into this world. Um, and she's thinking that the Capitol may literally force her to have a kid mm-hmm. to, to, to keep this illusion going on. And also there's this little aside that she has that – um, the kids, the children of victors are not exempt from the reaping. And in fact, it seems to her from the number of victors, children's who end up in the hunger games, that is in fact, maybe rigged to yeah. put the victors, children into the hunger games. And I thought that was another little sort of detail yeah, elaborating was, yeah. on the, the capital's cruelty. That, like, it happens too often for it to really seem like chance. Yeah. Like, it seems like it happens an awful lot. <laughs> and yeah. I, I thought that was another, again, it's a little detail that adds to the the overall o- overarching authoritarian cruelty of the capital and, and the regime in power in Pan Am. Um, and I was a little disappointed there wasn't anything like it in the movie. A little detail, but I thought it was really interesting. It's a little comment, a little, little commentary on sexism uh, is that when they're going through all the prep for the victory tour, 
they uh, Katniss remarks that she, you know, she has to get every inch of her waxed and preened mm-hmm. and pruned, and that Peta's prep takes like an hour, and hers yeah. is like an all day event, uh, and that. And that so, yeah, clearly the men don't go through nearly this sort of prep that the women have to because of societal standards of the beauty expected of women and that sort of thing, which I thought was interesting. Um, but there is a little aside that I thought was funny is that they apparently stop the boys from growing beards in the arena somehow. Yeah, they they like do something. Maybe so like some sort don't... of laser, yeah. you know, because I think laser hair thing like works for like a, like a month. Like uh-huh. a, it has an extended period of time. You, you get the laser zaps and then, you know, you, you don't grow hair for a while. Yeah. And so they do something like that to the the men so that they don't grow beards in the arena, which is just a weird. Well, I think the implication of that is really interesting yeah. because what could that possibly be for if not to make sure they look youthful? Young. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. And, and which don't, is, like, come out looking like men. Which is so wild because you would think that it's almost goes counter to – you think that that would, in fact, like – harbor and create more resentment amongst sort of the the, the citizens of Panem that that the contestants are very clearly children mm-hmm. whereas if they did have beards like if the if the boys did have beards or whatever and looked more you know manly for lack of a better term that it would be easier for the citizens of Panem to like justify it in their heads you know what i mean like yeah. and so it's almost this way but it is just one of those i think ultimately what we're supposed to get out of it is just one of more of those one, they would want him to look young to, as a reminder that we can kill your children. Yeah. But also um, just another element of control that the capital right. is exercising. Uh, yeah, I exercising think there's an over. element of control. And I think there's also potentially some commentary on the way that our culture really worships youth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I also think that you could you could even tie in potentially, I mean, maybe not, but like... Uh, you're not allowed to grow a beard in the military. Yeah. Or at least yeah. depending on, I, I don't know if that's universally true, but like in general, you mm-hmm. have to be completely yeah, the, clean the, yeah, shaven. Yeah, there are a lot of rules the, the, about, the, the boys yeah. we send to die in the military have to be clean shaven when they do it. Now, again, that's not entirely true all the time. I, I, I think there are exceptions to that to some extent. And maybe actually even in the field, you're allowed to grow a beard, I think. I don't know. But like generally, you know, like when you're in your dress military mm-hmm. uniform you have to be clean shaven i'm sure somebody is a military person who knows actually the rules to that you can ex- you feel free to comment and explain the rules but i don't think i'm entirely wrong about that <laughs> no I, yeah i think that's a good um kind of analog yeah. to it yeah there's a little moment in the book and we get something like it in the movie where katniss is, is flippant is uh frustrated at everything going on and she's like flippant and just and kind of yells and snaps at effie uh, in the book, she says, nobody cares, Effie. And even Hamish is taken aback at her, like, this outburst at Effie. And, and she says something, she snaps at her with a different line in the movie. And I was hoping we were going to get the apology scene, because mm-hmm. in the book, she goes back and she apologizes to Effie for snapping. Because she realizes right after, yeah. she's like, Effie didn't deserve that. She wasn't, you know, she didn't, I was, that was my frustration and stuff. Um, but I really wanted to see, there's a a line in the book talking about when she goes and apologizes to Effie, that Effie then goes on and on, spends like five minutes going on about how someone has to attend to the schedule, because that's what she's angry about, how Effie's going through their schedule and is like, oh, and then at 8 a.m. we gotta do this, and da-da-da. And I I really wanted to see Elizabeth Banks' Effie 
you know, railing on about like passive aggressively about how somebody needs to attend to the schedule. And like, you know, I thought that would have been fun. I think an apology scene would have been fun um, because of Elizabeth Banks primarily, but also because it's mentioned like a couple times throughout the book that they lay it on really thick with Effie. Yeah. Like they make it really good when they're apologizing to her. Yeah. Uh, so after that, and we get this a moment, this conversation happens, this exact train conversation happens in the book and the movie. After she snaps at Effie, she goes and storms off into the train, and then PETA shows up, and they have a conversation and kind of talk for a few minutes. And in the book, PETA explicitly apologizes um, for, like, sort of springing the relationship on her and, yeah. and putting this and whole then, thing like, on her. And then, like, trying to hold her to and it. And then, like, holding her to that relationship and and not, like, sort of um, accepting her agency in, yeah. in, in the whole situation, which I thought was really sweet and a really nice scene. And the movie kind of gets around it, but I felt like it didn't... The scene didn't read the exact same to me, and I didn't feel like it had the the full apology from PETA and, and yeah, acknowledgement yeah, of her agency yeah. that... That the I book think had. there were there were some things that that scene got right, which we'll talk about. Yeah. But um, I, yeah, I don't think it quite nailed what the book did. Yeah. Uh, another thing we find out while they're on the train when she goes to Peter's room at one point is that he's we, we know he's a, he likes painting. Mm-hmm. He likes art because he decorates the cakes. He does camouflage. But he also now his hobby that he's taken up is painting mm-hmm. for the for the capital. And he paints the games he's been painting. Uh, scenes from their their games and stuff like that primarily katniss yes primarily katniss um but other and some of them are more sort of ambiguous and you wouldn't know that it was like a reference to the hunger games yeah but other ones are very specifically moments from the hunger games and i thought it would have been really cool to see that Mm -hmm. i was disappointed that we don't get any look at that i mean we kind of do in the movie we'll talk about it later but i was hoping that we would get at least a quick look at like these are all my paintings mm-hmm. or something, or maybe he could have flipped through a sketchbook or something yeah. like in Titanic. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, when they get to district 11, which is the first district on their victory tour, uh, this is Thresh and Ruse district. There's a comment. And I thought this was really interesting because it kind of gets into the world building a little bit. And, and, and one of the things we talked about that was disappointing is that like the, the, the first book doesn't have, none of the books have a map. So yeah. we don't know like, where yeah, the districts are, how big the districts are, anything of that. We don't get any of that in the in the books. And but there's an, a comment in this book about how District 11 is so big that when they watch the reaping on TV that, you know, they see like the square similar to their square mm-hmm. and that has, you know, like a thousand people in it. And surely that's not all of the people that yeah. live in the district that are eligible for the reaping. So they must have preliminary reapings that then, pull, you know, and they pull, yeah, they pull, pull everybody, the, pull everybody down into, into the final one. And I thought that was really interesting. Again, sort of a little world building bit about mm-hmm. the, the idea of having these preliminary reapings and the toll that would play on people. For, I thought it was again, little detail. Interesting. We do. Uh, this book also um, kind of alludes to the fact that District 11 might be somewhere in the south. Yes. Because she mentions that like it's winter in District 12 and there we know they're in Appalachia. Yeah. In the mountains. Um, and then when they get into District 11, it's like hot. It's I, very balmy. District 11 is very clearly supposed to be like the American South. Yeah. Ish. Um, yeah, for sure. Like so- Southern Midwest, South kind of like Georgia, Alabama, 
Yeah. Like, I mean, we know it's big, so it yeah. could be. I mean, who knows yes. how much of a swath of and the And it's also, it is. I think it's also supposed to be regions that are historically have large black populations. Yes, absolutely. Because the population of District 11 is largely black. So One thing that we get in the book that was not in the movie was uh, Katniss on the tour is always dolled up to look very young and innocent. Yeah. Like, very girlish, very young. They put her in, like, pastels and ribbons. Once again, keeping up the idea yeah, of Yeah, keeping the... up this illusion that Cinna has this, like, storytelling strategy of, like, you're you're young, you're youthful, you're innocent. You're in You're love, not a threat. You're blinded by love. Yeah. You're, you know, and that's why you did what you did. And I get the movie using dark, somber colors on her for yes. the visual effect. Yeah. But I didn't like that we dropped that storytelling strategy yeah. from the book. Yeah, I, and I, I, yes, because we see, we get a montage of them going to each district, and uh, yeah, and she's, she's not. She's usually in like blacks and grays. And grays and, and blues, dark yeah, blues. Yeah, she and wears stuff. a lot of like, uh, like leggings and tunic kind of looks. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was a missed opportunity that I think ties into. And especially because, and we'll talk about it, there's a specific scene later where that's alluded to. Mm hmm. And it's it, and it it's, falls a it little falls bit flat, a little flat because yeah. we didn't get that in the movie. But yeah, we'll talk about it. Uh, I thought it was really interesting that Katniss learns for the first time the name of one of the people she killed in the first. Because yeah. right, I'm pretty sure she. I could be wrong, but I think she killed Marvel. Yeah, this is the kid that she shoots with an arrow after. Uh, well, right before Rue dies, I guess. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, it, yeah. Is, it was okay. It was Marvel the, that yeah, killed Rue. Yeah, the District One. Okay. Kid. Yeah, and but she re and so the parents of the the champions from each district who died in in the reapings are are there like on a special platform or whatever, mm -hmm. and they have to the the Peta and Katniss have to kind of sit in front of them and address them and give a speech to them, and yeah, I thought it was just an interesting detail that she didn't even know Marvel's name. Yeah. Until now, she finds out at this victory tour. It's a little detail, but I, I think I li I liked it, and I was disappointed that it was not in the she movie. She probably would have just judged his name if she'd known yeah. it. She judges Glimmer's name. Yeah, she's like, ugh. Yeah, his names are all so dumb. They're You're so named dumb. after a root. Katniss. Yeah, right. Your name is Katniss. Uh, so the proposal scene um, is this big moment in the book that is the last ditch effort to sort of placate snow mm -hmm. and the capital and and make it clear that they're doing what you know they're doing everything they're doing they everything they can to to sort of appease the capital and uh, they have this big dramatic uh proposal scene it's at uh, they're doing they're on like the they're it's when they arrive at the capital and they have like a big like tv show interview thing um and the president's there and they propose in front of the president, in front of everybody. And in the movie, we just get it as like a, a news recap. Yeah. Like, uh, what's I was, his name? Uh, Caesar. Flickerman. Caesar is like, oh, look at this. They got engaged. And we just kind of see it in the yeah. background or whatever. I was like genuinely baffled with the movie's decision yeah. to not show us the proposal in real time. Yeah. That seems like a no brainer to me. It was very interesting. I was surprised. they, Yeah, they didn't do that. And then so the moment where. Katniss realizes that the charade has not worked is right after in the book is right after that proposal. They yeah. do this big proposal, you know, everybody's there, blah, blah, blah. They've done with the whole tour and the tour has had its ups and downs in terms of how effective their charade yes. has been. And they're not sure. And they get there and they do this big proposal and the president comes over af right after the proposal to congratulate them. And Katniss just looks at him and gives him a look. And he very uh, subtly 
looking at her just shakes his head and she knows yeah it did it wasn't it enough work. it wasn't it didn't you know i didn't convince him and in the movie they changed that to when they arrive at the big party which is the party's like the next scene after the proposal in the book mm-hmm. um and which is kind of what it is in the movie but it, they arrive at this big party and when she's there she sees the president up on like this yeah and he like the balcony toasts to them and he toasts to them and then he like very clearly shakes his head no at her yeah and it, it doesn't it didn't feel the same like the, there's this moment of because he's so close to her and and he's congratulating her so personally in the mm-hmm. book and then he like very like the, the dread that fills that fills her after she realizes it hasn't worked is so much more palpable in the book than it is in the movie yeah and I just found that whole the the proposal and President Snow's sort of dismissal and and, and uh, acknowledgement that no it's you you're dead. Um, was way more effective in the book than it was in the movie to me. Also, this is the scene we're talking about where he's drinking blood. <laughs> I Okay. Right? I, I don't think it was supposed to be literal blood. Well, I don't think so either. Okay, so... <laughs> I, I interpret it... So what happens is he raises his glass of champagne. And it's clearly champagne. And it's we clearly can see champagne. that it's champagne or it's and, yellowy liquid. And then he tips it back and then it looks red. And then it cuts to a side shot and it looks red. And it yeah. could very clearly have been like a light shining right. through it and i do think that that is what it's supposed to be okay. like a reflection from the light or maybe the fireworks that are going off or something yeah i liked it as a little nod to earlier like the the scene of her smelling like thinking she smells right. blood on his breath because in that scene she also has this like horrifying moment where she imagines that the teacup he was drinking out was of was blood. actually full yeah. of blood um, so I liked it as a little nod to that. I didn't like it because I found it confusing of like, mm-hmm. because I know that his breath smells like blood. I'm like, okay, well, but is he supposed to be drinking, but, but I can see it's not blood. So it's clearly the light doing that, but it's, I mean, I guess I get it. Like I get it as a little visual nod for book readers, Yeah. but at the same time, I just found it. I don't know, frustrating because one, because I was disappointed that the whole blood scene wasn't in the first, like to me, that nod is not interesting without the bone chilling hair raising whispering in her ear and her smelling blood on his breath. Like mm-hmm. I, it just doesn't do anything for me. And it, I just found it a little like, okay, but like, it's but it's definitely not, not as effective. Yeah. And I, I, get, but I didn't mind. It. I get it as an Easter egg, but at the same time, I just found it. Meh, I don't know. It didn't do much for me, but I, I get I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I think if I had approached it differently, I might have like enjoyed it as an Easter egg. But it was colored by my disappointment in that <laughs> not being part of the earlier scene. So this is a scene that actually happens in the movie when they're at the party. Is there? There's food everywhere. There's just tons and tons of food. Um, and and one thing that I thought was really interesting that the book didn't mention or the movie didn't do is that now Katniss knows it's it's all over. Uh, Mm-hmm. Things are screwed. And when she gets into this party and there's this, you know, this hall full of like food as far as the eye can see, she becomes voraciously hungry and wants to eat everything in the room. And we get all these descriptions of food. And I thought that was a really interesting. I like that Katniss, again, this gets back to uh, world building characterization of of people who are, you know, food insecure. Mm-hmm. She gets she, she's gone in the fight or flight mode at this moment because she knows all is lost. It's 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 fight or flight and so her body immediately goes 
you need to carbo load. <laughs> like you, <laughs> you need you need calories. And she gets in this room and just starts eating everything. Yeah. And I like that moment in the book a lot. We don't get it all in the movie. But another thing that happens in this scene is that because there's so much food, and this is an allusion to an old like Greek or Roman thing, which is like dubious whether or not it was a thing that mm-hmm. actually happened, which is vomitoriums. Um, this idea that people at elegant parties would, would, you know, stuff themselves full and then go, uh, throw up in a special room and then, so they could come back and eat everything else, you know, keep eating. And we get in the, in the movie, there's in the book, there's this, they have these special drinks that are essentially like Ipecac or something that makes Mm -hmm. you throw up. Um, and the scene, (laughs) yeah. I just imagine drinking a little champagne glass of Ipecac. Yeah. Nasty. And uh, the scene is is both, in both the movie and the book, and we get, like, PETA, they hand PETA a glass, because he's like, man, there's so much food. And they're like, oh, yeah, drink this, and then you can keep eating. And they explain that it's it'll make you throw up. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, he's just like, I think I'm going to go dance, and he hands it back to him. And in the book, there's this very comical like imagery of they say that and then he like yeah, takes he's it. He's like about to drink it. He's like about to drink it and they say that and he goes, oh, and he stops and he like very carefully like sets it on a, on the table. Yeah, like and, it's like, a backs, live bomb. Like it's a bomb, yeah. <laughs> and I really wanted to see, I thought Josh Hutcherson would do that really well. Like that seems yeah. like the kind of like sort of physical comedy that he'd be really good at. And so I really wanted to see that moment in the movie and I was disappointed that they I mean they at least included it, but I like why would you not do the like okay I'm just gonna set that down <laughs> like it's just it was very funny in my head and it, the movie version is not particularly funny so in both the book and the movie Katniss at this party dances with Plutarch Heavensby yes which is one a hell of a name great name and two the the game maker who has taken over for the ill-fated Seneca Crane yes from the first book and movie well i guess just from the first movie cuz we don't movie. we don't actually know him in the book yeah and uh he has in the book uh, a pocket watch which he reveals to Katniss has a Mockingjay on it. Yeah, but like it's like flashes. Yeah. It's not like just, it's, it's like something, he rubs his finger over it and it like, and then yeah. goes away. Um, and we don't get that in the movie. He doesn't do that. Yeah. Uh, and I liked, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't necessarily hate that that's not in the movie so originally i was disappointed that it wasn't in yeah. the movie but the more i thought about it and especially with the way the movie goes about it and i, I don't want to cut you off but I, I i will say that i i originally agreed i originally was disappointed it wasn't in the movie but on thinking about it i think it's i think i agree with the movie's decision to leave mm-hmm. it out sorry go ahead um well no because I, I just because you mentioned here that you think it would have been too obvious yeah so that was my initially i was like oh it's disappointing that they didn't put that in because it's like a fun little thing but to me i think it would be too obvious that he's clearly part of the resistance because Mm -hmm. but only in the movie in the book i think it works because the mockingjay while is while we do find out it is part i think it works better in the book than it than it would in the movie um in the movie, we routinely and only see the Mockingjay in the um, as in reference in reference to, to the, the revolution, revolution yeah. in in reference to the rebellion, and so I think it would be too much of a tip off to Katniss that he was 
like or not not to Katniss. Agent. It would be too much of a tip off to the audience that yeah. he was a, a double agent. Yeah. That he was you know. No, I for I agree with that, and I do think yeah, I think you're right. I think it just works better in the book because. For one, we've seen that in the Capitol, the Mockingjay is like the hot new accessory, which is not something which is not something we see in the movie. So I think it makes sense for her to like brush it off in the book and just be like, oh, this guy. Yeah, he's got his trendy Mockingjay watch. Um, I did ultimately think it was a bit a bit daft of her not to put it together eventually. Like, I agree Mm -hmm. right after it that her like not being like, okay, that's. Like, her not realizing that he's, like, a double agent right away makes sense. But I think, ultimately, the more and more, especially after the whole encounter that we're going to talk about with Bonnie and Twill in the book, and their their little showing her, which happens, like, right after this. They show her the Mockingjay on a piece of bread to indicate that they are part of the the rebellion of the revolution. And she realizes that the fact that she then doesn't and and even going further than that, it keeps happening like she keeps getting reference to the Mockingjay as like she keeps seeing the Mockingjay in reference to the revolution. The fact that she never puts together that maybe. But that that is something that we've seen that's characteristic of Katniss, though. I guess that's fair. Of like just not necessarily. Yeah, like connecting those. Di- I, I yeah. don't know how. To, I don't want to say this in a way that's like um, mean or no. Anything. Yeah, I don't think you're being <laughs> like, no. But I think I mean because I think it's fair to say that yeah, she doesn't. She she's she, her brain is not one that is like for. Um, she's very good at in the moment, like uh, moment to mm-hmm. moment problem solving and and action. Yeah. And she's, she's not, not like she's a, not a schemer. A, she's she's not, not a big picture puzzle kind of girl. And that's fair. No, that's totally fair. I think you're right. Yeah, that that's totally fair. And so I, I, I think that does sort of color my, <laughs> the fact that uh, that does sort of uh, argue against my point of, I feel like she would have figured that out. I think you're right that it, it is maybe it is, uncharacteristic I think it's within her, her character. Yeah. To not, to not put that, that together. Out. Yeah, that's fair. So uh, it's complicated. I, I ultimately could go either way on it. I think it, so disregarding whether or not it makes sense for Katniss to figure it out, I think it would have been too obvious to I agree. To the audience. Uh, yeah, especially in the movie. since one, we haven't seen that as a trend in the Capitol, and two, we have seen it over and over, over, over and again over again the on, re- the, on the tour. Yeah, with the Which rebellion. we don't get in the book. No. No, yeah, on the tour they don't see she doesn't see a mocking jay in reference to the rebellion yeah. at all until after this encounter with Plutarch. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um speaking of, we get in when she sees the mocking jay again, we get the backstory of the mocking jay again. Yeah. yeah. Which we got in the first book, but we get it again here. And I was thinking when I read it this time, I was like, actually, you know, in retrospect, I think the movie's decision to wait until the second movie to explain what the Mockingjay is probably in this moment makes a lot more sense than explaining it in the first one. Cause in the first movie, it's like not really important yet. It's more about the hunger games. Mm-hmm. Like the revolution's not really a thing yet. So like I get waiting on the, on, I was like, okay, okay. It makes sense that they waited till the second movie to give us this backstory. And then the movie doesn't <laughs> give us the backstory again. Yeah. And my mind was blown that we are now two third, well, two fourths through the movies, and we don't know what the heck this Mockingjay is a- as a movie audience. We don't know what it is. We know it's a symbol of the revolution, but we, unless I'm losing my mind, they still have not explained. No, I don't think so. 
did they, they may have made a very vague reference to the Mockingjay being like Caesar or something might have alluded to the Mockingjay being a like a, a, a cru- but maybe I don't even think that okay. I really don't think that the uh, again I could be wrong I only watched the movie once I don't think they've mentioned what the heck the Mockingjay is and that has to be super weird to movie audiences so if you have only seen the movies and not read the books let us know yeah again I, I could be wrong and, and ultimately it it's not super important because it it it, it gains its own meaning over the right. course of the yeah. movies, and ultimately it it we it it serves its own purpose in the movies that is not necessarily like that doesn't necessarily require the backstory. Mm-hmm. But I still feel like as an audience member, I would like that backstory if I was a movie watcher. Maybe not, but so the bonnie and twill district 13 subplot is completely cut out yeah, of this, this, movie. this is the biggest thing that gets cut this movie's very yeah. faithful in general yeah, but, but this is this is a pretty big it's a cut. huge cut to be fair we are getting a two-part mockingjay movie i'm assuming some of this will be yeah covered in in mockingjay part one but it was really interesting to me that they cut all of this out so uh, after she gets back from the tour and some stuff happens, she decides uh, to go over the fence. She wants to talk to Gail. Mm-hmm. Um, and she leaves this. Uh, she leaves like a, a trail a, a to, trail, the, to the lake. Yeah. She's going to bring Gail to the lake. But when she gets there, she finds not Gail, but uh, these two random people. At, and at first, she doesn't know who they are. They're wearing peacekeeper mm-hmm. outfits and she's worried they're peacekeepers. Turns out they're runaways from District 8. Yes. Um, and, uh, they, they confront her and they, uh, and then she's like, and they show her a, a, a roll, like a little bread thing that has the Mockingjay on it. Yeah, like stamped on it. Yeah, and that's what triggers her, um, to realize that they're not peacekeepers, they're actually runaways, um, and they sit and they talk and that whole thing, and, and they're talking about how the rebellion in District 8, um, which I believe she's aware of at this point, I can't recall if this... Because at one point she goes, and, and we don't have the note here because it's in a later segment, maybe. No, maybe she doesn't. Oh, yeah, no, because it's 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 right after this that she talks about going to Madge's house, I think. So I think this is right before uh, she sees the District 8 Rebellion. That doesn't sound right, though. But I, th- I think no, she has seen I think the District 8. I think she had already seen it because doesn't she see that while they're at the the tour party that's in 12. No, she sees I, I'm well, yes, yes. When they get back to 12. Yeah. 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 Sorry. When they get back to 12 for the final big party. Yes. She it's goes at the to mayor's it's at the house. mayor's house and she's and she looking goes, for Madge. She goes to find Madge. And, and ends up seeing this footage on the mayor's TV or whatever yeah. that shows district eight in open rebellion. Um, and yeah, so it is before this. And so, but they're telling her more about this. They came from district eight. They're talking about how the rebellion was mostly successful at first, but then the capital kind of like brought in reinforcements Mm -hmm. and, and, and stamped it down and they barely escaped and that sort of thing. And we get all this backstory. And the most important part of this is that they set up this idea 
they're talking where these two are going is to district 13. Yes. This, this myth, mythical sort Which of, I believe we're initially introduced to the idea of district 13 in the first, in, the first book. I don't know if it's in the movie. I don't think it is. Yeah. We're, but no, no, does, it is in the, I think just, in the video, in the beginning oh, of the yeah, first yeah, movie, yeah, I think yeah. he mentions district, yeah, district 13, 13 and destroying it or whatever. Right. Which has been like bombed into oblivion. Yes. Or district so 13, they say. According to the capital district 13, try, this is why the hunger games exist. There was a rebellion a hundred, you know, 74, 75 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and district 13 led their rebellion and then they bombed it into, you know, just into wiped dust, it off the map basically. basically. But they're saying these Bonnie and Twill are like, no, actually district 13, there's a, like a secret settlement there. There's uh, they've regained, people have regained district 13. They're living like in the mines basically. Cause it's mm-hmm. like a graphite mining area. Um, uh, they like make nuclear, they yeah. like gra- mine graphite and other stuff to use for like nuclear reactors and stuff. And they're like, we know one, and one of their evidences for knowing that this has happened is that the footage that the Capitol always plays of district 13 is the same clip over and over again. Yes. They haven't gone back to film new footage at district 13. They just play the same clip over and over and they can tell it's the same because there's this mocking Jay that flies through the corner of the footage over, like every time they see it, mm-hmm. the exact same bird in the exact same place. Um, and Katniss isn't sure if she believes this or not, um, but I thought it was really interesting. And and ultimately, we find out at the end of this that that's where they're going. That's true. Like yeah. this whole rebellion takes place, and and when Plutarch and and um, Hamish get her, they're taking her to District Thirteen yes. because that's like the headquarters of the rebellion. Um, but I thought so. They set all that up here. It's really interesting to me that, and my guess is that Mockingjay Part One will start with like some sort of you know non-catness setup like mm. they'll start like in district 13 mm-hmm. and like we'll just like establish what that is yeah and then we'll like join the, Katniss we'll, there or something you sense. know what yeah, I mean yeah, like yeah, that would be yeah. my guess um what what'll happen in, in Mockingjay part one but anyways that's where they're going Katniss kind of teaches them how to survive because yeah, she, she like gives them a few tips yeah it kind of shows them how to hunt and how to build a fire and stuff um but then she goes back uh, she goes back home and the fence is electrified. Yeah. The fence is live. Yeah. And she's like, oh, shit, <laughs> how am I going to get back in? And she ends up finding a tree and climbing out to a branch that goes over the fence and dropping down like 20 feet. Yeah. And luckily there's a snowbank. But she still like breaks her foot and yeah. stuff. And I thought it was really weird that she doesn't try at all to like roll. And I feel like she would she climbs trees and stuff. And I like she's very active. I feel like she would know how to like disperse her energy to not just like full on eat it falling out of a tree yeah yeah that was really weird but anyways it doesn't but i was i was pretty disappointed that that wasn't in the movie yeah her just falling out of a tree yeah Yeah. um and then ultimately she does confirm that the footage of 13 is being reused because she sees yeah she's able to confirm the the mocking jay footage yeah and they and the the person in the news report is saying that the the mines in district 13 are still too toxic to go near so we still can't get any graphite and alluding to the idea Mm -hmm. that it's not that they're too toxic it's that they're being held by rebels and that they can't get in there yeah um and so yeah it kind of sets all that up none of that's in this book very strange or in in this movie. movie sorry none of that's in this movie very strange uh, also not in this movie is the wedding dress photo shoot. Yeah. We see one wedding dress. Yeah. In the, the, movie. the wedding the dress, wedding dress. That she ends up with. Uh, but in the, in the book, she has like multiple options yeah. of wedding dresses and they have this whole photo shoot. 
um, and uh, there's going to be like a TV show where people can vote, vote for her it, wedding yeah. dress, yeah. which is so horrifically like feels accurate to something yeah. that could happen in real life. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think it also goes back into what Shelby talked about um, with the ace reading of Katniss is this societally imposed hetero yeah. nor- like and, and like allonormativity of just like, yes, now you get married and now yeah. we, we choose your wedding dress. This is what you do. Go do this thing that society says you do, uh, which is, you know, <laughs> go be with PETA, <laughs> make babies. Um, but also during this wedding photo shoot, another thing I thought was really interesting is that she she finds out that she gets sort of hints that other districts are rebelling when, Mm -hmm. when um, her prep team is talking about how they have like shortages of different goods in the capital. Yes. There's a shrimp shortage. Yeah. They haven't been able to get any seafood, which is district four. Yeah. Um, And they haven't been able to get like this music chip special. Like, and I I think that's supposed to be like a, yeah, it's like a, yeah. uh, Like a CD, like a super Mm -hmm. CD that like holds, you know, a million songs. (laughs) You know what I pictured? When they when they talked about this in the book. Oh, I know what you pictured. You I don't remember, remember what it's called, but I know what you're talking. Clips? Yeah, hit clip. That's what it's called. I was like, you're thinking of the thing where you slam the little yeah. hit clip in and it plays. The, it it's plays the opposite like of a hit clip, of though, because yeah. this disc apparently or this little chip apparently plays, you know, like thousands yeah. of songs. Well, it's and, kind of yeah. like an iPod, I yeah, guess. Yeah, like a yeah. teeny tiny, really good iPod. Yeah. Well, although yeah, I think the implication is that it's more like a like a cd or like it's something you put in a player yeah that either, anyway it doesn't really matter but yeah um because i can't get those which those come from district three i think mm-hmm. right and then district eight there's something from i don't remember even what is yeah base thing but they can't get something from oh, district, district eight. eight was textiles i think yes that's Cause right because they, they the, can't they make the peacekeeper uniforms yeah that's right um yeah so she has this like running tally of all of these districts that are potentially in open rebellion which is really interesting is a thing i didn't realize until literally just now that those are the and it makes perfect sense, and I don't know why I didn't put it together reading or watching the movie, that those are the district's champions who work with her, that are yeah. part of the rebellion. Yeah. Is three is, uh, or four is Finnick and Mags. Mm-hmm. Three is BT and um, Wyrus, and eight, I think eight's the Morphlings, but. No, there were six. There's six. I don't but I, it, eight. which district is Joanna from? She might be she's eight. She's lumber. No, yeah, she's lumber. I don't, that's like seven or something or whatever. Six? No, she might be six. I think that, no, the Morphlings were six. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember, but I don't remember what eight is. But because do they? Does eight work with her? District seven is Joanna oh, okay. Mason. Yeah, district what? known for producing lumber. Okay, which is why she's so good with an axe. Yep, 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 yep. Anyways, but four and three, those champions yes. are people who work with. Uh, also, we 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 find uh, Hamish is not buying. Like she's telling Hamish about the fact that this she's hearing about District Thirteen being inhabited and there being a rebellion there and that sort of thing. And and mm-hmm. she's trying to to like potentially try to drum up rebellion in twelve. And Hamish is like shooting it all down. He's like, no, it's not. And we ultimately we find out this was all a big act by Hamish because he he didn't want to include her in any of the planning because yeah. he knows that she doesn't really have a head for plan. Like it's not her her thing is not um you know being involved in big conspiracies like, yeah. it's not exactly like her her strong suit but yeah so he's kind of lying about this whole thing uh and then uh, the last little thing here in this kind of segment is uh 
we find out that Madge and Katniss have become mm-hmm. like f- even more friends than they were before. And it's a little thing, but I thought it was really cute that Katniss teaches her to shoot a bow and Madge is teaching her to play piano. Yeah. But ultimately she actually doesn't, she doesn't really even end up learning to play piano. She just likes listening to Madge play piano, which I thought was very sweet. I just really am disappointed with the movie's decision to cut Madge. Yeah. Cause I really liked her in the book. I thought yeah. that their friendship was really sweet and cute. I'm disappointed. I agree. I agree. I get it, but I, I agree. I'm yeah. disappointed it's not in there. Uh, so was this when she's trying to convince Gail yeah, to, to run away? To run away? Um, and he, he says, uh, he says, I love you. Yeah. To her. Yeah. And in the book. <laughs> yep. This is wild. In the book. Made he me says, laugh out loud. I love you. Me too. He says, I love you. And she says, I know. Yeah. <laughs> And then she thinks right after that, it sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, burn. <laughs> burn on Star Wars. <laughs> and they changed that yeah. in the movie. Um, I think she just says, like, you know how I feel about you or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Which is, one, not as good. Um, but also maybe they didn't want to outright copy Star Wars in their yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. I think that was very much the case. They didn't want to just outright steal those lines from Star Wars. I think it was a very, a very intentional, like, sort of fun reference yeah. in the book that like very you know she thought that it, it and i agree it's it's a thing that makes sense for katniss to say uh it very much yeah. fits in with her character in the same way that it fits in with han solo's character and i i liked that a lot um but yeah i think they just decided maybe we don't just maybe we don't <laughs> do that disappointing but um the other thing is that in the book she's very taken off guard by this and i i would say similarly in the movie but uh, and then ultimately in the book, Peta finds or Gail. She mentions that like Peta's gonna come run away with us too, mm-hmm. and this is Gail is not psyched about this. Yeah. Um. But the movie in this moment turns her. He's like, "I love you," and she goes, "You know how I feel." And they kind of discuss more. And the movie turns this moment in of her unsureness about her feelings for him. She she has a very specific line about um. Well, you know, since the games and everything with the capital. Mm -hmm. maybe if we it was a different place a different time maybe we could be together or something like that and the movie it it becomes a very one-dimensional her feelings about gail and the and her how the fact that she's unsure of what she feels about gail in the movie becomes purely motivated by like fear and 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 the situation with the capital whereas in the book it's it's a little bit of that but it's also very clearly um a more complex situation that has to do with her not just at all knowing how she feels about Gail or Peta right. or what what she wants if she wants anything like she doesn't she just and again this ties back to our conversation of, of the reading of, of Katniss's Ace um, the book's depiction of her in this moment is 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 more nuanced and more layered and it, and it becomes this whole thing that can spark many different interpretations of what she's going through and why. Whereas in the movie, it's it's more of a for sort of just boring it gets, love triangle. Yeah, it gets flattened. Yeah, it's just so flattened. And again, it's it's a result of us not being able to be in Katniss's head. But it's disappointing because it's just it, mm-hmm. it it becomes very one note, and and the their relationship is not interesting in the movies to yeah. me, or at least not particularly interesting beyond the sort of generic will they won't they love triangle. Who does she end up with? Which is something that I think you can get from the book if you read it very surface level without like 
without having any frame of reference. That's and I we talked about this in the first episode. That was sort of my experience of reading it the first time mm -hmm. without having any frame of reference um or 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 even knowing that <laughs> that ace people existed or what that meant like that yeah. the time that was not a, a a concept that existed in my head um because our 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 uh um, the american um especially back then but even still the american uh sexual education system is woefully uh lacking Don't even get me started woefully lacking um but so that was not something I had a frame of reference for. And it was so my reading of the books the first time was that surface level sort of boring. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say boring. It's it's interesting in its own way, but it's it's just a, a lot to me now, a less interesting sort right. of reading on it. Yeah. And so uh, the, the movie gives us that version, which I I get it, but it's it, it is disappointing. So ultimately, uh, Gail ends up getting whipped in the square uh, for different reasons in the movie book, mm -hmm. which we'll talk about later. But apart from the reasons why he's getting whipped, the scene, I think, is much stronger in the book. Than oh, it is in the yeah, movie. it's way more brutal. It is way more brutal. In the book, he, he passes out at some point and almost dies, essentially. Yeah. But he's passed out when Katniss gets there, like he's and he's still being whipped uh, by thread. Um, and I also, there's a little detail that in the book, as she's running, like to get to the square and to get to him, people are trying to stop her cause they know who she is and yeah. who he is. And they're trying to stop her from seeing him. And in the movie, she just walks right into the square yeah. and nobody, nobody says, anything, says anything, to anything to her, um, which I thought was dumb. Uh, but then she runs in and tries to stop it. And then in the book, she gets whipped in the face and in the movie he punches her. Mm -hmm. And then I think he might whip her too, he, kind he does, of, yeah. but it doesn't. It's not as intense as it is as I read it in the book. No, um, her injury is not nearly as gnarly no. in the movie as it is in the book. Yeah, and then also Darius is there, who we mentioned earlier, and he mm -hmm. he try we she gets there and sees Darius like unconscious, laying there, and doesn't know what happened. Yeah, um, and we find out later he tried to stop Thread, and and Thread like knocked him out. And and yeah, that whole scene is just much more brutal and much more impactful in the book to me. It's still a good scene in the movie. I'm not saying it doesn't work in the movie. I think it's effective in the movie at getting across most of what it's trying to. It's just similar to in the first one. It's just not as brutal. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't ring as true and as um, realistic as as it does in the book. And I it's a little disappointing. And then the last note is that when he's done in the book he he runs his hand down the whip to rub the blood off it which he does in the movie at the mm -hmm. very end but in the book when he does that it splatters blood all over Katniss yeah and I wanted to see that in the movie because again that's just ugh, yeah haunting I had I had a couple of notes here too um like we mentioned they do change the reason that he's being whipped in in the movie yeah from and what I, it is I have book. that in better in the movie but um, you disagree, it seems. Well, no, I don't necessarily oh, okay. disagree. I just want to talk about it for a minute because in the book, he is whipped because he has been hunting. Yes, which is which something they've know, talked about. Yeah, yeah. He, he has this uh, dead turkey with him. Yeah, which is something him and Katniss have done for years. And the old yes. peacekeepers and the just old peacekeepers never cared. Well, they were the buying the meat. And yeah. Stuff. yeah. Um, but we know that it is illegal in District 12 to hunt. Yeah. And that is so interesting to me because it is so futile yeah I it agree with reminds that. me of another book that i've read which is a robin hood retelling wherein one of the characters gets caught poaching the king's deer 
And as punishment, they cut off his bow fingers yeah. so that he can't hunt. Mm-hmm. And it's such a like it's an interesting thing to me because it does read so like feudal, you mm-hmm. know, and like old. Yeah, I agree. I actually I actually struggled with whether or not I liked the change in the movie more. Ultimately, I did just because I think it, what it says about Gail's character is stronger in the movie mm-hmm. or more interesting. But I do really like, again, like you said, the feudal nature of hunting on on the king's land yeah. and like you know he, it's like nobody's nobody's hunting out there it's not like he's yeah. stealing it, 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 even then it would still be a barbaric punishment but it's not even like he's stealing it's, no, it's yeah. not taking anything from anybody it's just this land that nobody uses it's just out there but it's the capital's but, yeah, land it's the capital's land yeah um and we get a scene uh right before this or during i can't i think it's i don't know i think it's Right, it's after this. No, it's before this because they they constructed. No, it might be after this. It's after this because they build the the whipping post is already there. Yeah, in the movie, it's complicated because because in the movie they move the fascist makeover of District Twelve to a slightly different location than it is in the yeah. book, kind of, but it's basically the same place. Anyways, it's not but really we get important. we get a scene in the movie with uh, the new peacekeepers wrecking district 12 and like burning everything which we don't actually see them burn everything in the book so i liked that we get to we see them burn well we don't see we see that we 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 see that the hob is on we see the hob is on fire but we actually like in the movie we literally see them like with flamethrowers setting things on fire and that's the difference is that in the in the movie as our introduction to the new peacekeepers when they're introduced, they go around and like wreck hell and like yeah. install the new like the regime. New regime. Yeah. But in the book, the the peacekeepers show up, and then after this incident with Katniss, the new peacekeepers show up, and 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 Thread shows up, and then after this incident with Katniss and Gale, that's like the impetus that sparks the like overnight makeover yes. like fascist makeover yeah. of district 12 and so it's just slightly different in the book and movie but yeah. basically the same. but um so i think it's a, i think it, that scene is impactful in the movie but i'm not sure it's quite as impactful without knowing that they were friends with the old peacekeepers yeah i agree i agree that not knowing that the peace the old peacekeepers were not quite you know i mean they were still cops but they were like you know, as good as cops can be cops, <laughs> kind of <laughs> like is the is the idea we're, we're to be le- we're led to be believed in the book um, is that they're not they, they don't enforce the the the, the most draconian, terrible yeah. rules. They are, in fact, because they are part of the community. Yeah. Um, and they do suffer under similar uh, um, You know, they suffer under similar. And I think there's actually something to be said about that in terms of. Uh, a uh, an, an, an a cab sort of message is that the the original peacekeepers were people of District Twelve. Yes, they were people of the community who suffered with the community to some extent. Not obviously not to the same extent. It was different. Whereas then all of a sudden we get this sort of paramilitary yeah. like uh, fascist police force shows up from the capital. Yeah, and there and 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 I think that is there is because um, so so while a cab also. Not not all a cab. I don't know. Uh, well, also also like a little bit of nuance. Yeah, because I have seen you know like think pieces and stuff before about like the difference between policing when it is 
when the police are a yes. member of the community, yes. like when it's a small town, uh, yeah. and policing in big cities when it's people, people from who, the suburbs, other suburbs who yeah. live outside of the city and yeah. then come in to impose rule upon the people in the city. Yeah, because that is a big, uh, actually one of the messages of the, you know, uh, of the, the sort of ACAB movement is, and the police reform movement and the defund the police movement is, is that it's, it, that one of the ways to, to, to improve policing uh, while abolishing it and re it's a complicated topic that we're not remotely going to get into here, but are <laughs> not going to get into in the depth that it, it, it requires. But one of the, one of the things and one of the arguments is that it, a, a part of reforming, defunding, whatever you want to call it, the police is having police that are in fact, part of the communities yes. that they are policing. And like you said, not coming from um, entirely different socio-political um communities and then policing people that are not part of their community and that mm -hmm. that leads to what we see with like inner like city yeah, policing that and, leads to a terrible power dynamic yeah yes yep and i agree that the injury that katniss suffers is not in the movie is not nearly yeah, in the as book, intense her, like her whole eye is like swollen up yeah it's like whipped across her eye and she has a big gash and it's like swollen shut and in the movie she just has like a little cut on her cheek it's the yeah. same thing from the first one they just don't want to make jennifer lawrence not pretty so they yeah. oh she's got a little scar i guess okay fine <laughs> Um, in the book, Katniss really struggles with her own self-worth and morality. And ultimately, Ed, because of what her actions at the end of the last Hunger Games, she decides that her own self-worth and her own um, moral compass and, and whether or not she's a good person, it kind of ultimately lands on whether or not or lands on what her motivations were for pulling out the berries at the end of the last Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I just wanted to read this little thing because I thought it's a really interesting dynamic that the movie doesn't ever really get into at all. The berries, I realized, the answer to who I am lies in that handful of poisonous fruit. If I held them out to save PETA because I knew I would be shunned if I came back without him, then I am despicable. If I held them out because I loved him, I am still self-centered, although forgivable. But if I held them out to defy the capital, I am someone of worth. The trouble is, I don't know exactly what was going on inside me at that moment. And I think that's a really interesting and really real sort of uh, inner yeah, like conflict like a, to have a moral quandary to be in. Yeah, it felt it was something that really hit me reading the book of just like, yeah, like what what does it mean to be a good person? Am I a good person? And this thing I did, why did I do it? Mm -hmm. and and what about and what that says about me as a person and and then even not and then the step beyond that of being like and i don't know why i did it like i don't yeah. know if i was motivated more by sticking it to the capital or trying to save PETA or because i was selfish i don't know like it was all of those things so i don't know <laughs> like and i think that's really interesting and it's a very nuanced like again sort of philosophical moral discussion that the movie just doesn't really have the ability mm -hmm. to, to dig into very much but anyways also, and this doesn't really come across in the movie at all. The I just thought it was interesting that after the the whole thing with Gale and Katniss, the uh, the capital like artificially fucks up the District Twelve economy as yeah. punishment. They they close the mines, they ruin food, and there's like weeks and weeks of people like starving and stuff. And mm -hmm. it's not for any real reason. It's just because the capital is punishing them. And I thought there's a uh, a very specific message there about um 
I'm probably using this term wrong, but manufactured consent. And and I guarantee I'm using that term wrong. I'm going to leave this in so that we can learn together and I can be wrong about what manufactured consent means. Um, but <laughs> Katie is now Googling to see if I'm wrong. Um, but I believe it's it, it has to do with the using the the material. Um, oh, boy. Read your theory, kids. Well, it's, a, it's a book. Uh, yeah, but it's it's about using the the material. Um, I'm pretty oh, sure. Boy, that's a sentence. It's a that very I would complicated have to diagram to understand it. It's about using the material conditions. I thought to um, to create a consenting and um, subservient uh, like worker class. I thought but I could be wrong. I could be very wrong about that. So let's just not call it manufacturing consent and just say that the capital, uh, uh, that the capital uh, uh, fucks with the, the material conditions in order uh, to create a, a, an environment where the people of district 12 are more susceptible to uh, the capital's rule mm -hmm. and more susceptible to um, uh, being subservient. And let's just not call it manufactured consent because that's probably not the right term because um, it's a complicated political term that I don't know enough about to talk about it. <laughs> uh, this, the okay, I'm on uh, Oxford reference here. Okay. Uh, Herman and Chomsky, uh, the acceptance of government policies by people in the USA on the basis of the partial picture of issues offered by the mass media denying them access to alternative views which would lead them to oppose such policies that's right it's not about the material conditions it's about the control of media yeah. and okay. uh, it's a, a propaganda model right so that's not exactly correct here. not exactly like no. you're like adjacent well there i mean manufactured it. consent is a big part of the capital's <laughs> business model but it is not in what i'm talking about here in terms of artificially fucking up the material conditions in yeah. order uh, to create a subservient um, populace. So it's slightly different. And I I apologize to all my leftist theorists in the audience who are like, that's not what manufactured consent You were adjacent means. to it. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Nobody reads theory. Um, <laughs> anyways. Uh, what else is next? Um, I didn't love the on-the-nose implication that the president and uh, Plutarch Heavensby, like, rig the quarter quell to include victors in the book it's very vague mm -hmm. like it's left up to us to decide whether or not we think the capital rigged yes the, yeah i prefer the quarter that quell. as well whereas in the movie there's a scene where they sit there and they're like hmm what do we do about this yeah i got an idea and then the next scene they're like we're killing off old victors it's like okay and again it's implied in the book that that's probably what happened i just prefer it being left a little bit more ambiguous in the mm -hmm. book than than the movie does uh another little note i and we we talked about this that katniss is um has a an affinity for plants and sort of you know mm -hmm. uh plant identification and, and and that sort of thing herbology and herbology that's the word i wanted when i was going through our notes and all i could come up with was horticulture i'm sorry and i was like that's not right i i would i could have told you that I, I, I only could have told you that because i played a lot of world of warcraft back in the day <laughs> and one of the professions you could do was be in her was herbology where you picked plants and turned them into potions and stuff um 
but uh, they have this moment this is after she's injured and she's like uh she broke her foot or whatever falling yeah, from the so f- she's like bedridden, she's bedridden for a while and pita comes over and helps her work on this family book that they have that is uh it, it's just this big long book that is like a survive not a survival guide but it's just it's it's about plants because i think yeah. it was her mom started it and her, her mom put some works stuff in, in it. like folk medicine yeah um yeah and her dad added things to it and now she is also also adding to it yeah and i really enjoyed that they um her and Peta work on it together he draws mm-hmm. the picture she provides the information and there's a little line where Peta says this is the only normal thing we've ever done together and i really wanted that kind of moment for them in yes. the movie and i was disappointed we didn't get it so after uh we find out that um this might be a six hour episode oh my god we're, t- we're we almost at? two hours in oh, and no. we're five out of oh, 14 no. pages oh no oh no <laughs> We got to move faster. Okay, yeah. So after we know for sure that uh, at least two of our three District 12 victors are going to be headed back to the arena, uh, we get a training montage yeah. in the book, yeah. which we don't get in the movie, no, and no, I no, really no. wanted it. I agree. Uh, I especially wanted Gail helping them with snares. Yeah. And Gail being like, um, of PETA. It'd be easier if it'd be better if he were easier to hate. Yeah, yeah. Because Peta's just such everybody a nice just guy. likes Peta. Yeah, uh, and yeah, Peta goes into game mode and he's like, he gets Haymitch off booze and he like dumps all the all the yeah. alcohol out and he's like, <laughs> two of us are coming home from the capital, a mentor and a winner, and they like super go into game mode and we get like a training montage. I was really expecting to get that in the movie because I thought I really there, was. I too. thought there'd be some good moments for comedy with him like trying to sober up Haymitch and like yeah. all that stuff just felt like it would work in the movie. But yeah, they kind of cut all that. There is a line too that I thought was interesting is that they they come like Katniss realizes uh I think this is not a line, it's a, a thought Katniss has. She she realizes that even if she had killed PETA in the Hunger Games, that she wouldn't want to marry anyone. And again, I think it's another little moment that mm-hmm. kind of lends to the the greater discussion of of Katniss's um uh sort of struggle and 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 self-realization of her own uh sexuality and, and identity and that sort of thing. And that's really interesting and we don't get again, the movie just doesn't delve into that at all. Yeah. Uh there's a moment when they go to the reaping. So we get to the reaping. They gotta do the reaping still, even though Katniss is the only female yeah. or the only woman contestant or the only woman victor. So she's obviously gonna be in it. And in the in the book it's described Effie goes over to the big bowl that normally has, you know, hundreds of names in it or whatever. And she's trying to fish the, the, one, the one piece of paper. piece of paper out, and she's struggling. It's like slipping around, and she can't grab it. And I really wanted that moment in the movie. And then she just grabs it in the movie. I was so disappointed because that's such yeah. a funny moment in my head. I thought it might be a nice little moment of levity in this very serious. <laughs> I just love that they still make Effie go through the show of drawing yeah. Katniss's name, even though she's the, the only, only one. Yeah. one. It's like funny, but it's also really dark. Yeah. And then that, like I said, that that's already funny and dark. And then that extra, extra added layer of like yeah. irony to it, of her, like not being able to get it. It's like, we know who it is. Like, come on. You don't need to grab the paper. Yeah. Uh, so we get this in the movie, but I, I didn't like it in the movie. The, uh, we, we get like a montage of news sort of stories of some of the other contestants from different mm-hmm. uh, districts who were who were selected. And in the book, we get uh, they're watching the video. And that is what we see in the in the movie. They're watching the video. But in, in the movie, it's really cheesy when in District uh, four, 
um, when uh, a young girl gets selected who's like hysterical and then Mags volunteers for her. It's a very like striking moment in the book. This like 80 year old woman like who needs a cane to walk volunteering yeah. for this young woman. Um, and and the, it, it happens in the movie in the background while like Caesar's talking and it looks so cheesy. Like the, yeah, it the does way it, not have the same impact no, as it does in the book. It's really disappointing. And it's such a it's such a kind of a big moment. I was, ugh, didn't I didn't like it. Uh, we find out because Madge isn't in the books, but we find out that Madge's aunt was in the 50th Hunger Games and that uh, she was friends with Katniss's mom. And it's part mm -hmm. of why Madge is and her mom like Katniss and her mom. There's like this added backstory. With yeah, all of yeah, that there's that some kind of interesting. Yeah, backstory there. I also like PETA alluding to the fact and we do get a little bit of this in the movie at different times. But PETA here kind of sets the first little breadcrumb of this idea that the people in the Capitol aren't going to be into the idea of old champions going into the ring. Yeah, because they like them. Yeah. Yeah, they, they see love them, them as they're they love like, they're them. They're their celebrities, and that this actually may ultimately kind of backfire for the capital. Like mm -hmm. this idea, like they're oh, we're going to purge all these old victors, particularly Katniss and Peta. But the people in the capital like love them, and that they hadn't thought that maybe the capital hasn't thought that through yeah. entirely. Oh, I think Snow definitely did not think that no, through. No, not at all. Not at all. We also on the train. Uh, so. On the train, they're doing, uh, they, after they've been reaped, they're doing research. They're watching videos of old Hunger Games to watch the old contestants to do research. And one of the tapes they have is Haymitch's games that he won, mm -hmm. the 50th games. Which and we've previously wondered how, how he, he, won. he won. They yeah. don't know. And we get to see it in the book. They watch through it and they kind of talk through the whole thing. And and him and Maisa Lee, who's the was Madge's aunt, um, aunt uh, they team up together. Um, ultimately, she ends up dying in his arms. Uh, and then Hamish almost dies. Like he gets in a fight. He's hit down to him and one other person and he gets in a fight uh, and he like gets sliced and he's like holding his intestines in and he, and he goes to this edge of the cliff that we saw him find earlier and realize that it has a force field. Mm -hmm. That's the same force field that they have on the, on the roof of the, of the building in the Capitol where the contestants stay, where they can't jump off and kill themselves because yes. it throws them back onto the roof. And he realizes this by throwing like a rock off and it keeps coming back. And he, he goes to this cliff as he's dying and the, the other Victor chases him down and throws an ax at him. And he he doesn't even dodge it. He just like fall, he like collapses and the ax flies off the cliff and then comes and flies back and hits the other contestant in the head, killing her. And he ends up winning. Yeah. Like kind of on accident. completely. Yeah, kind of a comedy of errors. Yeah. And I was really hoping we were going to get to see that I moment. I really, really, really wanted to see that. Yeah. And we don't get it. I was wondering, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a deleted scene, although it'd be a lot of effort to put into a scene not to put into the movie because it would require mm -hmm. quite a bit of production to do like the fighting right. and stuff. And a casting of a, a young Hamish. Yeah. yeah. So I'm probably not, but it, I was disappointed we didn't get it. Um, there's also a moment where they're prepping. So again, we're, I think this is for the interviews potentially, or no, this is for, um, the, uh, the prep for the, uh, the big parade mm -hmm. and Katniss is getting prepped by her team. And they're all like really sad about her going back into the games. And she's talking, she's <laughs> talking about how she has to like console them. And she has this line. She's like, I had to spend the whole time consoling them. And since I'm the person going in to be slaughtered, this is somewhat annoying. <laughs> and I thought that was really, I love yeah. that line. I thought that was a really good nod to like how unwittingly selfish and self-absorbed people who are privileged can be. Yeah. Where like they don't mean to be. No. But they are. But they are. Yeah. A couple little details that I liked. Uh, Katniss eating chocolate fondue with a spoon. 
Yeah. I think it's while she's on the train. Yeah, they have a big fondue. Yeah, they have a big fondue pot, and she just abandons all pretense and starts eating it with a spoon. Uh, And there's this little mention that the District 10 tributes in, like, the costume chariot parade thing are dressed as cows with flaming Flaming belts. belts. Yeah. And Katniss makes a joke about how we're like, were they charbroiling themselves yeah. or something? Yeah. Which I really. Because he's like, well, all the other I was designers. I they would be in the background yeah. or something. Yeah. Because like all the, all the other designers are like copying Senna and they're like yeah. with his flaming costume. And she's like, it doesn't really make sense. And even still they're doing it. And she's like, yeah, that's funny. It would have been fun to see that in the background. Um, and which maybe they do, and I just missed it in the big, because yeah. there's like a big processional scene and it's like big maybe. wide. We might have missed it, but. Um, so we talked about Darius the Peacekeeper earlier about how he was friendly with Katniss. He tried to defend Gale and ended up getting knocked out. And now we find out they get to the Capitol and he's an Avox, which mm-hmm. is something that's not in the movies at all. Well, they're in the movies, but it's never touched upon or addressed. They're just in the background of the movie. Um, and there's this moment in the in the book where he's there and it's very clearly there to 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 upset Katniss. Yes. Um and he's waiting on her and she knocks something off the table and he goes to pick it up and she bends down to pick it up and they she knows she can't talk to him because she'll just get him into trouble. But underneath the table, uh, she grabs his hand and, and it's described as a desperate clinch and it really affected me. And it's it all of those little details and really the AVOX storyline in general, it's really, I think, a miss to cut that out from mm-hmm. the movie. Um, I think all that stuff really helps build hatred for the Capitol. I think the movie does... a pretty good job of it but it's just the books show all of these like the overarching cruelty of the capital in a way that the movie gets bits and pieces of but it just doesn't sort of um come together in the same like just overwhelming way that it does in the book i agree and and this little avox storyline with darius is one of those ways like he was you know he was one of them kind of Mm-hmm. And he just he 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 committed the the grave sin of having a modicum of decency and like yeah. human compassion, and for that he was you know horribly tortured. And it's just it, it goes um, a long way in showing that the capital has no allegiances other than to their own power and and greed. And it, yeah, yeah. Another moment that I'm really disappointed wasn't in the movie is that. Before the big interview, before the games, they have uh, their interview coaching and they've kind of had a falling out with Hamish because they don't want to have there's been stuff's been going on. It's not really super important, but they don't have an interview coaching. So instead, they realize they have the whole day themselves. So they go up to the roof of the building and Katniss and Peta just have like a day long picnic and just like enjoy themselves all day. Yeah, which is really sweet. And like (laughs) uh, Peta draws her like one of his French girls. And it's (laughs) yeah, but not really. But but I mean, he does. He draws oh yeah she's not naked i guess but well, <laughs> yeah right but yeah and they they play games and they eat and they just they have a, a a nice day together and i i was really hoping we'd get like at least a little bit of that like a little montage or something in the movie uh and then before for the interview prep uh we've mentioned the prep team but octavia is like they're like non-stop sobbing the whole mm-hmm. time and katniss has talked to Cinna about how like you have to talk to them i they can't just be miserable the whole time because I'm the one dying, not them. Yeah. And so they're still being miserable, but they 
at this point they realize that like Senna has talked to them and so like Octavia leaves like immediately like because she can't keep it together and then like halfway through the prep Flavia starts crying and she feels like wet stuff on her shoulder <laughs> and she's like oh he's crying and then he leaves and it's just uh but then we get like a really sincere and and nice uh goodbye between her and Venya or whatever her mm-hmm. name is the the last one of the prep team and I would have liked, again, they're not in the movie. I get why they're cut, because Senna's that person, kind of, yeah. uh, for that. But it's just, they're very different. Her, Senna and the prep team are not remotely alike. Like, Senna's, like, an actually good person, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Where, and, and and whereas they're, like, again, products of their environment who are, like, good people-ish, kind of. Like, you know. Yeah. As good as they can be, given their what they are. Um, wish it had been in the movie. A little thing that we learn uh, in the book is that at District 12, part of their wedding ceremony is a toast, which is commonly a part of wedding ceremonies, except that in District 12, they toast with actual bread. It's actual toast. It's they literal make toast. toast. Yeah. They make toast, uh, which, which might I kind be where of it comes from, love. Right? I have no I idea. I have no idea. I don't know. I could not guess Probably on that. Probably not. Um, but... I also, I think we should have literal toast at our wedding. I agree. Um, I thought the same thing. <laughs> Also, we know that Katniss is in her wedding dress for the interview. Yeah. But what the movie leaves out is that they also dress Peta in like a tux and tails and yeah. white gloves. Yeah. Which I really wish the movie would have done. Yeah. Um. So there's this big moment in the interview at the end of it where uh, all of the contestants hold hands. It's a really mm-hmm. powerful moment. And I have it in better in the book. It happens in the movie and it happens very, very similarly but in the book, it literally gave me chills reading it. It happened several times uh, in the book, in the in, in the handful of chapters here, in, in moments where I actually literally got chills reading parts of it. And I, so I was looking out for these moments in the movie, really hoping they would live up to what I sort of envisioned in the book, um, reading them. And this was one of the first big ones. And it just didn't work for me in the movie as well. And... Um, I think a big thing is that, and so in this moment in the movie, as they're holding hands, the music that is playing is the, the Pan Am Anthem. So we're hearing the music, the in-world music, which is the Pan Am Anthem, which I think is intentionally kind of bad yeah. because it's this, the anthem of this horrible fascist state. Like, yeah. so like, it's kind of intentionally not good music. Like it's kind of intentionally not uplifting and, 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 and swelling like beautiful music. It's, it's just, uh, it's just like it's kind of uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like it, it, it's it's like the worst possible version of an anthem. It's like what it is. <laughs> and, and that's on purpose. And and that is what is, is described in the book as playing in that moment. Yeah. So I get why they did it. But the moment is so much more meaningful than that. I think as a director, that's a moment where you have to go, OK, I know the book says the anthem's playing. We need we a need, more. We need a swelling. We need a swelling emotional yeah. uh, score moment, not this dumb anthem. I, I just and it just didn't affect me in the movie like it did in the book. And I just wanted to read the movie, uh, the book section. It's like uh, half a paragraph. I look back to the crowd, but the faces of Rue's mother and father swim before my eyes. Their sorrow, their loss. I turn spontaneously to Chaff and offer my hand. I feel my fingers close around the stump that now completes his arm and hold fast. And then it happens. Up and down the road, the victors begin to join hands. Some right away like the Morflings or Ryrus and BT. Others unsure but caught up in the demands of those around them like Brutus and Inobaria. 
By the time the anthem plays its final strains, all 24 of us stand in one unbroken line in what must be the first public show of unity among the districts since the dark days. You can see the realization of this as the screens begin to pop into blackness. It's too late, though. In the confusion, they didn't cut us off in time. Everyone has seen. And I, 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 again, it's just that moment to me is such a, a, a big moment. Mm-hmm. in the book and it's supposed to be a big moment in the movie but it just fell flat for me and i was very disappointed yeah. by it um uh, and then there's a line later on in the book that we don't get anything like in the movie uh where katniss it's not a line again it's katniss's inner monologue where she thinks something happened on that stage tonight that can't be undone and that again that line i wish we had had any sort of parallel for that in the movie because mm-hmm. that that kind of line it's one of those moments that kind of again gave me chills and i just i wish i don't know it's uh, we'll talk about it more in my final verge i talk about why i think those moments don't work but uh we'll get to it um ultimately she gets into the the games happen she gets into the games this is a little thing but it's a thought she has is that when she she goes up the tube and we'll talk about all that stuff later but she goes up in the tube and she arrives in the arena and as she bursts uh sort of erupts from the floor and looks around and realizes she's standing in the middle of a, a lake yeah uh, she thinks to herself, this is no place for a girl on fire, which I think it's the last line in the chapter. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, which is a great, like little, like staying on a chapter. It's a, it's a, it's a great moment, little self-referential, self-referential kind of meta moment. I loved it a lot. Um, obviously it wasn't going to be in the movie, yeah. but unless they did the announcers, I think the announcers could have done it Yeah, or, or like, Hey Mitch, they could have cut to Hey Mitch seeing it, ha- whatever they could, but whatever. There's a little de- detail when they get into the thing and they start fighting, where somebody references the fact that Katniss is is pre- supposed to be pregnant. Yeah. And she thinks to herself, uh, she remembers, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be pregnant, and thinks to herself, wait, should I throw up or something? Like, she doesn't know, <laughs> like, how to be pregnant. She's like, should I throw up? I don't know. That's what that's what pregnant people do, right? I thought it was really funny. Uh, uh, PETA hits the force field. We'll talk about that. Uh, she... She ultimately ends up, Katniss ends up leading the way because um, she she knows how to see the force field, but mm-hmm. she doesn't want to let the Capitol know that she yes. knows this. Yeah, she reasons very quickly in her mind that she can't let them know. She can't let them know that she knows to, how to see the force field. So she, uh, <laughs> she, she comes up with this story that it's because she can hear the force field because of her bionic ear that the Capitol yeah. gave her. And I thought that was a, a, a fun little detail of turning it back on the Capitol. And she's like, mm-hmm. she's like, whatever doctor did my surgery is probably not having a good day now or something like that. And I really liked that little, again, it's not, I it wouldn't work in the movie because she didn't have hearing loss. None of that right. happened in yeah. the first one. But again, uh, but yeah, and I thought it was a very good example of like really quick thinking yeah, really on quick her thinking, part. Yeah. Yeah, we're in the moment in action. She's she she can sort of like hatch very clever plans. It's mm-hmm. just sort of more removed big picture stuff that she's not not as good at. Um, and then that 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 night, the first night, they uh, they Peta cooks dinner by throwing uh, acorns at the force field to yeah. cook them. Which I because <laughs> we see her roasting throwing, nuts on yeah, the force field. Roast, yeah, uh, chestnuts roasting on a force field wall or whatever. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and then they build a hut to sleep in that night. I wish yeah. they just sleep on the ground. In the yeah, movie. I wish they would have because they build like a very elaborate camp. Finnick and Mags build because they're they live by the ocean. They they like can weave out of like reeds mm-hmm. and stuff. They they build like a very elaborate sort of hut to live uh, to sleep in and that sort of thing. And then I really wish this moment had been in Katniss finds and kills like hunts and kills like a rat of some sort. Yeah, some sort some of kind tree of rat creature. thing. 
and uh, they're they're going to cook it. They're trying to figure out how to cook it, but they don't want to light a fire. And Peter realizes he sticks it on a stick and shoves it into the force field to cook it. <laughs> and they all give him like a round of applause. And then they all stop because they remember like, what are we? What we're? What are we doing? <laughs> like they're all like, yay! Wait a second, we're gonna kill each other in like an, a day. <laughs> like that that moment of like celebration of like unhinged celebration, then remembering their situation. I thought would have been cool to see. I get why it's not in the movie. It's not really important. So they they get a, a gift uh, via parachute, um, and it's a spile. Yes. And I think I preferred in the book that she didn't immediately know what it was. Yeah. Like, I liked that she had to think about it a little bit and, like, kind of like, well, what is this yeah. thing? And then ultimately realizes, like, what it is and what right. it does. Uh, you felt differently about I, it, though. I had this in better in the movie because she, I, like, I, my note as I was reading the book was, like, oh, I guess they don't know what, like, maple tapping a tree is. Like, when she gets that and it's described, I'm like, oh, that's clearly a tap for, like, a tree. Like, you put in a tree to get, I like, mean, maples. I didn't know what it was. Oh, I'm not saying that everybody would, but I'm like, hmm, they live in Appalachia. I feel like maybe they might know what that is. And then when we go on to find out that this is something she did with her dad as a child, which is how she yeah. figures out what it is, it, it it struck me as a little odd that she didn't figure out like she didn't realize right away what it was. And so the movie having her be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's fair. But to be fair, the movie gives her the added context clue of Haymitch's note, which the books don't have notes in the packages. They just have right. items. And in the movie, it says drink up. Yeah. So like she's able to add there's that added thing. This is for water. Um, I just preferred in the movie. Like I felt like she would know what it was, especially when we realize, find out that she does know, like she literally has used this thing before. Like she would know what it was and it wouldn't, she wouldn't like forget. I don't know, but I get, yeah, that's fine. Uh, there's a point in the book when they're trying to outrun the, the like acid fog uh, yeah. where Katniss carries mags for a while, which the movie didn't even try. No, didn't even attempt it. Uh -uh. Uh, they also get covered in blisters for like a good portion yeah. of when they're in the arena in the book. And I lit, I had in my notes, I was like, I bet they don't have them be covered in blisters and scabs for, a for, bunch, half, the for half the movie. Yeah. And I, as I suspected, the blisters went away immediately. Yeah. They like washed them off. Yeah. They put them in the water, which is was what they do to get rid of it. But it's it, it, or what they do to help like. Yeah. Help uh, get the toxin out or whatever. But in the movie, it also just like whoop, yeah, washes just everything washes away. away. And their skin is clear and fresh. Uh, they also in the book, uh, the the acid stuff ruins their they're like wet clothes yeah and they run around their underwear yeah they run around in their underwear and i had in my notes i was like i bet they don't have them run around in their underwear for yeah. half the movie and predictably they did not yeah they robbed us of they robbed us of finnick O'Dare running around in his underwear for the rest of the movie it's disappointing monsters so because in the movie they have them immediately just sort of wash off the scabs in the Mm -hmm. in the water they don't have to deal with like dealing with them for a while yeah. which in the book is something they have to deal with they're like super itchy after they don't hurt anymore and they're not like dying of poison anymore but these scabs left over are like crazy itchy and stuff and Katniss asks for help and Hamish sends them some ointment to put on them mm -hmm. and there's this great moment in the book where 
they they slather themselves up in the ointment and Pete is asleep. Yeah. And they have this, they're like, there's so few moments for fun in our lives anymore. And they go, her and Finnick go and they wake up Peta by like leaning over him while he's asleep. And they this ointment makes him look like, it like turns their it's skin like, like black or green. It was kind green. Of, yeah, like I kind green. of pictured like a, a zombie makeup. Yeah, or like looking of. like the swamp thing yeah. or something. Yeah. And they both lean over Peta and wake him up and he like freaks out. And I was really hoping we'd get that moment in the movie. I had a feeling we wouldn't, but uh, I was hoping we wouldn't. Uh, what Peta says to um, one of the morphlings yes. as she dies is the, f- the female, mor- yes. or the woman morphling. Way better. Oh my god, it's so much better. Oh, so much better. Um, yeah, this is a big moment to me, and and this is one of the things. And I'll, again, this is uh, I'll talk about it in the in the final verdict. But this movie to me really fails at the big moments that stuck out to me in the book. Mm-hmm. The moments that really hit me hard in the book. The movie includes most of them, but doesn't do them the justice that I was hoping they would have. And this is one of them is that what Peta says to her is so bland and like sort of like basic in the movie versus mm-hmm. a much more compassionate, like r- realistic thing in the in the book. I'm going to read it here in a second. And because one of the other things he does that happens is that she, while she's bleeding, she's like playing because we, we, we they've established over and over again that the morphlings really like and they're called morphlings. It's actually probably like a pretty derogatory term because um, they're called morphlings because they're addicted to morphling, which is morphine, morphine basically. type of uh, drug. Yeah. They're essentially like meth heads or whatever um, or heroin addicts. And so I, I would I was actually <laughs> was thinking about it. I was like, I feel like morphling is probably not the PC thing to call these people. But uh But it is the only thing. But it's they the only thing they're calling them in the books. So um but but as they're, they're really into camouflage, they like uh they really into camouflage, they like painting, they're mm-hmm. like that's the whole thing we keep seeing them doing. It's like painting and, and PETA bonds with them over this. And there's this moment as she, as she's dying where she's like touching the paint or the the paint, the blood on her chest and like swirling her fingers in it. Um, and then she like reaches up and draws a flower on Peta's cheek with her blood, yeah. which I thought was really haunting. Um, and I just wanted to, I uh, just wanted to uh, again compare the movie's version of the lines. If you haven't read the book, to what what happens in the book, Peta crouches down on the other side of her and strokes her hair. When he begins to speak in a soft voice, it seems almost nonsensical, but the words aren't for me. With my paint box at home, I can make every color imaginable pink as pale as a baby's skin or as deep as rhubarb green like spring grass blue that shimmers like ice on water the morphling stares into Peta's eyes hanging onto his words one time i spent three days mixing paint until i found the right shade for sunlight on white fur you see i kept thinking it was yellow but it's so much more than that layers of all sorts of color one by one says Peta. the morphling's breathing is slowing into shallow catch breaths her free hand dabbles in the blood on her chest making the tiny swirling motions she loved to paint with I haven't figured out a rainbow yet. They come so quickly and leave so soon. I never have enough time to capture them. Just a bit of blue here or purple there, and then they fade away again, back into the air, says Peta. The morphling seems mesmerized by Peta's words, entranced. She lifts up a trembling hand and paints what I think might be a flower on Peta's cheek. Thank you, he whispers. That looks beautiful. And, like, that's nothing like yeah, what we get no. in the movie. In the movie, he's like, look at the sunset. Isn't it pretty? It's like, what the fuck is this? Like, the, the book <laughs> version is so beautiful and t- sad. And, um, like, ah, I, I was devastated that that moment yeah. is so bad. Like, so butchered in the movie. So, it's so uh, flat. Yeah. And just nothing. 
And it, the, the shot's pretty. Like, we get a shot from the side where he's holding her body in the water and the sunset. And it's mm-hmm. like a just... I just... I, I don't know whose idea it was to change that dialogue and not have her paint... A, but bad. 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 So bad. So bad. I honestly adored Katniss and Joanna's relationship mm-hmm. in both the book and the movie. I especially really liked the I knew the you line. would identify with this line. I knew <laughs> I really it as soon as I read liked it. the line. I, well, Katniss thinks to herself of Joanna, uh, I wonder if this is what it's like <laughs> to have an older sister who really hates you. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that line, yeah, yeah. Overall, their their relationship's great in both. Um, but yeah, that line doesn't make it into the movie. Uh, also, uh, speaking of Joanna, there's a scene in both the movie and the book where she like yells at at President Snow into mm-hmm. the into the ether, into the sky. Um, and they change the line. It's subtle, it's mostly the same. I just prefer the version in the book because she yells, whole country in rebellion. Wouldn't want that, would you? Like, like very sarcastically. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's not even that big of a difference in the movie, but something about the tweak I found not as like satisfying and cause it's not as sarcastic. It, I don't know. Something about the movie line. I just didn't like as much, um, but, but the movie does nail that. She says she has no one left that she loves, yeah. which is really heartbreaking. The line, the movie keeps that line in, which I was, I was glad that they did. Uh, little detail, but there's one moment where they they hear a cannon and they look and they see a, a contestant being pulled out of the jungle in like five pieces, which mm-hmm. is horrifying. Again, going back to the movies not capturing sort of the brutality of the games and that sort of thing. So everything happens, and we'll talk about the end uh, in other segments. But eventually, she's rescued from the ring. She destroys it. Blah blah. Uh, the resistance, the re- the rebels capture her, um, and they. She ends up getting taken. She's like dying. She's bleeding out or whatever. They end up taking her up into the their hovercraft and she wakes up in a hospital bed in the exact same way she did at the end of the Hunger Games. Yes. In a hospital bed with like tubes in her. She doesn't know what's going on. So she starts pulling all the tubes out and then she passes back out. And then when she comes to again, she is now tied to the ho- the, the, yeah. the 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 hospital yeah. bed that she's in, which is exactly what they did to her at the end of the hunger games is the capital tied her down to the bed and, you know, force, uh, fed her drugs and stuff. And this is the beginning of a very important thematic through line that we're going to get for the rest of the series, which is one that I'm not sure I'm a huge fan of. We'll have to see once I finish mocking Jay and see if I think it goes in a place that's that works or not, but is, is drawing parallels between the capitals treatment of her and the capital's motivations and the capital itself and the new resistance that is mm-hmm. trying to um overthrow the capital. Yeah. And th- this is the first little inkling we get of it in the book is is these parallels they're drawing and I would not be surprised if this is the thing that the movie ultimately changes is and again I don't remember the details but it's a thing I found very unsatisfying in the books. Um, from my memory and I wouldn't be surprised if the movie changes it and this is the first thing where the they don't really include this sort of very specific detail that I feel like the book is very intentionally including a drawing the parallel of her treatment by both of these entities Um, and so we'll see where that goes in future ones but uh, the, the the movie doesn't have her tied to tied down like it does in the book and then when she comes to we get this in the movie uh she or we get we get her grabbing a hypodermic needle in the movie mm-hmm. 
in the movie you would assume she just doesn't know where she is and she's like trying to defend herself and like whatever and like she's like, gonna with whatever she can yeah find. she grabs a needle and she's like it's probably the capitals got me i'm gonna kill who you know i'm gonna kill kill him um in the book we're in her head so we know she grabs that needle because she thinks Peta might be on the ship and she's gonna kill him so that he's not tortured by the capital because yeah. she thinks the capital has them yes and she gets that needle to kill Peta. Now, you could get that from the movie if you've read the book. Right. But, but if, you, uh, if haven't, you haven't, it's just like it, it means kind of it's just oh like, ah, oh, she just grabs right. a weapon anyways. Um, yeah. Uh, so we get an info dump yeah. at both the end of the book and the movie. I preferred the book's version. A little bit, yeah. I'm not a big fan of either. They're both a little, a like, little, a little clunky. A little clunky sort of expedition. Expedition here. Oh, we're on the final three pages. Let's explain what's going on to yeah. you and the audience. I'm not. I wasn't a huge fan of either, but I agree that the book version works a little bit better than the movie's version yeah. of it. I, I just there was something that I preferred about Katniss just summarizing here's what Haymitch told me Yeah. rather than the movie actually having them like Sit say, there it and say it her. All at her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a line that she thinks to herself or no, I don't actually, I think she thinks this to herself. I think this is a line from the book. I don't think I just wrote this. I could be wrong, but um, uh, the thought that the rebellion used her without her consent, mm -hmm. without her knowledge because they didn't tell her any of this plan. Yeah. And I think this is the thing she thinks uh, is that, you know, they use me without my consent, without my knowledge, the same way the Capitol did. And I, I, I wish the, the movie doesn't go into that at all. Mm -hmm. And again, this is another one of those moments that I think we'll see where it goes in both the book and the movie uh, and whether or not the movie changes that for a more traditional, like <laughs> satisfying ending versus what we get in the book. Um, but I, I wish they had included that because I think there is some interesting things to discuss there in terms mm -hmm. of her her agency in either system yes. yeah yeah and you know we talked in our prequel about the chosen one trope yeah and whether or not it might apply and i, I do want to continue talking about this trope like moving forward into mockingjay um but what i think is interesting is that we know one of the main um hallmarks or components of the chosen one trope is this idea of this person being the only one who can like resolve the plot in some way. Yeah. And also not having any say yeah. in whether or not they do that. Yeah. Um, because it's uh, the chosen one is a person who has been preordained by some kind of power. And very often that's like a mystical power. Very traditionally it's like cosmically or universally yeah. Yeah, or, you like, know, the, yeah, gods the, cos have chosen. the gods have chosen you. There's been uh, a prediction of some sort by the ancient yeah. ones or the, who, you this know. is your fate. Yeah. You are fated to fulfill this role. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, because I think this poses the interesting question. Is there even a difference between being fated by the gods or destiny or, or whatever you want to call it whatever. to fulfill a certain role and society deciding that you must fulfill a certain role and pigeonholing you into it. Yeah. And I would agree that there is not. I would, I, would uh, say, I, yeah. I, I would, I would argue that there is not a difference ultimately, not, not essentially, like essentially there's not a real difference between yeah. those two things. Functionally, practically. Yeah. No, 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 there's not. I mean, for her, there's very clearly no difference. Like yeah. it, for her, it plays out the exact same way. 
I mean, you, you could get into the nuances of, 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 and I think this does kind of dovetail into like a, an interesting discussion. And I, I don't want to get into it very much here. Cause we're almost done with the section, but uh, of things like free will and, mm-hmm. and what, what agency anybody has in any sort of real true capacity, because it is, you are such a, and I, and I think this is something Suzanne Collins does constantly. And it, there's no way it's a fluke because it's, it's, we've talked about it in reference to so many different characters within this world uh, of, of whether or not their, their agency is something they have any control over or, or yeah. like their, their predicament. Like we talked about, you know, with the prep team and, and, um, and the fact that, that that Katniss realizes that if she were born in the Capitol, she would probably very yeah. likely be just like the prep team is um, and that sort of thing. And I think this is just an extension of that uh, in terms of of undermining the idea of of free will in general and that um, there is no difference whether it's gods or, you know, the universe or whatever or some sort of cosmic all powerful thing saying this is your fate versus all of the all of the cogs and all of the pieces of of the existing you know society and mm-hmm. and 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 physical world that you exist in going this is what you are yeah and how can you possibly yeah you know either one both of those are equally insurmountable <laughs> like either of those are equally impossible to sort of uh subvert um for for anybody and i think it is yeah i, I think in that regard I think it's very clear that this is a a critique, not even a critique. This is a rumination on the chosen one trope mm-hmm. in a very interesting way that um, I, I was going to say unique. I'm sure it's not unique. I'm sure there are plenty of similar stories that do some, you know, kind of do the same thing. Um, but it is very uh, specific and pointed um, sort of uh, – rumination on the chosen one trope and what it means to be a chosen one and that in fact we are all our paths are all chosen by the society and, and the and the the world we grew up in and the and the and the, the circumstances we're forced into yeah and that um Katniss is absolutely a chosen one because of society chose her to be and I mean and, and people Plutarch says literally that to her. It's my next note in the yeah <laughs> in our notes here is that um, Plutarch says to her, "You're the Mockingjay. While you live, yeah. the revolution lives." I mean, yeah, he might as well be saying, "You're the, you're chosen, the chosen one." one. Yep, he literally <laughs> says, "You're the chosen one," in, in not so many words. Um, and I did want to discuss the there, there's a slight change in that dialogue in the movie versus the book, and I'm not actually sure which one I prefer. I think I prefer the book, but in the book he says, "You're the Mockingjay." While you live, the revolution lives, and in the movie he says, "This is the revolution. You're the Mockingjay." I don't know, not a subtle difference. I I get why the movie changed it. This is the revolution adds immediacy and makes it clear to the audience what is going on mm-hmm. and is like the revolution has begun. Yeah. You, you're the mocking yes. Jay. Whereas you're the mocking Jay while you live, the revolution lives is a little less impactful kind of, but also I think the you're the mocking Jay while the revolution, while you live, the revolution lives 
is a little darker in that yes, it, it absolutely it, it's it's it, it it takes away her agency again in a way that is a little like this is the revolution you're the mockingjay doesn't have any inherent baggage of like there's some baggage there but it's not the same baggage of while you live the revolution lives that yeah. puts so much so, much, so pressure much pressure and, and so much responsibility yeah. on her for something that she had no choice over yeah yes whereas this is the revolution you're the mockingjay he's not saying you're you're our only hope you know he's not yeah. saying help me obi-wan you know like but but it, so i i do kind of prefer the book version in that regard that i think it's a darker sort of and again that's another another potential clue to the idea that maybe the movies are going to go a little bit away mm-hmm. from the book's thematic sort of ending which is a little darker and grayer and less satisfying than I think a traditional movie audience would want. I'm yeah. so interested to see how these two things end. I'm very interested. Yeah. Uh, Katniss gets to, at this point is just furious at everyone and stops eating and just gives up and th- and like thinks that if she dies, maybe the that'll like if she dies, the rebellion will end. And if the rebellion ends, Peta might not be killed. Yeah. Like that's like she's like she goes on like a hunger strike basically, and they like force feed her essentially. Uh, I I don't actually remember if they do because ultimately they just send Gail in, and that kind of like like gives her a little gives her yeah it, yeah kind of ends up doing um doing the work for them. But yeah, anyways. Uh, speaking of Gail, he has the last line in this book and movie, right? He still has the last line. Yeah. Um, yes. And in the book, it's this great stinger. The book ends with the dramatic line, there is no District 12. Yeah. And the movie adds to that yes, for some reason. I agree, yeah. The movie has him say, there is no District 12. It's all gone. Yeah. Which, like, why did we need why that did we additional need that? That sentence. clarification for uh, dummies. I like. Yeah, th- like that's not even dummies. Like, you you just think we're said, all dum dums. Yeah, you just said there is no District Twelve. We know what that means. Like he just because the line before that is they came in and started dropping fire bombs. Yeah, there is no, there district, is no 12. district Twelve. And then he's like, it's all gone. It's like, yeah, man, we yeah. know. Which is a great dramatic, impactful line, and yeah. the movie ruined it. Yeah, there's no reason to add that because because no. I actually do like. And, and we'll talk about it in the next segment or remind me to talk about it. I actually like the last shot of the movie, which we don't really, because on in the book, we literally end, he says, there is no District 12. That's the last line. Yeah. That's it. And in the movie, we get this extra moment where we cut back to Katniss's eyes, um, staring kind of up, not at the camera, but like past the camera. Yeah. And we see her go through this sort of moment. And, and this is the moment in the movie where she sort of hardens for revolution. We see this like fury come into her eyes. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I like that moment in the, in it, like, I like that if they had done this, there is no district 12 and then given us that visual moment in the movie, that would have been the perfect ending for it. I don't know why they added that extra line anyways. Oh, right. <laughs> don't even tell. I'm me. not even going to tell you, uh, that's it for better in the book. Let's go ahead and find out what we thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. I really liked that this movie visualized a flashback for Katniss, like right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I I mentioned it earlier, but um, they kind of swap where we get a PTSD flashback. And I did like that it it, it surfaces when she's shooting her bow. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also that gives Gail this moment with her to comfort her because then we get it. 
later, obviously, we, it's PETA all the time who's like sort of, you know, holding her and helping her through the nightmares and that sort of thing. And I liked giving Gail this moment early on. Uh, it's not something we get in the book from my memory. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I also just really like tying it to shooting the bow. It feels like something that would make a lot of sense and would be something mm-hmm. that would potentially trigger. Uh, oh, yeah. Like a PTSD sure, flashback. Sure. And it's not something the book ever addresses. The idea of her shooting a bow doesn't ever. Yeah sort of trigger any of those yeah those kind and, of and it's not something that like goes anywhere but it, the implications of her potentially right. struggling with it. to like shoot or to hunt is interesting it is interesting i will say that i guess that is true that it, it kind of just disappears yeah and like because then like within you know when she goes to the game she's like she turns back into hawkeye <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> all right yeah. but i i still that being said i think that it is interesting to at least seed that and mm-hmm. make you think about what it means to her to be, you know, shooting a bow and what the, yeah. the kind of cost it it takes on her. I preferred that the movie just showed us Gail kissing Katniss rather than having her remember it. I think if we had gotten a quick flashback, that still would have worked. Yeah, but I agree. I think just putting it in, in sort of real time makes sense. Uh, and I also think I also thought the movie did a pretty good job. I guess this could be the movie now. I guess it's it's not really anything, but the movie does a pretty good job of truncating the Gale, setting up everything going on mm-hmm. with Gale. Uh, it happens, you know, the first three quarters of this book are before, well, I guess the first third of this book happen at, like, you know, in, in District 12, roughly, yeah. and the tour and stuff. So we get a lot of Gale interactions over the course of the first third of this book, and I thought the movie did a pretty good job sort of truncating that down mm-hmm. and getting us all the important parts of the of what's going on with them pretty quickly. Not perfect, yeah. but pretty good. Yeah, we get way more Gale in this than we do in the first installment, yeah. and I, I do think the movie did a good job of, like, condensing yeah. some of that tension and confusion. Yeah. Elizabeth Snow... Uh, Elizabeth Banks. Say here? Elizabeth Banks. <laughs> you just made her the I, president. I, did. <laughs> I mean, I'm not mad about it. Um, Elizabeth Banks as Effie is just an absolute delight. Oh yeah, as always. Yeah, she's perfect. Her and, and my note was uh, next note was Lenny Kravitz nails Cinna and mm-hmm. elevates him even further. I think both of them. Yeah, and they're not the only ones, but they're the ones that stick. Two of the ones that stick out the most to me as taking the characters beyond what we yeah, get in the book. I, which are gold star casting. Yes, both very good in the, the like both very good characters in the book, but the movie versions are just even even better. Um, I'm pretty sure this was an addition. I meant to check this and I forgot, but I'm pretty sure this was not in the book. Uh, Katniss has this added line during that first initial interview in District 12 about the generosity of the Capitol. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I don't recall that from the book, so I think I think you are correct there. Uh, as they're traveling, starting out on their district tour, I think it's when they're getting into District 11, they're driving through these tunnels in the train, and they get this very brief flash of uh, a graffitied Mockingjay on the wall of the tunnel. Is that what that was? Yeah. Where she's like, did you see that? Yeah. Okay, I missed it because I was taking a note. Yeah, it was <laughs> It was the Mockingjay okay. from the cover of the book, uh, like graffitied, you know, and spray paint on the wall. Okay, yeah, that's cool. I liked that. I had yeah. a little addition, and, and it, that's one of the reasons, too, I think that that we talked about, but the, the change with Plutarch showing because we see so much of the Mockingjay in re- in reference to the rebellion, and this is one of those instances. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but I like it. I loved that the movie popped really quickly back to Haymitch and Cinna uh, when Peta promises money to yeah. ruin Thresh fam- Thresh's families, um, and Cinna like, can he 
do that yeah. and Hamish like he can't but, but he, he just, just did. did yeah I also had that in better in the movie and I thought that whole I just the speaking of that whole that whole moment um with Rue and Thresh's family at the 11 ceremonies that whole scene I think the movie pretty much nailed in terms of they uh Peta's speech uh giving the money to the families like one month of the winnings each year um and I also really like and it's a moment that I thought was really interesting uh in terms of uh so Peta says he starts the speech. He says a bunch of nice stuff. And then towards the end, he says, there's nothing we could possibly do to repay you. But then he actually does something. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was a very, there's something to, cause it's very often, you know, that, that uh, sort of well-meaning liberals for lack of a, I don't mean that, but like, you know, well-intentioned people like, Oh, you know, it's, uh, there's nothing I could ever do to repay you. It's especially, it's something, you know, you would hear, um, something like a, a a boss might say to you mm-hmm. about like uh you know there's uh, acknowledging your how important you are in words only it's like well you could give me money you could yeah. pay me more you could give me a raise you could give me a, a raise bonus, and i liked bro. that in this moment that Peta says these nice words but it isn't he doesn't just yeah it isn't just words it's it's more than that he actually backs up the, the, those nice words with actual actions and i th- i thought that was uh, yeah. a nice thing and an important thing yeah. too it means it ends up potentially being a bad thing but that's not right, he didn't know he that. didn't know that <laughs> Here, yeah this is a really little thing and i think it would be easy to miss but they're when they're talking up in the dome i loved that Peta called katniss cat mm-hmm. yeah he has a nickname for her uh as they're traveling on to another district uh we see some more graffiti on a wall as they're pulling in i don't remember what district i don't know if we even know what district it is but they're pulling into another district and there's this graffiti on the wall that says the odds are never in our favor yeah and i liked that uh again a callback to the may the odds be ever in your favor uh, it's not a line we see anywhere in the at least in this book mm-hmm. uh, in the first two books it may show up in the third one or something um but i thought it was a fun idea to play on that sort of famous line yeah and turn it into a uh an act of like a, a, a an act of rebellion and and a sort of referential of the fact that no the odds are never in yeah. our favor I like that i also liked the moment of uh, the in one of the districts there's this little girl that looks up at katniss and says yeah someday i'm gonna volunteer just like you did and, katniss and is just like, oh. just the horror on katniss's face yeah uh, speaking of little girls emulating Katniss, there we get a cutaway at one moment to uh, President Snow, and he's there with his granddaughter at like the dinner table mm-hmm. or something. Who's not a character in this? No, book. she's not in this book. I don't, I don't know, know if she shows she should, up in yeah, Mockingjay. I don't remember, um, but it's his granddaughter character who shows up a couple times in this one. And in this scene, uh, she has her hair braided, a side braid, yeah. as we discussed in the first episode. <laughs> and the president remarks about it, uh, about her hair, and she goes, oh, yeah, everybody does their hair like this at school um, yeah. because of Katniss or whatever. And I, I just like that, you know, the way it grates on him. And I, I just love that that, that even that, you know, even the people in the Capitol, it, mm-hmm. it's, her influence is spreading everywhere and the way that sort of infuriates. It's just a nice little scene to show and and to to stoke along the president's um yeah to to show how that really bothers his ego yeah yep uh, I do there's a little scene at the party where uh, after the the scene with the the drinks that make people throw up you know Peta's sitting there looking around at all this food and there's a line in the movie where he says like all this food and everybody in District Twelve is starving or something like that mm-hmm. and the the book goes a or sorry um. 
Oh, this should have been better in the book. I don't know why this is here. I put this in the wrong place. This is my bad because this is only in the book that he says this. Okay. Yeah, I put this I in the wrong place because this line isn't in the movie, but in the book he has this. Yeah, I, I I don't know why I put this in the wrong section, but in the in the book he has a line during that. In the movie he's just like, oh, all those people starving and they're just mm-hmm. here with all this food. In the book he goes on to say, maybe we were wrong to subdue things in the district, yeah. a, a, like showing us that Peta is sort of comrade Peta. Yeah, com- Peta is a. Uh, <laughs> Is sort of start starting to slowly buy into the the, the revolution narrative, and I thought that was a, again sort of setting up where we're going here in a, in a nice way. Again, that's a better in the book. My mistake on that. I prefer uh, at the party. I prefer the conversation with Plutarch in the movie more. I think it's apart from him not showing her the the Mockingjay, which I think you could argue either way, yeah. depending on the the medium and how the story is told, which is better. But in the movie, I think you. Without showing the the Mockingjay, his conversation alludes a lot more to his motives mm-hmm. and what he's doing in the movie in a really subtle way that works really well. Mm-hmm. I think the movie does a really good job. If you're looking at it and thinking about his conversation, you could suss out that maybe he's like, and, and I wish I had like his actual lines. I didn't write them down because I was busy writing other stuff, but I think if you really paid close attention to his lines as you were watching the movie, you could gather that maybe there's something going on with him, but it's not as obvious as if him showing a Mockingjay symbol. And I liked that a lot. So I just kind of slightly preferred the tweaks uh, to the dialogue with him in the movie. And also just, um, what's his name? Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is fantastic Mm -hmm. and he crushes it in this role. Um, I think he's in this, the sequel. These films are just really well cast. Oh yeah, they're like all around. They're very, very, very well, well cast. cast. Yeah, yeah, he does a great job, and I, I, I think he's in the sequel because this is one of his last movies. Because uh, mm. he died, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman passed away right after. Yeah, this one or the next one, but. I liked that the movie gave President Snow the line uh, when he toasts to uh, Peta and Katniss's engagement. Uh, every every day for as long as you may live. Yeah. A very chilling very line chilling, in uh, that moment. Ominous line, yeah. I also thought the strategy session that we see, we see a couple of them, but this yes. this first one um I thought was interesting, the strategy session between Snow and Plutarch Heavensby. I thought it was a little weird that the movie made him into more of like a general advisor. Yeah. Kind of, but the scene is interesting. Um, I think I, it makes sense. Well, because it's the same thing that the first movie does. Yeah. Whereas him and Seneca, we see them. Right. But in the first movie, I felt like it was more like Snow was pulling him in to be like, what are you doing? Right. Yeah, Whereas that's fair. in this one, it seems like Heavensby is like advising him yeah. on what I think, to do. I think I, I buy the idea that the head game maker being as important as he is sort of is just part of the president's inner circle. Yeah. And is, you know what I mean? Yeah. I do think it's weird, though that they talk about making Katniss look frivolous and vapid while also being more brutal. Like that's the strategy they yeah. discuss in this scene. And then they only do the brutality. Yeah. <laughs> like, especially since the book gave us this ready-made uh, reality TV voting for her wedding dress, yeah. which would be the perfect way to make her look frivolous and awful. Yeah, and But the movie just abandons that abandons entirely. That, yeah. yeah, you're right. I did like that scene as well between the two of them. I thought that was really interesting. Them kind of discussing yeah. how to handle the, the whole Katniss situation. Problem. Yeah. 
Uh, I also really liked Thread's introduction in the yes. movie. Uh, yeah. I particularly the moment where they black bag the old peacekeeper. Like we 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 get we get told you know the Thread shows up and then we get told that the old peacekeeper's gone or the old head peacekeeper's gone. But I like that literally we black bag him in the in the movie and then we see like a montage of them like assembling the whipping post in the square and burning down the hob. I thought it was just a really effective little montage mm-hmm. that again is kind of described in passing in the book, but not in the same sort of striking way that it happens in the movie. Uh, I also, and we mentioned this earlier, but the difference, um, overall, the whipping scene I prefer in the book, but uh, I do like changing what the, the, the impetus for that in the, in the movie, in the book, he, like we said, he's hunting on the land mm-hmm. and that's why he gets thing, which has its own merits. But in the movie, they're attacking uh, one of the peacekeepers or like, I think it's thread is wailing on some random person from the hob and Gail like runs and tackles him. Yeah. Um, and I did like giving that like Gail standing up for the people being, the, yeah. you know, as yeah. opposed to just like breaking some dumb rule. It, 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 it adds more to his character, I think in an interesting way of him mm-hmm. fighting for the people. Uh, and that being what leads to his punishment. I, I like, I, yeah. I, again, I like think yeah. they both have their merits, but I do like that change. Uh, so when they bring Gail back to her, uh, her mother's house, um, to treat his, his wounds. Uh, I liked that the movie gave Prim a very obvious moment of capability while they're treating him where like her, her mom's hands are shaking and she can't quite get the needle. Oh, is that, I missed that part of it that her mom's hands were shaking. Yeah. And Prim like takes it from her and is like, let me do it. Okay. I don't like that then. I hate that. What? Well, sorry. No, I like Prim doing that, but I hate that her mom's hands are shaking because that I had this in the movie. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I liked the moment of, of capability for Prim yeah. is what I was going to say, even though I don't think it tracks with what we know about their mom. Yeah, in fact, I actually think that's a really weird change because I I had this in the movie, nailed it, because I, Katniss has this note about how the only time her mother knows who she is is when she's treating sick people. Yes, exactly. Her mom goes into business mode, and it's like the one time where she's in her element, and she's like unflappable, and I really liked seeing kind of where Katniss gets some of that from Mm -hmm. her mom has that within her and it's in very specific circumstance when she's healing people. And, and I, so I missed in the movie that her mom was like, I I just thought Katniss or Prim was just helping and gave the shot. I I missed her mom, like not being able to do it or something. And I don't like that at all. Um, because yeah like i said i had this in the movie nailed it because i thought we saw her mom kind of from my memory in the scene i remember her mom like go like clearing off the table and like going into business mode and so i was like cool they got and i started writing notes and i think i just missed yeah. um that she was like kind of didn't couldn't handle it or something so yeah i i don't like that um but i do like that it also gives us that little hint of prim taking to healing which is yes. important for yeah. next book uh, i also a little detail that is not in the book is that they're treating him with like it looked like alcohol or something mm-hmm. so they're treating gail with something in like a, a clear bottle it looks like alcohol and haymitch grabs the bottle and pours them in a teacup as they're doing it and i and thought haymitch. that was a fun little haymitch <laughs> addition I thought it was a, a little a good moment. Uh, my next note also should have been in better in the book. That's my bad. <laughs> well, when the even. notes are fourteen pages long, it's real hard it's to figure real, out where it's notes go. It's real hard. To, yeah, it gets confusing very fast, yep. especially trying to put things in order within yep. each of those sections. Uh, but you mentioned it earlier that Snow decides that all of the previous victors are a problem, 
And I, I like the idea that he just wants to get rid of Katniss yeah. and everyone else is just insignificant collateral damage and he doesn't really think it through. I thought this, I had the same note that he's like, oh, all the victors think they're better than the cat. Like, yeah. uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't track with the what we get from, because none of the rest of them, from what we know at this point, are, have any have have sparked any sort of ire in the eyes of the capital none of them are doing yeah. anything to to to, to be like rebellious Joanna, maybe 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 and finnick maybe but but it, not that we can tell from it yeah. like, and it's just one of those things where it seems kind of out of nowhere that he's like yeah oh, we'll take down all these all these victors and and it just felt a little i guess it's setting up the dynamic of the victors sort of rebelling against the capital by him right. being like opposed like wanting to take out all of them i don't know i agree i i wasn't a big fan of that slight change in the in the movie uh there's a great line that is in both the book and the movie where katniss realizes nobody decent ever wins the games and i think in the book it might be a thought she has to herself i don't know Mm -hmm. if she actually voices it in the movie she voices it to haymitch she says nobody decent ever wins the games and haymitch um replies with nobody ever wins the games period yeah and i liked that little additional like line to that um i like that line again whether or not it's said out loud in the book and i like haymitch's response i thought that was a clever a good addition i liked uh katniss and Peta saluting back to everyone in district 12 after they're reaped yeah and i think i like too that it that sort of implies that the reason that they don't get to say goodbye in the movie is because of that there's yeah. like a because they do that and then they immediately like drag them away and throw them on the chain on the trains he's like change of plans or whatever she's yeah. like i get to say goodbye and he's like nope and I, I there's a little bit it's sort of implied that because of that moment that that's why they don't get to say goodbye i liked that Oh, we had the same note here. Yeah. We both really liked that the movie has Katniss wait to light up her dress in the chariot scene until immediately after making eye contact with Snow. Yeah. She meets his eyes and then flames. <laughs> yeah, flames. Yeah, and it's great. I love it. Fantastic. And then moving forward a little bit, when she, uh, then this happens in the book too. She, she's, when she's showing off for her individual thing with the game makers um she hangs a dummy and paints seneca crane's name on it to to send a message to them them. but i the movie and maybe it wasn't a good decision because it just made me laugh no i think it's a good decision but the movie has her paint his dumb dumb facial hair onto the dummy yeah it's fantastic i was weak oh my god yeah yeah, I loved that. And then I also, so I had that in the movie nailed at that scene in general because it's spot on. But then I also, on top of the the facial hair, which is a good note, um, she does the exact same bow that yes. she did at the yeah. at, in the the same, um, the little personal, you know, thing with the gameskeepers in the first movie where after she shoots the arrow at him, she bows. She does the exact mm-hmm. same thing. And I thought that was a, a nice little um, callback to that. Yeah. I liked the added line, um, when Joanna is interviewing with uh, Caesar mm-hmm. um, and she flips she goes out. off. Yeah, she goes off and he's just like one yeah. woman's opinion. Well, that's one woman's opinion. Yeah, I, that was a great line. I had <laughs> I had the, and we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But yeah, I loved that line. That was an addition for the movie. I liked the movie's changes to Katniss's wedding dress. 
from what's described in the really? book. Really? I have this in my odds and ends because I wasn't sure which I preferred. I didn't know. And I was going to read the description later I of the dress. I do think that the movie dress looks more like a red carpet dress it doesn't than really a, wedding like a dress. wedding dress. Yeah. But I don't think that, because what's described in the book is like this heavy gown with like long It has sleeves like that hit the floor. Long sleeves and, yeah. and uh, like ropes of pearls. And it sounds very like medieval. It does almost. actually. It actually, that's what I thought. That's why I thought it sounded And I'm not sure that it would have had the same impact as what's in the movie yeah the the description from i'll just read it now the description in the in the book is heavy white silk with a low neckline and tight waist and sleeves that fall from my wrist to the floor and pearls everywhere pearls stitched into the dress and in ropes at my throat and forming the crown for the veil i mean similar i would wear that wedding dress that's like almost the exact wedding (laughs) dress i want yeah but i don't know that visually it would have had the same dramatic impact as what we get in the movie it also feels like it doesn't fit into although which i think is interesting in its own way but it doesn't fit in like the the dress we get in the movie very clearly feels like it somewhat ties into like capital fashion and it's like Mm -hmm. this like you said it's this like uh red carpet like over the top elaborate uh sleeveless you know like very very tight fitted but then it flares out and there's all this um tool yeah and it's got like a, a crazy like shoulder yeah. thing that goes yeah. up into the it air it feels like it fits in the capital yeah and, and and i think that does that the fact that it feels like it fits a little more into the capital sort of stylistically does add on to the ultimate reveal like the ultimate moment of the wedding dress where yeah. it burns off of her yes yeah i think that i think that works really well I liked the little shot of Hamish toasting Peta after he uh, says the baby line. Yeah. Tips his glass to him. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought Effie's emotional moment. Which one? Um, this is before. Is this when they say goodbye? Yes, I think this is when they yeah. say goodbye. Yeah. Um, Effie's like emotional moment there yeah. was good in the movie. Um, again, Elizabeth Banks yep. just elevates Great. everything. Uh, and then they give they give President Snow a great line um, when he's rewatching the footage of all of them holding hands, um, and I guess somebody else says like they're all holding hands. Yeah. And he's like, I want them dead. <laughs> yeah, just real <laughs> villain shit. <laughs> just real on the nose villain yeah. shit. <laughs> um, I had this in better in the movie because I like it's kind of mixed. I like the tension of this scene. So when we get into the arena right off the bat um, in the book, Peter is stuck on his platform because he doesn't know how to swim. Yeah. He just stuck there and eventually Finnick has to go get him and bring him back in the movie. He's kind of stuck on his platform, but he gets into a fight with some other random. Conf- yeah, we don't ever see who it is. is. Yeah. And they end up, they're kind of fighting in the water and then they both go under and we hear a cannon and we see a body float up and then PETA surfaces. And Does I he kill that wasn't guy sure if PETA killed that guy underwater, but also we saw Finnick dive in to go to him. Yeah. Like before that happened, like as they're struggling in the water, Finnick dives in like he's going to get PETA. So maybe, but we don't ever see Finnick there. So I don't know if yeah. he did it. We don't know. It's I'm, a little confusing. I'm going to head cannon because I, I think the idea of PETA actually killing someone is very contrary to yes, his character. I agree. And the whole point of PETA. Right. Uh, so I'm going to headcanon that PETA threw a trident underwater like Aquaman and killed you that other Finnick. guy. Yes, Finnick, Finnick did. Tr- yes, I agree. I agree that is what happened. Um, <laughs> 
And I also like that he just can't. I like so the thing I like about it in the movie is the tension, the added tension there of them struggling and the mm-hmm. can't. I like that kind of like I think it's a fun I like reveal of, of like oh what happened. Um, but I also I prefer in the book I think that he just can't swim because he doesn't. Why would he be able to yeah, swim? Why like, would he know he's not the only. Yeah. There's several contestants who just can't swim. And we know that we only know that Katniss can swim because her dad used to sneak her under yeah. the fence and go to go to the lake. lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's kind of mixed on me on that scene, but I, I don't know. Uh, so the monkeys in the book, I think, are just described as, like, orange monkeys. Yeah, orange monkeys or something. In the movie, they're baboons. Yes. And this was possibly something very personal to me. My note here just says, ew, baboons. <laughs> because I do not like baboons. I did not know that. I, I, I really don't particularly care for any primate. They freak me out a little bit. Oh. Um, I, I, some of the baby, I'm a some primate, of the, Katie. <laughs> some of the baby ones are cute, but like mostly, it, it for me it rides a line of being like very terrifying and also kind of uncanny valley ish, and I really just don't care for that. That's fair. Uh, I, mean, I don't, I say that's I don't fair. care I, for what like that primates. elicits in me. I think they're cool. Um, but baboons, I personally find particularly terrifying. So fair this enough. this was. This was a personal one for me. Fair Baboons, enough. very scary. Uh, I had the monkey, the baboon attack, and maybe they're not monkeys. They might, I don't know if baboons are primates or monkeys, but um, it doesn't matter. But <laughs> Well, it's monkeys or apes, right? Because they're both primates, but then oh, there's yeah. monkeys and apes. I think you're right. And I'm pretty sure baboons are monkeys and right. not apes. I think you're right. I, I don't know. I always get that confused. Um, but anyways, I like the, the I like that. I thought this is pretty much a movie nailed it overall. And then the morphling saving PETA. Um, the one thing that I, I, I had this for the reason I had this in the, uh, the movie was better is I like that in the, in this moment in the book, we just like the morphling just appears and jumps yeah. in front of PETA. In I the, had to read that like three times. Yeah, I was like, oh, I was what, like what's what? happening okay. in the movie? We see that the morphling is like hiding camouflaged in the roots in the tree yes. behind PETA and then yeah. comes out of that. I thought that was cool and, and wasn't something described in the book. And yeah. I thought it made a lot of sense to kind of clarify where the morphling came from and like what. Right. Happened. And it makes sense, too, because we know that they're good at camouflage. Yeah. 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 I like that Joanna grabbed Katniss when the island started spinning. Mm-hmm. And was trying to like hold on to her and yeah. not let her fling off. I also thought that showing them trying to dodge the weapons as everything started to fly around was yeah. a good touch. Yeah. I uh I really liked that they amp up in the movie. It felt to me like they amped up the very obvious conspiracy between Joanna Finnick and BT in the scene where they like sp- at the end where they're BD has the plan about like running the wire to the beach mm-hmm. and in the book and the movie, both of them, he's like, uh, Joanna and Katniss, you take this down to the beach. And Katniss is like, well, why, how about me and Peta go and you guys stay here and protect, you know, yeah. BD or whatever. And they're like, no. And they all kind of share this look in the movie. Yeah. And it's very clear to us as an audience that there's something going on here. And it's less clear in the. And I think that's in purpose, to be fair, because I think we're in Katniss's kind of perspective in the book and she doesn't really. Mm-hmm. She's a little bit like because there are moments throughout the book and the movie where she's like, what is going on? Why is everybody trying to saving PETA? What, what is that? Like, she doesn't know what's going on. But I thought the movie did a good job sort of amping up that conspiracy in this moment to make us as the audience a little bit more like what? What are they? Why are they all looking at each other like that? Like, what's going on? Uh, I like that. 
I also really like, so the big final moment is she gets back and she thinks everybody, like it's chaos has ensued mm -hmm. and she thinks everybody's turned on them and she doesn't know what's going on. Joanna has stabbed her at this point and run off. She doesn't know where Peta is. She doesn't know where anybody is. And she's back by the tree with the, the, the lightning tree. And uh, in the book, I believe Joanna runs through, like she sees Joanna, she sees somebody. I don't remember mm -hmm. if it's Joanna or Finnick or whatever, but she sees them from far away and she aims at them thinking about like ready to shoot them and kill them yeah. because she's like, if I, I'm dying, if I kill this person, it's like PETA and one other person because she's counted the cannons and yeah. she knows most of the people are dead except for like a few people. And she's like, I can kill it might even be two people. It might be Finnick and Joanna in front of her or something. She's like, I can kill them. And then maybe PETA only has to kill one person and he'll survive. And she's about to shoot whoever this is she's looking at. And then she remembers Hamish's last line to her before she went into the arena, which yeah. was, uh, remember who, you, who the real enemy is or yes. remember who your real enemy is or something like that. And, it, and that's what happens in the book. In the movie, Finnick runs through the trees and she aims at him. And again, she doesn't know what side Finnick's on. It's kind of all descended into chaos and she's not sure what's going on. And she's about to shoot Finnick. And he says to her, remember who the real enemy is or your mm -hmm. real or remember who your enemy is. And that triggers her memory of, of uh, Hamish. And I preferred that in the movie, having him say that as yes, opposed to. Absolutely. I think it, I, I think the mo the book's version works for the book because we're in her head and we can have her just remember that moment. So I think it, it's OK in the book, but I think in the movie you needed somebody saying it to her as opposed to like what. It, otherwise, the option in the movie is we get I was waiting. I thought we were going to get like whoop, like a flashback to her looking at Hamish and him being like, remember who your enemy, you know, like an Obi-Wan moment. <laughs> yeah. where it's like, Luke, use the foot. Like, I, I was worried we were going to get that um, or something. And so I liked Finnick. It makes yeah. sense. He's part of this conspiracy. Yes. Him saying that to her, I think, makes perfect sense. So I like that change. And I, I like, too, that it is a little tip off that. Yeah. He's, that he's in, in on, on it. it. Yeah, I agree. I liked that uh, when right before she shoots the force field, we go back to President Snow and it looks like she's shooting at him the through the screen. Yeah. yeah. Like she's aiming at the camera. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then his bewildered. That's, that's not, not possible. possible. Yeah. As it all starts collapsing. Yeah. And I did, I did like seeing the dome collapse. Yeah. I have conflicting feelings about this final scene, but we'll talk about it. I felt like the, the scene in the book for me was a little hard to read and like orient myself. And I, I liked just seeing it. I agree. I agree with that. I agree that it was a little hard to suss what was going on, but I liked the chaos of it kind of, and that you're supposed again, cause we're from Katniss's perspective and she does not know what's happening. Mostly <laughs> like she's just sort of acting without really knowing what's going on. And the movie, We'll talk about it in just a second in our next segment, which is the movie Nailed It. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Uh, we get uh, at the very beginning of the movie and you're introduced to Hamish's house in Victor's village. And it's just like a horrifying mess. It's not. I will say the movie's version was less messy than I envisioned it in the book, but it's pretty close. It's like, you know, yeah. booze bottles everywhere and everything, that sort of thing. And Hamish is drunk. Uh, Katniss throws water on him <laughs> to, to wake, wake him up. up and then he jumps up with his knife that he yeah. sleeps with. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember if this was in the movie or not, but there's a, a recurring thing that in, I think it is at least once that um, Gail is the, the store cover story for Gail is that he's her cousin, mm -hmm. Katniss's cousin. And I think the movie mentioned this once. So I put it here because I, 
I don't know. This is a little detail. I'm pretty sure that got mentioned at least once in I the could movie. could be wrong about that. I don't that know. That they make a reference to, like, oh, your cousin or something like that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the conversation between her and Snow in the study yeah. was pretty spot on. There were some changes, but a lot of it was yeah. there. Including one very, a couple specific lines, but one that I, I thought that I made a note of when I was reading it. Uh, uh, he says, um, you know, the something about her actions and upsetting the balance or something like that. And she says, it must be very fragile if a handful of berries can bring it down, yeah. uh, which is a great line. And they included that one in the movie. And then also, I think Donald Sutherland is so good as Snow. I oh, don't know he if really he, is. I don't know if he elevates the role because Snow's good in both. Like, and I yeah. don't know if he to the same level that like Elizabeth well, Banks it, or Katniss. It's a little or, different because he, he plays Snow a little more like uh, forebodingly paternal yeah. than what we get in the book. Yeah. So it's just different. It, and it might be better in the, it might, maybe his portrayal could be better in the movie, but he's just, he's perfect. He's spot on. And, uh, uh, th- including the line where she goes, so I have to convince everybody that, um, that me and Peter are in love. And he says, no, convince me. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Uh, the conversation that Peta and Katniss have on the train about their favorite colors. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought that was nice that they included yeah. that. Uh, and then the uh, dystopian militarism of District 11. And it goes back to something we talked about before of the, the difference in, in even within this, you know, terrible fascistic uh, continent, continent country that even dis- different districts have sort of different conditions and that District 11 has much more intense walls and guards and they have like, it, it, she mentions when they drive in, they she notices that there are metal plates under the wall so mm-hmm. that you can't dig under it, kind of how she does to get out, yeah. of, out of the District 12. And it, again, just sort of setting that even though they all have it terrible, some districts have it even worse than yeah. other districts. And the whole uh, scene with Katniss giving a, a speech about Rue and Thresh yeah. um, and ends up inadvertently instigating more rebellion. Instigating more rebellion. And and specifically the moment where um, she gives this speech and at the end, this old man in the crowd salutes her and, and does the, the whistle, mm-hmm. the, the Rue's whistle. Um, and then they end up dragging that guy up on top of the the stage and executing him in front of everybody. Yeah. And uh, we get to see that in, in the movie. Yeah. And which, which we know from Rue from the first book is something that routinely happens yeah. in their district. Yeah. And um, we get to see it in person. And I, it's equally horrifying in the in the movie as it kind of is in the book. There's some slight differences in how it plays out, but it's essentially the same. Um, one thing that I thought was kind of disappointing, I say disappointing, just again, sort of the movie doing its PG 13 rating is we mm-hmm. see them carrying away this old man's body and there's like no blood. They're like, yeah. they shot him in the head point blank range. And we see his face and, He's like, we don't see a wound. We don't yeah. see, they just care. And there's no blood on the, the, they're carrying them over white stone. Like how easy would it be to have like a trail of blood? Yeah. Like a it little, just small, like, and it's just, and it's again, it's just one of those things. that's just like, okay, I, I get it. It's a PG 13 movie, but you, 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 we just executed an old man on, on the stone, on the steps of the, the point is the brutality of it. Yeah. Like, you're kind of whitewashing it a little bit. I don't know. It just That was a little disappointing, but overall it still works. And I thought it was effective. I thought the conversation that Katniss and Peta have with Haymitch while they're up in the dome 
yeah. was pretty spot on. Yeah, and Peta ends up really mad at them that they kind of kept him. They were talking and kept him out of the loop mm-hmm. in terms of like uh, about the, the the rising tensions within the districts and how him giving this gift may actually be a bad thing. His action, his reaction in the book is like more over the top. He starts like breaking stuff, which actually felt a little bit out of character for Peta. Yeah, and the movie version actually is a little bit more like he's angry, but he's not like slamming things around. Feels a little yeah. bit more like Peta. Um, but it's it's very similar. And then this is a moment that I had, I think, was earlier in the book. It doesn't actually happen here in the book, but the movie, it, it's something Katniss is just thinking to herself about how she realizes she has to be with PETA forever because mm-hmm. society demands it of her. And in this moment, Hamish is giving them this speech and he voices a lot of that. Like in the dome, he's talking to them about how you have to keep doing this. You guys have to yeah. live happily ever after. Yeah, because they trot him out every year. Yeah, he's like, you got to keep doing this forever, and it, he's he's voicing a lot of the same things that she kind of was was dreading and thinking about internally earlier. Um, and I thought uh, I thought that was interesting, mm-hmm. or, or not interesting. I thought it was nice that the movie at least put some of that to voice. Um, some yes. of her the societal demands on her to be part of this, you know, allonormative relationship. Uh, and then we, the, the movie does sort of montage through the victory tour in the same way that the book does. We don't really spend much time. They kind of, we just get snippets of what's yeah, going yeah. on after district 11. We, yeah, we montage yeah. and, and it kind of discuss how in some of the districts they're more rebellious. And we see that like some of the districts, people are like actively like angry and there are mm-hmm. people saluting and, and, and some of them they're like yelling and stuff. And then other ones, they're a little more beaten down kind of like they are in district 12, um, so I like seeing that again, it kind of captures what's happening in the book there. Uh, and then also this is where we, we get in the movie that Katniss is having these recurring nightmares at night where yeah. she wakes up and then this is where Peta starts coming in and sleeping with yeah, her to kind of comfort her. Sleeping together to, uh, kind of stave off those nightmares. Yeah. And it's also very scandalous on the train because <laughs> everybody's like, Ooh, what are they doing? <laughs> oh, you know, just dealing with PTSD. It's fine. <laughs> uh, um, so we get, she gets to see that uh, District 8 is revolting and burning it down. I pref- I do actually prefer how it happens in the book with her, mm-hmm. like, seeing it in the mayor's, as, like, secretly seeing it in the mayor's office and that sort of thing. But it essentially happens the same way in the book. She just, I think she sees it in, like, the security car and the, the yeah, train. Yeah, while she's on the train. And it, it, since we cut out Madge and the mayor and all that, I think that's a... Yeah, it works. It works, and it, and it does get a, across basically the same thing of her seeing kind of a, a bit of what's going on in other places. Uh, and then as soon as she talks to Gail about the fact that she saw that eight is, is re- <laughs> that eight is rebelling, uh, Gail is all in. Oh, no one will ever be as thirsty for anything as Gail is for revolution. Yeah. Yeah. Good for Gail. <laughs> He's ready to go. Um, uh, as speaking of Gail, after he gets his, his horrifying, uh, whipping in the square and he comes back to be treated, uh, by Katniss's mom, um, they put a snow coat on him, which is like a very specific thing that she does mm-hmm. to help heal people because they're poor and they don't have anything. They like take snow and they mix it with a couple herbs or something and then like yeah. coat his entire back with it to help him heal. And we get to, they mention that in the movie. Um, and Katniss does in this moment in both the book and the movie, um, she kisses Gail and says, I'm going to stay right here and cause all kinds of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, in this moment, she decides that she has chosen Gail but she then, has chosen violence. <laughs> but then, of course, it gets more complicated. It gets more complicated than that, yeah. 
Uh, I I also thought the movie nailed her reaction to the quarter quell announcement when they announced that it's all, uh, you know, it's going to be the returning victors that go Mm -hmm. back in for the games Uh, in the book. She and in the movie, she like just freaks out and just runs off and like has a panic attack in the woods. And it's like she's in like a basement. or Yeah, she goes in like a cellar in one of the houses. Essentially the same thing. Like she just. Yeah, she like has a panic attack. Uh, and then after she recovers from that, she goes to drink with Haymitch. She's like, fuck this. I need a drink. Uh, and the whole thing plays out very similarly where he's like, Peta was already here. He's, yeah. he's telling me I got to keep you alive. And now you're here to um, to convince me to keep him alive. And she's, you know, that she, she's arguing that Haymitch has to let or uh, she's arguing that she, he has to help her keep Peta alive since he didn't help Peta in like yeah. he helped her in the first in the last games so now he's obligated to help her keep Peta alive in this game because you know that sort of thing um I thought yeah I, the conversation plays out exactly the same and then we get yeah. a line that uh, yeah Hamish's line to Katniss <laughs> you could live a hundred lifetimes and not deserve him yes pure Peta <laughs> pure pure as the driven snow Peta um, and then, uh, God bless Effie, uh, wanting Hamish and Peta to have gold tokens to match her hair and Katniss's pin. Uh, it's her own little fashion rebellion. Yeah. Effie. You know what I just realized? Who would have been a great Effie? Not th- Elizabeth Banks is perfect, but who would have been a great capital character? Moira Rose. Oh, my God. <laughs> she's like (laughs) she just like is yeah basically (laughs) like if they if effie lived through the revolution and there was like an older effie that like she could just be moira rose she could oh god oh inobara uh one of the Mm -hmm. one of the career tributes has filed teeth i i i think do they mention in the movie why she well they they say like she likes to rip people's throats oh, okay. out in the so movie. they do yeah in, but yeah. they don't go into like the history of like that's how she won yeah her, in the books they talk about how she won her games by literally ripping the throat out of somebody with her teeth and then after that as like you know to commemorate it she yeah. filed her teeth into like yeah gold-plated um piranha teeth the first interaction between Finnick and Katniss when they meet before the parade, we both turned to each other after this scene and we're like, did they change a single word? I don't think they from did. this scene. It's it's so wild to watch that scene and realize it is gotta be like word for word from the book. The entire scene. It's and and this movie or this book, this movie is a fairly faithful adaptation in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but. But for for a whole scene like this, like a whole like three minute scene, every single moment of it is identical. Yeah. And it, yeah. it was, it was kind of wild. I did have at least a little bit of that in Better in the Book because they kept Finnick's line about her pretty little girl dresses. Yeah, we mentioned, yeah. Even though they didn't dress her in any pretty little girl dresses in this movie. No, they did at least, I will say... At the end of the first movie, in the interview after the games, she is wearing like her, yeah, like, like her a, yellow dress. Her yellow dress. So he, it could be a reference to that. But you're right that it, it doesn't make as much sense because yeah. we haven't had the recurring theme of her being dressed up. And yeah, um, and also I like that the movie 
kept the the fact that, and of course it makes sense because they they had they haven't completely misunderstood Katniss's character. They just sort of limited her because of, or limited the the, the portrayal of her because of not having being in her head. Mm-hmm. Um, but like none of Finnick's sort of sexy wiles work on her at all. She's just like he does, immune he to does it. Have wiles. Yeah, she's just immune to yeah. it. Yeah, and he is also wearing nothing but a net. Yes. In the movies, he's got a. It's not exactly how I imagined it in the book, but it's 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 close. Also, um, and and I think the actor did a really good job. The actor who plays Finnick. Yeah. But just on like looks alone, a plus casting. Really, I actually had the opposite note. You think so? I thought I had it in my odds and ends, but we can talk about it now. I had. I th- not opposite. It's just he wasn't the type of handsome I was expecting Finnick to look like. And I don't hmm. know what it was. I found something about him. I don't know. When I saw him, he just wasn't as like dreamily handsome. Like he wasn't the type of handsome that I expect every single person in the world to be tripping over. Like he's a handsome man, but something about it wasn't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, maybe it's his personal preference. I don't know, but I just <laughs> didn't think he was like, that handsome. All right. Well, let us know how you guys felt about Phoenix casting. I don't know. I'm trying to think of who would make more sense for that. I, and I did. I, I wish I would have come up with like uh, an example of who I think would, because I'm sure I could if I thought for like ten minutes, like this person is mm-hmm. like who I would imagine. But yeah, he just wasn't quite, wasn't quite it. Not quite. Mm. I don't know. Not like terrible. And I think he does a good job. I just I don't know. Didn't quite land for me. And then we had. Uh... Oh no! Wait, I skipped your next note. Oh yeah. yeah. So the um, uh, just the opening costume, the opening ceremony costume, basically. I thought yeah, it was pretty much exactly the same. And there's a line in the book that I thought was really cool because um, it reminds me of Lord of the Rings line, uh, where she she says that you know I I looked not not like a girl or a woman, but some unearthly being who lives in a volcano. <laughs> Because she talks about her makeup and everything, and how yeah. it's not even like she's like sexy. It's just like she's like this otherworldly creature and i thought i was hoping the movie would capture that and i think overall it did and she also gets to be herself she loves that she gets to be herself in the parade and senna says this to her in the movie he's like just i want you to be above it all you know uh uh, unforgiving and she's like i think i can do that (laughs) and i was like yeah i like that and then we get joanna's uh elevator stripping scene Mm -hmm. yeah she does strip on the elevator and this is again a scene where I think the movie doesn't quite. It's I, it, they do it, and it's you know pretty much the same of what you imagine from the book. But we we get more detail in the book because it goes into the fact. Peta explains that he thinks that like because this happens, and then Finnick like flirting with her, and then Chaff kissing her, all these things. Peta's like uh, everybody's messing with you because like she's so pure, or like mm-hmm. because they think she's like kind of naive, and and. Again, I think that ties in to some of our discussions about like her own um, uh, sort of figuring out of like what her sexuality and that sort of thing and not being sure about it and that sort of stuff. And I think the book in this instance plays into that and kind of that amplifies that reading of her character. But there was I think one of the things I did not like in the movie is I thought Kat and Jennifer Lawrence's face in the scene in the elevator is a bit over the top. She's like. She's making this very, see if I can find a screen grab and take a picture of it and we can post it on Facebook. She's making this over, like over the top, like 
like I can, I'm, <laughs> no I'm one can see you. Nobody can see me, and I, I'm making this face. I, I was looking at her like. To to me, I it didn't bother me because to me she looks incredibly annoyed in that scene. Yeah, which uh, didn't bother me. I, I don't know. It it was a to me. It looked like it was just so unsubtle in a way that felt. I don't know. It's hard to describe without seeing it. Like I just thought that her face the whole time she's stripping felt a little over the top. Like. It just didn't feel becoming of Jennifer Lawrence's acting ability. It felt like if if somebody put me in in a scene and was like, "All right, pretend you're embarrassed by what you're seeing," I'd be like, "I'd make that face," like, and I'm not a good actor, so like, <laughs> like I don't know. It just it didn't. I felt like it didn't quite work. It just hurt the way her. I don't know. But overall, this the scene works. But again, I think the movie here just kind of drops all of the ace subtext with Katniss. Yeah, yeah, and it is. It is interesting, and I'm I'm interested to hear other thoughts on this, particularly this idea from the book that like Peta poses that like oh they all think you're so pure or you're so naive because yeah. I know those are like kind of stereotypes right. of ace people, yeah. And the the book doesn't really do anything with no, it. No, that's fair. It doesn't. So mean. I'm wondering, or at like, least not yet. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering like how other people feel about like that or read feel, it. Yeah. 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 That is an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Cause it kind of like acknowledges the stereotype without really, without commenting, commenting on, it, on it or doing anything yeah. with it. Yeah. Uh, we get uh, Katniss bonding with district three, uh, virus and BT, um, and then being inventors. And I, I don't think I can remember one of the details that I really liked in the book. And I, I think it happens a couple times in the movie, but I might be wrong is that virus. She like trails off. She like can't yeah. finish thoughts and BT will like finish her sentences. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens a couple times in the movie, but I might be wrong. That might, they might've dropped that. And if so, I'm disappointed in that, but I felt like I remembered at least once where it happened. Um, and then they show her like the chink in the force field. Yeah. The, the chink in the armor. Yeah. And so kind of speak. set that up. Um, and then Katniss gets to show off her sick archery skills, yeah. which I actually was very excited about because I was disappointed. I think I made a note of that in the first one that she doesn't get she has like a moment in the first book where she kind of does like mm -hmm. cool archery stuff. And um, I was a little disappointed that we didn't get to see that in the first one. But we do get to see it in this one, which is fun. It was a pretty cool scene. Yeah, it's a cool scene. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was neat. Uh, Katniss wanting uh, Wyrus and BT and Mags yeah. as allies. And Hamish's reaction to this like, revelation. Of course you do. Of course you do. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, I also really like Katniss. This is a line that stuck with me in the book. Um, it's a little better in the book slightly, but it, but the movie does at least do it. Um, where she, It's when they're waiting to go into the... Their, like the individual the individual what is it called it's got a yeah, name and i can't remember it? what they call it it's not a showcase but it might have, it's whatever. like where they give them scores yeah um individual training session or whatever and uh as they're waiting to go in it's just them two in there and they're all in the all the rest of the contestants are gone and in the book she reaches across and grabs Peta's hands and puts her head on the table and goes Peta, how are we going to kill these people and I was glad that they at least gave that line yeah. in the book because I that line it was one that landed with me or it gave her that line in the movie because I, I I again is another line that really hit hard in the book. 
So we're going to talk about this moment and it's very, we both had similar, like, I don't know how I feel about this, but I think it's, it's, it's in the movie nailed it because it has elements of both to me. Like it could go in both better in the book and better in the movie. And that is PETA painting Rue with the flowers and how that is revealed to us, the audience Mm -hmm. in the book. We find out after the fact that, um, Katniss goes in and she sees like there's like water on the floor and there's a big like map covering the center part of the floor and she doesn't know what happened that what she doesn't know what Peta did and she's like what the heck and she just does her thing with Seneca Crane and whatever and then leaves and then afterwards they're sitting there and discussing what happened and Peta tells her he goes I painted Rue Mm -hmm. and that moment in the book I read that line it's another moment where I got chills because I didn't remember that at all from the first Mm -hmm. time I read it and it, it literally gave me chills um and I really like that reveal in the book. And I also like the fact that we find out that no, they didn't, her actions of, of, of hanging Seneca Crane had nothing to do with what PETA did. It just so happens that they both yeah. sort of impromptu performed <laughs> they, these acts they of rebellion. Both rebelled through performative art. <laughs> yeah. And I like that. But I also did in the movie get chills when she walks in and looks down and sees Rue's painting on yeah, the floor. I, I, I like that moment. It. Yeah. So I was like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> like I like both. Yeah. I'm not sure which is better. And I don't mind that the movie truncated it and actually showed us his painting. Yeah. But I did love Katniss's line in the book after he tell after Peta tells them what he did. And Katniss is just like, I guess this is a bad time to say I hung a dummy and painted Seneca Crane's yeah. name on it. Yeah, that's a good line. I will say, yeah, it's tough because I like, yeah. It's so that this one is I could go either way because I think you could still do the same thing with um I think we could still see the painting of Rue. Like we could have Katniss walk in. The mat's covering the floor. She doesn't know what's going on or what, what happened. She does her thing with Seneca Crane, comes out, and then we have the conversation. And then we flash back, mm-hmm. like we flash to Peta painting it, and we get to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do really like, so I think that would work. But I do really like Katniss seeing it. Yeah. But then it robs us of the sort of the one mindedness of them. Yeah, them like <sighs> being on the same page. Yeah, just, without. Yeah. yeah. So it's tough. It's I could go either way. And that's why I went ultimately went with the movie nailed it because it's like, eh, yeah, I, I like it. It works in both um, in different ways. And I just it's it's great. And both give me chills in different ways. So uh, the Victor interview rebellion. I really love the, the the little like sort of subtle, passive aggressive ways all the. <laughs> Yes. Some of the champions respond to the questions. Um, uh, one of my favorites that I was really glad that the movie included was uh, Finnick, which my m- you and I both yes. uh, autocorrect, constantly autocorrected oh, God, to this gimmick. Nuts. <laughs> gimmick constantly in our in our autocorrect. Um, but he, he recites a poem to his one, quote unquote, true love. And everybody yeah. in the Capitol thinks he's talking about them because he's fucked his way through the Capitol, which is fantastic. <laughs> um and I also, and you had this in better in the movie, and I agree that Joanna's um, lines, which I don't know if we even hear in the book, like what, mm-hmm. we don't know what she said, but I like that. She like flips her shit and starts swearing and stuff. Uh, yeah, the one woman's opinion, all that. I love that. Um, and then I, I love the movie included when she go when Katniss shows up to go out for her interview. Joanna's backstage. Yeah. And they run into each other, and she's like, "Is that a wedding dress?" And Katniss says, yeah, uh, Snow made me wear it. And Joanna says, make them pay for it. And I love that line. I was glad the movie mm-hmm. included that one. 
uh, and then the big reveal with the with the Mockingjay dress uh, when it burns away again. I got chills. Uh, I felt like I had complicated feelings about this and I wanted to discuss it. So I was like, I love this, fantastic, and I love Cinna. But should he have told Katniss because he is once again taking away her agency in yeah. this moment? But also, she wouldn't have done it. Yeah, if she knew because she yeah, wouldn't she want wouldn't, she wouldn't want that to come to back endanger Cinna. Yeah. So I don't know. I was like, I don't know how I feel about it. It's complicated, yeah. but. I will say her mocking Jay dress in the movie I thought was a lot more on the nose than what I pictured in the book. I don't disagree with that. Uh, I don't disagree that's a little more on the nose. It I was still like liked it. Literally a bird costume. <laughs> One of the things I wished is that she hadn't kept her arms up in the movie and mm -hmm. where the wings were is a little too on the nose, like Jesus y, like crucifying, like, <laughs> like, because he has her arm, like, yeah. Like, I wish she had spun and then stopped and then the wings could be out and she doesn't need her arms there. I don't know. I felt like that was a little. But I mean, I think that is how it's described in the book, because it's like attached to her arms. It is. But in the movie, it doesn't look like it's attached yeah. to her arms. It just looks like the, the dress has like I, big yeah. wings and on I, it. And I do think it would have been a more dramatic reveal had she just been standing there and then the wings like, like unfolded. Yeah. Yeah, like I she spun and then like dropped her arms and the wings. Like I, I, it, it's still pretty good. It's just not. I don't know. It, it's a mixture of good and bad. Not bad. Good and less good choices. <laughs> uh, Peta lying and telling everybody that she's pregnant. I think there's something here to discuss about uh, the fact that this is like spurs all this outrage amongst the capital mm -hmm. crowd. I think there's definitely something to be said here about society valuing the breeding potential of women over the. The actual the woman actual, themselves. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, it's. I'm not sure it's quite as impactful as the book, but it's still pretty good. Um, uh, we mentioned it, but the the uh, the goodbye with Hamish mm -hmm. before the arena is pretty spot on. Uh, him telling her, remember who the real enemy is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then the whole scene with Senna. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm still betting on you. Remember, girl on fire. I'm still betting on you. They did actually change um, that line slightly. It's basically the same. They just kind of rearranged it in the movie. It's whatever. And then they come in and start beating him. Yeah. The launch tube scenes in these movies, the first two movies, are like the two best scenes in the movies. They're so yeah. heartbreaking and terrible in different ways. Like we talked about in the first one, the way the sound cuts out and it's mm -hmm. she's shaking the whole time. And it's just like it's horrifying and terrible. But it's this also very personal, deeply personal moment with her and Cinna. And then in this one with them coming and beating up in Cinna, it's both of those scenes are like two of the strong. Yeah. And it's funny because I talked about so many times in this movie, I felt like they failed at the big moments. But this is one that they crushed. Like mm -hmm. this moment works perfectly and they did a great job at it. Um and I don't know why they couldn't bring that same energy to the rest of the big moments, but whatever. <laughs> whatever. This is a little thing, but there's a line in the book um, where Katniss says she's starting to make a choking sound that she makes before she sobs. Yeah. And I thought Jennifer Lawrence nailed that sound. Yeah. She's a good actress. Yeah. She's very good. She's very, very good. Uh, and then uh, Finnick... Good thing we're allies, right? Yeah, he has Hamish's armband. Armband. Boom. Look at this. Bob. Look at I'm this on your team. Token. Yeah. Uh, and then Finnick ends up carrying Mags on his back. There's a lot of really good 
uh, Fennec character moments, mm-hmm. like right at the beginning of the of the arena battle. Like, because we going into the arena, we're very unsure about him, and then within you know from the time that the tubes rise to like you know within ten pages, I was instantly like, okay, Fennec's great. Like, yeah, every you like it, the the she did, Suzanne Collins does a very good job of instantly making you really like Fennec because he just becomes this very immensely likable character carrying mags around and like sort of bantering with Katniss and just everything mm-hmm. about him is very endearing very quickly. And I thought the movie did a good job of capturing that. Um, including the fact that Katniss and, and not to this, maybe not quite the same extent in the, in the movie as it happens in the book of her, like content, uh, considering like murdering him right away. Cause she yeah. still doesn't know like yeah. if she should trust them and that sort of thing. But also Finnick, like knowing that she's thinking that and then like, like he's like kind of one step ahead not ahead necessarily but he's like right on the same way uh wavelength with her just like she's considering like just pulling an arrow out and shooting him and he's got his his trident and i just thought the movie captured their dynamic really well mm-hmm. and then finnick gives Peta cpr yeah yes he does and then uh and and when it's happening uh katniss goes to pull an arrow yeah yeah she doesn't uh, know what he's stops. doing that was a note i had for the whipping scene that again drove me crazy i gotta go i got it because i had this note and i forgot about it um in the whipping scene in the beginning this is like the thing that they didn't do at the end of the first movie where when they're like hey uh there can only be one victor and uh katniss goes to draw an arrow on Peta. i guess it's slightly different but in the whipping scene there's a note uh, or a specific uh little detail that when after uh and she runs out there and after thread hits her with the whip yeah. and she falls over, she gets up and reaches to her back to draw an arrow and realizes she doesn't have her. Oh, and I, just, I didn't catch that. I w- yeah. There's a little note about that in the book that she reaches back for an arrow. That's not there huh. or something like that. And I wish they would do that more with her. Cause it's like such yeah. a second nature thing. Yeah. And, I, and anyways, um, I want to mention here, actually, I don't have a note about this, but it is something I noticed reading the book. So Finnick gives Peta CPR and Katniss, she figures out what he's doing. She figures eventually, it out, but she doesn't initially. But she initially does not know. But I thought it made perfect sense that Finnick would know how to administer CPR. Yeah, he's, because he's from he's from the ocean the, district. The ocean district. <laughs> yeah. He's from the fishing district. Yeah. Um, so of course he knows how to administer cpr and she even thinks she thinks through that she's like he must that must be something they have to do where he's from like um but she thinks about i think it's a little bit later in the book because i think it might be in reference to joanna and her axes because joanna's from the lumber district yeah so she can use axes. um but she thinks about how and a, a disadvantage that District 12 has in the games is that they don't actually go into the mines until, until they're, they're 18. Yeah. So they don't get any, whereas like these people from these other districts gain all these skills. Yeah, learn skills before they, yeah. like while they, before they would have to compete in the games. Whereas, yeah, District yeah, 12 Yeah, District doesn't. 12. And she's like, man, we've got like pickaxes and stuff. Yeah. There could be useful skills there. Yep, yep. Uh, we talked about it, but she tosses nuts at the force field to kind of mm-hmm. detect where it is instead of, even though she's lying and saying she can hear it in the book, which yeah. she doesn't do in the movie. Um, and uh, climbing the tree to look out over the cornucopia. Mm-hmm. Does she shoot an arrow at the force field? No, she doesn't, which I thought the, was okay. dumb in the, I actually thought that was kind of dumb in the movie. Yeah. It be, I mean, I get why they did it so that we, just for us to see, okay, there's like a force field there, the arrow yeah. hits it and like, you know, but she wouldn't waste arrows no. like that, I no. don't think. So it, it felt kind of silly, but. Yeah. Um, 
I did think that the acid mist looked very ominous yeah. in the movie. Um, the effects of it seemed much more instantaneous, though. A little bit. I thought the whole scene with the chemical fog was, like, spot on from the book. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the way the animals all go silent, She meant they mentioned that in the book. Like yeah. she's, she's like, the jungle just goes quiet, and she sees this fog creeping in, and it's very clearly it's like a nerve agent. Um, because they're like, whenever it starts affecting them, they're like falling over and can't control their limbs yeah, and stuff. It's like they're having a stroke. Yeah, and it's, it's yeah, it's a nerve agent. Yeah. It's like it's affecting their central nervous system, and um, it's same thing. Uh, and then Mag sacrificing herself. I talked about it. I think it's better in the book because I don't think it gets the weight. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no, I had it right here. I don't think I don't like Katniss's reaction. To Mags, yeah, walking. So she has like a non-reaction. She has well in the in the book in the movie. Mags is she's like she says, "Hey, can you carry both of us?" And because she can't carry Peta, yeah, and she says to Finnick, "Hey, can you carry both of them?" And he's like, uh, "Probably not." And Mags looks at, um, and this is spot on. Mags looks at Finnick, kisses him, and then just walks into the fog. Yeah, but the the moment in the in the movie, like Finnick starts losing his mind and freaking out. Uh, and like trying to go after her and Katniss like stops him and she's like, we got to get out of here. And she, but she has like zero reaction to this. Yeah. And in the, in the, it's not the same thing in the, in the book, in the book, uh, da, 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 da. maybe, uh, no, he says, I can't carry them both. My arms aren't working. It's true. His arms jerk uncontrollably, uncontrollably at his sides. His hands are empty of his three tridents. Only one remains and it's in Peta's hands. I'm sorry, Mags. I can't do it. What, what happens next is so fast, so senseless. I can't even move to stop it. Mags hauls herself up, plants a kiss on Finnick's lips and then hobbles straight into the fog. Immediately her body is seized by wild contortions and she falls to the ground in a horrible dance. I want to scream, but my throat is on fire. I take one futile step in her direction when I hear the cannon blast, know her heart has stopped, that she is dead. Finnick, I call out hoarsely, but he has already turned from the scene, already continued his retreat from the fog. Dragging my useless leg behind me, I stagger after him, having no idea what else to do. So in fact, it actually kind of plays out oppositely, yeah. where Katniss try, like yeah. considers going after her, and Finnick is like knows yeah and i think that actually works better is uh, like i get what they're trying to illustrate here a phoenix attachment to her mm-hmm. but in this moment i think because katniss and despite all odds will always try to help helpless people and i think her like a, at least momentarily trying to go for mags and and finnick sort of accepting what has happened and accepting Mag's agency in this moment and moving Mm -hmm. on feels more right than what the movie gives us, which is kind of the inverse of that. I don't know. It's still pretty close. I just think it's the movie didn't quite, didn't quite nail it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, But something the movie did nail is Peta finding a pearl in an oyster and giving it to Katniss. He does give her a pearl. It's kind of meaningless, but he does do it. Uh, and then Joanna and BT and Wyrus show up covered in blood. Yeah, because it's been raining it's blood. It's been raining blood in one other section of this hell forest. Uh, and all Wyrus can say is TikTok. TikTok. Uh, and this spurs the realization that the arena, the arena is in fact a clock mm-hmm. and that the hazards that they keep running into, the blood rain, the monkeys, the, um, the wave that we see and other stuff. Uh, is all um, part of uh, all happens on a schedule as part of this clock. Um, And then we find out too, as they're, they go to the, they make their way to the cornucopia 
and while they're out there, um, Wyrus starts singing a song. And in the book, it's just described, Katniss says, Wyrus was singing some song about a mouse climbing a, mouse, a clock yeah. or something like that. And I was like, sounds it's like Hickory, Hickory Dickory, Dickory Dock. Dock. And in the movie, it is, in fact, Hickory Dickory Dock, which I thought was a fun little, um, again, thing for book readers, but also you know a little bit world building in that it's mm-hmm. very clear that this is um you know this is america this is yeah you this know is... future america some of these things would yeah. have survived uh and then wires gets her throat slit although she doesn't get a throat slit in the movie she gets like stabbed like in the yeah, neck or something then the abdomen I yeah think. i think they did that just so that because they didn't they couldn't yeah throat slitting you got to see blood and stuff and it's a pg-13 yeah. movie so they didn't do a throat slit um, but then Katniss just immediately kills Gloss and Cashmere. Just yes. like, <laughs> and then uh, the cornucopia starts spinning, which is fun. I was looking forward to that in the movie because it's one of those moments in the book where it's like, you know, it's hard to visualize what mm-hmm. that looks like. And you actually get to see it in the movie. And I thought they did a pretty good job sort of uh, visualizing that moment. <laughs> and then uh, she hears Prim and, and runs into the woods, but it's actually just a jabber jay. Mm hmm. Uh, and she ends up murdering it, but then they get stuck in a big glass case of emotion. <laughs> Leave. <laughs> but I did like that scene. The scene where yes. she runs and they hit the wall and yes. Peta's there on the other side and they can't get to each other. And, and I, I really liked how the movie visualized yeah. that scene, too. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, I do think the Jabber Jays are like an interesting, I don't know, to me it's kind of a weird component of this arena because it's literally just to fuck with them. Yeah. It's not actually harmful. It's not like, har- other yeah, than it's like, not literally harmful and it's not going to be interesting to the audience. I feel no, like. Yeah. So I'm like, it's literally just to mess with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, but they react to it the same way. It's, it's pretty much spot on scene from what happens. And they sit there and wait until the, the hour runs out. Mm hmm. Uh, and then BT comes up with this plan that they can electrocute everybody. Yeah. Uh, and I also love him talking them through it. He does this in the book, and they, she she comments that it's like uh, he's like a, a teacher, like mm-hmm. kind of talking his pupils through this lesson. Um, and it feels very similarly in the book. And it's he's played by, and I can't remember this guy's name, great actor who's in a bunch of stuff. He's in like Westworld and Casino Royale, like all those James Bond movies with Daniel Craig. Um, can't remember his name. He's a fantastic actor. Uh, and he, but he does a great job as BT. He comes up with this plan. They're going to electrocute everybody in the beach with the wire, which is how he won his original game. Yes. He he used wire to create a a trap and electrocute people basically. Um, and then we see, uh, PETA's locket. It is revealed has all of Katniss's family in it, including Real weird, including her cousin Gail. In retrospect, very weird. A little weird. I didn't yeah. think about that at the time. But I was like, "Why? Why was that?" You're okay. I mean, I get it because <laughs> of you like her and whatnot. But that's very convenient that this works for this moment for you to like show it to her and be like, "Look, you have this to live for. I have I nothing mean, to I'm live for." I'm assuming that that back was home his... his parents are watching. Like, <laughs> fuck us, I guess. His, I don't... But his parents are abusive. They, they are. Don't like well, him. at least his mom is. Yeah. Right. His dad might be like. His oh. dad might be fine. We don't know. But yeah, yeah his, at least his mom's abusive. Fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Um, but I really do like. I genuinely like like the lines where Peta says, "Nobody needs me," yeah. and Katniss says, "I do." Yeah. No, I agree. I thought that line was really great. And then they start kissing each other. And I thought it was really interesting that um, in the book it's described in the movie. They just kind of have a nice kiss like it's whatever in the book. It's described as incredibly like passionate. And Mm -hmm. um, 
Katniss is sort of describing the feelings she's having, and she says uh, it's in a, uh, this feeling in this moment as she's kissing him is this entirely new kind of hunger, and she doesn't want to stop kissing him and that sort of yeah. thing. And I think it's an it's definitely an interesting um, sort of tidbit or uh, tidbits on the right, but it's an interesting wrinkle into the Ace conversation. Be, not not to say that it's not representative of of somebody's Ace because. But there are a lot of different ways to There be are a lot of different ways that, yes. that ace people experience uh, attraction and, and all that sort of thing. And I think it, it definitely can still, uh, yeah. from what I understand, as, as a very relatively ignorant person on the topic, um, it very much 100% um, jives with a person who is ace. Um, I just thought it was interesting. And, 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 and I think her sort of acknowledging this new feeling and trying to figure out what it means, in fact, maybe even adds more sort of... Um, like fuel to the to that interpretation of her at least in in maybe a different way of of how she uh, of her again just i think it's just an interesting um sort of what it's always interesting to me listening to cat katniss like think through like like what she's what she's experiencing and what it means and how she feels about Mm -hmm. it is it because it is a, a perspective that feels at least somewhat um, foreign to me. Mm-hmm. I find it really interesting, mm-hmm. and 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 the fact that there are people who who read it and and identify with it and and see themselves in it, I think, is really cool and really interesting. The fact that I know people feel that way when I read it, and and I find it very interesting to get some tiny glimpse of like what how other people like that other a yeah. different perspective than than my own you know what i mean like I, yeah. I guess no see i interpreted this section as a little bit more of a complication to the ace reading of katniss yeah now there are there are a lot of different ways to be asexual yeah. um but my understanding of it and please feel free to correct <laughs> me if i'm wrong about this um, my understanding of it is that the common kind of theme is not experiencing sexual attraction or maybe experiencing like low sexual attraction. I think it varies greatly, but yes. Yes. So it's interesting to me because like this is in the book, but it's not in the movie. So I think like how you feel about that change could vary depending on how you approach this reading of her as ace. Yeah. Again, I think, yeah, yeah, that's fair. I I will say that I think it's because I, because she describes it as a hunger and a, but it's it's not necessarily because she doesn't describe it because she doesn't go into detail of like what this hunger is or like she doesn't say like I wanted to hold him down and have sex like she doesn't yeah you know what I, I mean? mean it doesn't get explicit well yeah. no, no no but I mean even even not getting explicit it doesn't get any sort of detail on what this hunger is right it, it could purely be some sort because you know you can be ace and still be um uh, it doesn't mean you're aromantic like this could be a very right. strong yeah. romantic hunger that she's feeling in this moment or a very like it could be many different things and i don't think it's um i think it's just inter- like i said i think it's the fact that it's sort of vague in the book and doesn't go into great like it's not mm-hmm. easily identifiable as lust necessarily it reads to lust to me. It reads as lust to me. Yeah. But I think it could not read as lust to that's somebody fair, else. It reads, I guess is it my reads point. as lust to me too. Right. But yeah, that's fair. I think it could read differently. Because to somebody yeah, else. I guess my point is that because it's not specifically detailed what 
exactly what she's feeling and and you mm-hmm. know she doesn't go into sort of like hypotheticals of of, of her feelings and that sort of thing and, and it just kind of ends i think it's left up to the the reader to kind of interpret it how they want and i mm-hmm. think that is again i think that's interesting um and i it's a little disappointing that the movie doesn't i get it because again this is all her yeah, in her we're, head yeah, we're not so in i don't her know head. how you do it but, but. but yeah i think the movie does just kind of flatten that and take all of that like interest out of it yeah and, and like I say the, and I, the potential I, for different interpretations. Yeah. I would like to reiterate when I say interesting, I'm not I, I, I can understand that that can come across as like I, I'm viewing asexuality as some weird novelty that I'm like, you know, I don't, that's <laughs> yeah. not what I mean when I say interesting. I just because it's, you know, a, a different perspective that is is, you know. I don't know how else to call it other than interesting. It's just something that I don't have experience with and that I find, um, you know. Uh, well, and it's something that's not commonly portrayed. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Yes. I think people get what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I trust our audience to understand where I'm coming from. <sighs> uh, I thought that Joanna suddenly attacking Katniss was equally confusing in both yeah. the book and the movie. I don't disagree. That was another thing that I had to read a couple times in the book. I was like, wait, what's happening? Yeah. I, I do think that it's intentional in the book that it's confused. I think it's intentional in both that it's confusing. Yeah, because it's it, all just chaotic at this point. Yeah, and in the book, it, it, we're in Katniss's perspective, so the fact that we don't know exactly what's going on works a little bit better mm-hmm. in the book because, uh, again, we're not like a third-person omniscient viewer. We're in Katniss's perspective, kind of. Uh, in the movie, it's it's still similarly confusing. And so, yeah, I think it, it it does kind of capture that. I don't know if it makes as much sense in the movie that it's confusing. I don't know. It, yeah. It's fine. It works. It's good. Ultimately, we do find out that the wound, that when she was digging into her arm, and I don't remember if the movie ever clarifies this. Does it? I don't think they did. Yeah, now that I think about it, the yeah, problem, maybe it'll I'm happen in the beginning. Because so we find out in the book that the reason she so she stabbed Joanna stabs her in the arm, yeah, and she starts bleeding out. And um, ultimately, when she gets on the ship, and and we find out that Joanna had was digging out the tracking unit in her yes, arm, so that the capital can't track. And her. now I'm thinking, yeah, that the movie never said yeah. that but i could be wrong maybe they didn't i didn't miss it while i was taking other notes but yeah everything's kind of chaos and then ultimately she does get back to the tree uh remembers who the real enemy is shoots the arrow with the the lightning string into the force field and it explodes in a in a, a thing of sparks i mentioned this earlier i i felt a little underwhelmed by this moment in the movie mm-hmm. at first because I thought it was just the initial sparks and explosion and her being blown back. But then the, when the when the dome started collapsing, yeah, I started liking it more. I still felt like the movie missed, and this is a, just a little visual thing, the cinematography missed a, a moment for this big, wide, dramatic shot of her like laying on the ground, lit up by the sky as sparks and shit fall. I don't know. I felt like... like the, the the cinematographer in me wanted a different visual mm-hmm. representation of this moment than what I got in the movie. I think the movie version is okay. Just wasn't as like, it wasn't as dramatic as I was hoping it would mm-hmm. be, but still pretty good. It redeemed itself a little bit. I don't know. I had this larger visions in my head than, than what the movie gave me. It's fine. 
My last note here, uh, we talked about her picking up the syringe to use as a weapon, Uh, but I love Haymitch's line, you and a syringe against the Capitol. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's... Sarcastic, that Classic Haymitch. (laughs) All right, we've got a few odds and ends before we get to Katie predicts the Hunger Games trilogy. Yes. So I thought it was interesting and slightly problematic. We'll talk about it. Uh, that Katniss is kind of, we get in her head at one moment and she sees the, uh, you know, all the body mods that the people in the Capitol do. Mm-hmm. And she describes them as freakish. And I get what the book's going for there mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of like, you know, the, the, this, this extravagance, this weird, like um, obsession with vanity and like, yeah, that's it's very like the, portrayal of the capital is definitely like a vapid kind of like obsessive focus on physical beauty right but that being said i don't love dismissing body modifications as freakish as a whole it's like a kind of a eh, gross thing i don't know and I don't think that's ultimately Suzanne Collins's goal. Like, I don't think like she's like, I don't think if you so pierce either. your ears or like, you know, yeah. like do a body mod that you're like a freak. I don't think she would say that. I just I think we're, what we're seeing here is potentially like some bias from Katniss who comes from, I, I guess you could call it a more conservative yeah. background. Yeah. Not conservative politically, but just. I even think it's very possible that this is something that Suzanne Collins might have agreed with at the time. And it would, That's fair, yeah. Because it's one of those things that, like, you know, I, there was a time when I was younger where I would have said, I might have said something similar about, like, the idea of, like, body mods being, like, whoa, what's wrong with that part? Like, mm-hmm. like when I was much younger. Not not yeah. like, a, like a random tattoo or, like, getting right, ears. Right, but, like, but more, like, like, extreme stuff. Slightly more yeah. extreme body mods. There, there was a time where I would have been more judgmental of that than mm-hmm. I am now and, and just, you know... Um, and, and so I, I definitely think there's something to be said of, of like, you know, you can be a very, a person who clearly has very progressive views and still have some spots that aren't quite as, yes, absolutely you know, progressive overall. And I think that might be one of those kind of moments. Um, but it does come across a little puritanical and regressive for yeah. a book that overall yeah. has a lot of progressive things to say. On the subject of capital fashion, though. I really do feel in general like the capital fashion in the movie isn't quite as crazy as what it sounds like in the book. I don't disagree, yeah. Because in the book, they're like dyeing their skin and doing all this stuff, um, like implanting gems. And they yeah. have the girl who files down her teeth, which we do get in the movie. But I feel like in the movie, it's mostly like wigs and crazy dresses. Yeah. And like makeup. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things I noticed is that the... It was a little thing. And ultimately, we find out that the arena is a clock. But yeah. I did think it was interesting that at first when we like when I was this is a note I wrote when I was reading the book, uh, when I was reading for, through the first time. And uh, she sees all the spokes coming out and she describes it as looking like a wheel. And then she gets up and looks around and sees that it's a big, perfect circle. Mm-hmm. And the, this idea of this this arena is a perfect circle with the spokes in the middle. It's a, it's a wheel. And then at the end of the movie, she literally breaks the wheel. And I was like, did game of Thrones, did George R. R. <laughs> Martin. And now that may have been written before this. I, I don't think actually, it was probably, was. I think it was probably was. But at first I was like, break the wheel. Oh my God. 
and ultimately it's, I guess it's <laughs> smash the clock. I don't know, but like, <laughs> it's, it's ultimately not quite, it doesn't have the same gravitas no. as break the wheel, but I thought break the wheel was, and, and it also break the wheel doesn't actually necessarily work in this universe because it's not a wheel. It's just a, an author, authoritarian dictator yeah. who's in pow, been in power forever. Like it's, there isn't like this, because the whole idea behind Break the Wheels, the, the cycle of of, of uh, monarchs, you know, yeah. rising to the throne, taking the throne, you know, this this monarch overthrows that monarch, and none of it ever changes. We got to break the wheel, that sort of thing. Uh, and this is less. I don't feel like that necessarily applies one to one to this universe, mm-hmm. but I still thought it was kind of funny. Uh, we mentioned earlier, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman does a really good job in this movie. Uh, great casting on that front, but also great casting because he just looks exactly like someone who would be named Plutarch Heavensby. Yes. Yes, he does. Like spot on. Yeah. You couldn't have done better than Philip Seymour Hoffman for that. (laughs) Uh, So I saw a quote from the director about not using shaky cam in this movie and about how they made a a very distinct choice because, you know, there were like memes and stuff about Mm -hmm. it in the first one, because that was right around the time it was, this is right around the time with transformers and where shaky cam became like a, again, like a meme. Yeah. And they, so they made a distinct choice not to use it in this one. And I honestly think that the shaky cam worked better in the first one than the combat in this one. I think this movie works just about as good as the first one did overall. Yeah. Uh, But I thought the shaky cam combat in the first one was fine. And I thought it uh, got the point across. And I thought in this one, I don't know. I, I didn't have a problem with it in the first one. And I didn't think that the combat and like the fight scenes in this one were like much better for not using them. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little at times, but see, here's the thing is that, it's sort of balanced out by in the first one, we have almost entirely real sets. Yeah. And in this one, we have a lot of CG yeah. sets. And now the nature of the arena in this one sort of requires that with the big, you know, the, the wheel in the water mm-hmm. and like, it's, it's, it's not just a right. field. We can't like, just plop them down in a forest. Right. So, and, if, and then the cornucopia is in a field. Like it, it's this, this arena is much more requires a CG fest. So I get that, but it, it's like it kind of balanced out to where it's like, okay, I can see the combat better in this one in a way that I guess is more exciting. Also, that was kind of the point of the first one was that you're not supposed to be excited by the combat. It's a bunch of kids killing each other. But that being said, it's also like I can see it better, but it's it's all like kind of obvious yeah. CG environments. And that, so that's not, a, I don't know. I, 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 I was slightly disagreed with the director. I was already on bad terms with this director for not sticking the big moments, but... <laughs> That whole shaky cam thing. I was like, bro, you can use shaky cam for good reasons. And I thought they kind of did in the first one. You know, it's funny. I think you mentioned being able to see better. (laughs) Because for me, partway through this movie, I turned to you and I was like, for shit's sake, I cannot tell PETA and Finnick apart when it's dark in the arena. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with that. These are just just two semi-buff blonde white boys running yep. around being completely interchangeable. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with that. I 100%. I just meant, yeah, cuz I what I'm talking about is mostly during the day, like yeah. when they're like and in particular I was talking about the scene where they're fighting like near the cornucopia. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I agree. It's it's they're very difficult and to it, tell. And they're apart. dressed alike. It's all very unhelpful. Yeah. You know what I this movie didn't do that I did like in the first one? I, I think I might have mentioned earlier, but I, I did, and we talked about it, like the announcer, like uh, 
Claudius yeah. Temple Smith and uh, I, I didn't even realize that this movie Caesar had Flickerman. dropped that until yeah. you mentioned it. But yeah, they, they don't ever do it at cut all. in and do anything. And I think that was just to sort of keep us present in mm-hmm. the games and what's happening and not sort of pull us out of that um, as much. But still, I, I liked it. I thought it worked in different like as so, again, as sort of um, a counterbalance to not having Katniss's. Yeah. explaining things having yeah. the, the announcers do it we didn't need as much of it in this one because we know a lot more about the world already but still right and so my last note was that i think one of the frustrating things about the book and we'll talk about it more much more in the next two up ep- or the final two episodes of this summer series is that so many of the early uh sticking it to the fascist moments in this book are so satisfying to me mm-hmm. the, the you know the 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 unity between the victors holding hands the there's like a, a bunch of them that I'm blanking on now but just so many of the moments where where uh where we get these like sort of triumphant moments of sticking it to the capital and again I thought the, I thought the movie kind of failed at a lot of those um in, in capturing them and I, I'm really interested to, to see going forward again, kind of comparing the movie to the book and also how I just feel about the book now versus how I did 10 years ago. But I remember the ending kind of subverting mm-hmm. the sort of satisfying, triumphant feeling of, of sticking it to the fascists mm-hmm. uh, and being disappointed by that. And I think that's the point. Like, I think that's very clearly from my memory, the point of the last book yeah. is to sort of be like, it's not that simple, um, but it doesn't make it super satisfying. Yeah. And it's again, one of the things that I'll be very, very interested to see how the movie handles. If it sticks to the sort of less satisfying, but more uh, realistic moral ambiguity of the book, mm-hmm. or if it gives us our, yay we win uh sort of ending like that uplifting traditional kind of. uplifting yeah. ending yeah. that we would get in a movie That'd we'll be interesting. see we shall see all right katie time for you to predict the hunger games it's gonna happen edward so we're gonna go through katie's catching fire predictions real quick and see how many you got right uh your first one Katniss and Peta live together uh to keep the, the pretense of their relationship False. They don't make them live in the same house. They do not do that. Uh, Second, Katniss will get depressed from PTSD and not be able to cross the fence and go into the woods since there's so much more attention on her. And I would count that as mostly correct. Yeah, it is mostly correct. Mostly correct. She's definitely suffering from PTSD. Uh, and, and she, she also she doesn't is ultimately go in, not able to go in the woods. And it is, and it is uh, very much a, a big part of it is because of the increased attention on her. Yeah. Gail, super jealous, tries to fight Peta. Peta lets him win. Mm-mm. No, unfortunately not. I, I would have, I would have loved for that to happen. <laughs> uh, they end back up in the games because next year's tributes die. Maybe the train crashes, and it turns out the rule is that the two previous victors have to step in. Unfortunately, not. There was a, a point in the book where they there's like a malfunctioning train part. And I thought for a second that I might have at least hit in the same ballpark as something there, but no. But it's a malfunctioning train part on the train that PETA and Katniss I know, and them are on. But I was like, maybe there will actually be something wrong with the train, and I'll be like, in the general in vicinity. The vicinity. That's fair. 
Uh, and then he said, if that's the case, Haymitch will probably try to go to the games, but PETA won't allow it. You nailed that one. I got one. You nailed that one. You know, you got PETA's character nailed. <laughs> All right. What are your Mockingjay part one predictions? All right. Couple things. Uh, I think that once they arrive in District 13, that Katniss will come across either Bonnie or Twill, but one of them will not have made it. I think that's a fair... I, I remember nothing. I think that's a good prediction. Okay. Um, now, I know this won't be the case. This is a, a fantasy prediction. But I really want District 13 to randomly be like a Jetsons-esque future utopia. Like, without the capital, they were able to really just develop their tech and thrive. Ooh, that could be fun. I just... I, I don't know why, and I know it won't happen, but I just want that. I like that, too. I don't remember. I don't think that happens, but I don't remember. Uh, I think that Katniss will break out of wanting to just, like, give up upon seeing Prim. Yeah, and the movie definitely sort of... The movie has at, primed us for Has that. primed us yeah. for her, her turning to not wanting to just give up. I think that Katniss's mom will briefly think that Katniss is actually pregnant and be upset with her about it. Ooh, that's a good prediction. Because there was something that the movie dropped was that her mom was like, she's too young to have a boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and she's actually thankful to her mom about that. Yeah. And, and it's not clear whether, I think it's, yeah. I think it's not clear whether her mom is buys the whole relationship thing or not. I think it's right. she knows and then like we don't kinda... we don't get to hear that from her yeah. mom actually, so we yeah. don't know. Um, but yeah, I think that would be interesting if if she briefly thinks she is actually pregnant. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that the capital is going to use PETA in like propaganda somehow, um, and that Katniss will be like kind of unhinged by that. I think it's a good guess. We forgot to, I don't think we mentioned it all during the whole episode that PETA was captured by the Capitol at the end. Yeah. I literally think we didn't <laughs> mention that. I don't that. think we mentioned but, that. But when they all get pulled out of the arena, Finnick and Katniss get, and, and BT, I think, get rescued yeah. by the revolution. And then uh, uh, Finnick and, um, or uh, PETA, PETA and somebody and else, PETA Joanna, and Joanna, are captured by the Capitol. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, but I think that's a really good guess. I think them using, I mean, they're all about propaganda, so that, yes. that makes a lot of sense. All right, before we get to our final verdict, we just wanted to remind you, you can do us a giant favor by heading over to patreon.com slash lit, supporting us there for two, five, or 15 bucks a month. Get access to different things at different levels. Also, you can do us a giant favor, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Goodreads. All the things I talked about at the beginning, you know why to follow us. All right, Katie, it's time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. I think Catching Fire is, once again, a pretty solid adaptation. The movie does a good job of capturing a lot of the rising tension in Pan Am and setting up the coming civil war. Jennifer Lawrence once again shines as Katniss, and the rest of the supporting cast do excellent jobs, at times elevating their roles even beyond the page in the case of Joanna, Cinna, President Snow, and Plutarch. Even Liam Hemsworth as Gale does a lot of good work given his limited screen time. The pacing moves along a bit better than the book, although we do lose some pretty important scenes in the attempt to get us to the games quicker than the book does, but it's not something that is a major detriment to the film's thematic narrative. That all being said, I have a few major gripes with the film. First, once again, the lack of Katniss's inner monologue is sorely missed. 
Reducing our understanding of Katniss to what we can glean from the performance robs us of some of Katniss's most interesting and important character traits. Her internal struggle with her feelings about romance and intimacy and the conversation on ace representation that that portrayal offers is completely lacking in the film as the romance subplot is reduced to a simple and oft-seen love triangle. Second, this film again lacks many of the stark depictions of brutality committed by the Capitol that really help ground this world in a bleak reality that challenges readers and forces us to contend with the horrors of a fascist dictatorship. The movie doesn't entirely fail here. I think overall the film elicits the necessary emotions in this regard, but the book's unrelenting depiction of cruelty and authoritarianism with things like the Avox subplot are missed. Finally, my biggest complaint with this film was its inability to nail the big moments. The revelation of Peta painting Rue for the game makers, the contestants holding hands together on stage, Mag's sacrifice, the Morphling's death with Peta and the destruction of the arena all just fell a little short for me. So many of those moments gave me literal chills while I was reading the book. And while the Rue scene still did in the movie, the rest felt underdeveloped and undercooked. Neither the cinematography nor the score gave those scenes the weight and impact that I wanted. And that was really disappointing after I found myself so completely affected by them in the novel. So for all of those reasons, I'll once again end by saying the book was better. I'm going to start by co-signing everything Brian said. <laughs> I think this is a pretty solid adaptation. There are high points in some of the characters being elevated and the pacing being a little tighter. There are low points in once again missing Katniss's inner monologue, the movie's failure to nail some big important moments visually and emotionally, um, I agree with everything you said, so I'm not going to retread all of that. I think my biggest complaint about the film is its decision to set the majority of the film in the arena when that section only accounts for about a third of the book. And I understand wanting to focus on the action and take the audience back to what they'll recognize from the first film, but to me... The most interesting stuff in the book happened in the first two-thirds when Katniss has to face the society that she lives in and grapple with it. So for those reasons, I'm going to give this one to the book. There you go. So far, two for two for the book. And I will say, uh, I was going to mention this earlier, but I have found myself really enjoying these this time. Mm -hmm. And now, so I really enjoyed the first book the first time. Uh, I remember thinking the movie was fine. Uh, I remember not liking the second book as much. Mm -hmm. And I remember disli actively disliking much of the third book. Um, I liked the second book a lot this time. And yeah. I really liked yeah, I the liked second it. movie. And I think ultimately I wouldn't be surprised if these books and movies age far better than any other series that we've done on not any sorry lord of the rings exists but <laughs> <laughs> this series may end up aging better than, than many of many the of the series that we've that done we've on done, this book yeah. on the on, on our summer series um and i i think it may end up it's funny because i i i you know i i know the series was popular and the movies were popular but i think it may end up and we'll see how it ends. We This is all premature, but I would be really interested to see. I think this series may end up sort of being a an underrated sort of mm -hmm. um, forgotten, not forgotten, but like I don't feel like people talk about the Hunger Games anymore. Yeah. 
in the same way that people talk about Twilight. Twilight, yeah, Twilight is getting in the same way people talk about Harry Potter, and the same people talk about Lord of the Rings, same way people talk about Twilight. Obviously, they talk about those things all very differently, but the popularity of those things is, I feel like, on a different level than the Hunger Games has maintained. Well, I feel like the Hunger Games surged and then petered out. Whereas the other series that you mentioned have continued to have some attention and popularity fairly consistently. All to different levels, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. And it, it, I, it's, I think I definitely think you're right that there I think there's a renaissance coming for these. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe uh, I'll change my I, mind completely when we finish the third one. But yeah, possibly. And I also think that given some things going on in the real world yeah, right now. Yeah, I think now, that's fair too. I think we could be pretty ripe for a renaissance of the Hunger Games. I think th- I think that's the thing that's sticking out to me the most is that in the way that so Harry Potter obviously had a, has a lot to say and a lot of it I think good and we there's a lot to talk about that and we've we've discussed it to some length and maybe we'll revisit it someday and discuss it even more. But I don't think it's it's relevant in the same way. Yeah. In modern day, this book, like you said, f- these this series feels very um, relevant now. It feels yeah. very important now. It feels like a series that has a lot to say about our current situation mm-hmm. um, and the rising tensions in our country and all of that stuff. And I do think uh, and, and the sociopolitical climate that we currently live in and in a way that I don't Harry Potter is maybe more sort of universally relevant in terms of like timelessness kind of maybe maybe uh, there's again a lot to say about that but i do think that 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 again upon rereading these books they're hitting me in a way that they didn't the first time when i read mm-hmm. them in 2010 or 11 or whatever yeah. uh part of that's me being older and wiser and i think another part of that though is the the world we live in now yeah and i think they're more relevant than ever and i do think that I think it's very likely that they will have sort of a renaissance, um, but like a true renaissance. And, and I don't mean that as a slight to Twilight. Well, um, Twilight's having a tongue in cheek. Yeah, and I guess that's what I point when I yeah. say a true renaissance. I think it's very likely that these books will actually have a renaissance in the sense of people looking at them and appreciating, appreciating them, not only ironically, and again, I think there's even some truth to people appreciating Twilight in a new way, less ironically and just for what they are. Mm-hmm. But I think these books have the 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 depth and the the relevance to be reappreciated in a way that's that's really meaningful. And I would be really surprised if that doesn't happen soon. Yeah. Maybe we're ahead of the trend on this one. I don't know. <laughs> um and I'm and I'm sure I'm over exaggerating their their sort of um fall from relevancy like i'm sure there's still a pretty large audience of people Mm -hmm. who like them it's just not an audience that i've been a part of but i I do think it's very fair to say that in in comparison to some of these other series that we've done that they don't have that sort of staying power and i think that's a shame and i think that's going to change because i think they're better books than some of the stuff that people really like Maybe. I don't know. I don't, I'm not, and I don't mean that, I don't mean that negatively. I still, I still, despite everything, really like Harry Potter in a lot of ways and really hate it in a lot of other ways. But um, again, anyways, uh, uh, I don't know. And maybe that was a a speech, a spiel, a conversation that would have been better suited for the last episode. Well, maybe we can revisit that. We can revisit it. See how we feel. See how we feel. All right, Katie, what's up next? 
Up next, we have my slightly early birthday pick. Um, I didn't want to put off uh, Mockingjay any further. Um, so we're doing my birthday pick a little bit early. And we will be talking about Beauty and the Beast. Yes, finally. We'll be talking about um, the 1991 animated film. Oh, wait, really? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm so I just love that you had to clarify what Beauty and the Beast we were talking about. I don't want about. anyone to think we're talking about the 2017 live action film. <laughs> Because we're not. Oh, that's true. That is that. I forgot about that. I'm sorry. I've completely forgot about that. Can we just, can we just, okay, can we, we can do the 1991 version. Can then we just cut in Evermore? Like just edit it into the middle of. Well, I had planned for us to talk about the live action version as our Patreon oh, no, bonus that's a good idea. for August. I still haven't seen it. I just, Evermore slaps so hard. Opinions on that movie. I don't have um, any opinion on it yet, but I fucking love that song. It's so good. Anyways. So we'll be talking about Beauty and the Beast next time. Fantastic. That'll and, be a lot uh, of fun. And please come by for our prequel episode as well, because we'll be talking about a topic that I have a lot of passionate thoughts about. I know what it is. Without you even telling me, I know what it is, because we've had several conversations. It was one of the things... I'll say this. It's one of the, I remember we had this conversation very early in our relationship and it was one of the things that made me fall deeply in love with you. Oh, <laughs> like it just your passion for it. And the, the eloquent way in which you stated, like it was something that I had never heard, like an argument because uh-huh. I had heard the meme about it. And yeah. this is all, I, I understand the one. elegant way that I eviscerate anyone <laughs> yes. who yeah. implies this. It, it, it was something that I found very uh, attractive and very appealing and was, uh, I don't know. It was, it was something that I really liked. And again, it made me grow very fond of you. And so I'm very looking forward to this prequel episode. Uh, that, uh, that is a hell of a teaser. We just gave because people <laughs> still don't know what we're talking about. Uh, I think people can maybe guess. Um, there's a meme about not a meme. I don't know. It is kind of a kind meme. of a meme about yeah. the Beauty and the Beast that Katie has strong feelings about. So yeah, we'll be talking about that. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, and everybody else, keep reading books, keep watching movies, and, and keep, keep being awesome. awesome.